You're listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema with Big Willie and the Samurai, bringing class to trash since 1977. Well, everyone, it's that time. It's um, it's been a long time coming, frankly. Uh, it's we've stumbled and bumbled out of the gates, true to form. I think we're probably three weeks late to our own party. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, it, it's probably that way. Yeah, it's been a it's been a crazy couple of weeks uh, for me personally. Yeah, for me too. Uh, our schedules haven't uh, jabbed, so to speak. So you know, drop a little Herbie Hancock there. Yeah. The, uh, they just really haven't uh, jabbed so well, and uh, I've been out of town. I've had to work a lot. You know, well, listen, let's we're, let's we're be making excuses that we always make. Let's but, uh, pull back the curtain here. Let's not blow smoke up anyone's ass. The tri-state arm wrestling title doesn't defend itself, my friend. That's right. That's right. <laughs> well, somebody's got to bring that belt back. You know, yeah, I got to keep the hardware in house, man. Represent, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, but this is, of course. <laughs> Our top 30 films of 2015. Um, a lot of people love this show. We love doing it. It's, I'm sure sometimes we, a lot of times, the, you know, the cliche goes, it's not the destination, it's the journey. But I think at this point in the year, it is the destination for us. Yes. Um, yes. It's uh, the long coming. I mean, this three weeks, I mean, yeah, I've, I've managed to cram a couple, a little, you know, a couple more movies in that I wanted to get in. But not nearly, if, if people, you know, pay attention, not nearly the amount you would think I would try to crank because oh, I'm no. so busy. So I managed to get like a, maybe like two or three that I was hoping to get to. But uh, this thing's been like a, like almost like a, like a, I don't know, like Fassbender's cock over a toilet. Yeah. This thing has been, uh, <laughs> this thing has been lingering. This top 30 show is starting to drive me crazy. I just wanted to get it recorded. It was one of those things where, as much as I loved, uh, I love doing it, and you know, a lot of revelations. Um, you yeah. figure it's it's almost three months, a quarter of the year, where we chug away on on stuff. And I don't want to bemoan this process. Poor guys, they got our cover comes. You know, let's not make it more. It, it is fun, but it, by the end of it, uh, yeah. it does become tough. And I'm glad we get to do this show now, and hopefully. Um, it's way after the fact, and if you haven't listened to our top 30 shows in the past, to get let people understand why we do it so late in the air is because as you know, middle class Joes, 
family men. We don't have the <clears throat> the time, even if we had the opportunity, to get to a lot of film festivals and see a lot of things until the following year when they come out. So the few yeah. months leading up to the Oscars gives us the opportunity to see a lot of the buzzworthy films that maybe we're finally getting a VOD release or a Blu-ray release yeah. or, yeah. <clears throat> you know, something. It's a dis- yeah, it's like it's a distribution issue too, right? So, I mean, like one of the ones I wanted to cram, which you did see, one of the prestige films that I wanted to cram was The Revenant, and it's just now starting to hit the digital marketplace. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we're talking uh, third week of March, last week of March, really, and by calendar year. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, uh, that's unfortunate for those of us who maybe live in more rural or more small towns. Uh, you know, some places may not even have the revenue, may not even played. Mm-hmm. So that's just the way it is. So that's why we wait. We wait as long as possible so everybody can play along if they want to. And uh, so we can see as much as we can. Yes, it's a win-win in most cases. So, yep. Yep. yeah, good stuff. So it's almost getting to the point now where like the distribution model, the way it works, like start doing it in like June. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what I, I feel like, and it's funny the past two years I felt like partially because of when we did it, but also I think just where we're at, I feel like the past few years we have been able to see more thing. I, I haven't had as many like, Oh, I wish I had got this in. I wish I got this in. I yeah, like the, digital, the digital marketplace has changed a lot of things. Mm-hmm. So, you know, iTunes, these, these companies, Amazon, stuff like that, they're getting these films out faster, especially the uh, the kind of festival-type things. Yeah, they are. We're, they're, they're, Netflix has become a haven for a lot of uh, this stuff, so it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's served people like us well, absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. So without further ado, uh, those that do not know how we do this, um, as Montel Jordan once famously said, uh, <laughs> we go 10 to 1. And 11 to 30. Now, the logic behind this is this. If we were to start with 30 and work our way down, knowing us, true to form, we'll be running long. We will, blah, blah, blah. oh, my number one film of the year is this, and this is what I think about. It'll just rush through it, and we won't get the time to talk about why the most important films to us in a year are the most important films to us in a year. And also, I think both of us know well enough that if some surprises dropped way down the list, we can kind of start to figure out what's towards the top. So it kind of keeps things mysterious. Hot and heavy out of the gates, which is the way we like to do things, the way we like to, <laughs> yeah. you know. Yeah. We come out of this thing like Lao and the Destroyer. We just, yeah. just come out, yeah. Sure, Destroyer? what's that, that like the electric, the uh, huge, oversized fucking... Yeah. Is that the name of that movie, Destroyer? Yeah, I think it is. Oh, I know the one you meant either way, so... <laughs> yeah, you knew which one I was talking about. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so... Uh, I got that title right, or that's a, that's a genre look. movie buff faux pas there. Yeah, no, I know the one you mean. He's all sweaty and he's got the yeah, and, uh, electrical kind of power tool tuning geez. fork. Uh, I don't have the internet in front of me right now. I'd try to find that out. As he has, but someone's going to chime in. But, I guess uh, we watched that this recently. Oh, yeah, he, cool. yeah, he brings the thunder in that. Uh. Yeah. yeah, he's the best part of that. The, uh, <laughs> the other thing we should say also, that one of the reasons why the cram does get old after a while is oh, because... It's a jackhammer. It feels so stupid. I forgot it was a jackhammer. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> we, uh, we love movies like The Destroyer, so we want to get back to covering that kind of stuff because we know that a lot of you listen to the show for that reason, and we can't wait to get back to covering that kind of stuff. We love the prestige pictures as much as anybody, but after a while, all that prestige turns into... Well, it's like it's like it's like pudding. 
pudding is really great, but after a while, you don't want to eat any more pudding. I want to drop those lobster tails down the fucking gutter and go dumpster diving for like right. half wrapped taquito in the in the bin out back. And that's right. That Deep fried Snicker bars. Yeah, man. you got to get back to that. Which I've, I've I've still been doing some older stuff. You know, plus just older stuff too. You know, you you want to see stuff that's outside of the period, right? Like I've been getting into some yeah. noir and stuff you've never you never seen. Yeah, like absolutely. The variety the world just it opens up, right? So mm-hmm. much like the speculum that we often talk about so <laughs> yeah. um, the movie speculum that we use the movie speculum we use yes exactly <laughs> uh without uh without i was gonna say without further ado for probably the third time in the episode um yeah let's uh, let's get into this uh, we drew we uh, drew straws and sammy is going to do his number 10 film first and then of course yeah. we'll go back and forth i do 10 he got my got my i got my i'm at the barbershop here yeah, i'd be six he bb's nine so yeah. <laughs> getting a little trim while well, not, not that kind of trim, that kind of little trim. trim. That, uh, <laughs> shaky, speaking of pudding man the shaky pudding is right. yeah even too much shaky pudding can be a bad thing <laughs> I, mean, I won't turn it away so yeah that's right <laughs> all right to kind of keep on that uh level and uh, of uh, sophomore humor that we're known for. <laughs> um, number 10 is a film that uh, could easily be misinterpreted as a possible porn film. Uh, my number 10 is uh, The Russian Woodpecker. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I knew this was going to be somewhere in there. I just didn't know where yeah. it spoke. It was like the Russian Woodpecker. I, I won't have a lot of the uh, directors and stuff with me on this list this year uh, because I didn't write all that stuff down. But I will say I'll talk about the plots of these films quite a bit. Uh, the Russian Woodpecker, I had heard about this film. I can't remember where I heard about it from. It must have played some festival or something. And uh, it's about this Ukrainian man. He uh, he was exposed to uh, the Chernobyl meltdown when he was a child. He kind of got away and stuff. And then he kind of started looking into it. And it's basically his kind of journey. He's an artist, kind of a visual artist. His kind of journey to see if Chernobyl was a conspiracy. And it's really fascinating and pretty crazy. And you know, I'm a big fan of these movies of people who kind of live on the fringe anyway. Yeah. People kind of, the you know, they believe what they believe, regardless if it's right or wrong. It doesn't matter. <laughs> what I what I find interesting is that they are so devout to their belief. And uh, he, he, he does give you lots of information that you will be like, huh. You know, was, I had quite a few of those this year. I had quite a few of those type of films this year where I had these people that would give you this information. And even though it's not what I think happened... Uh, I found them completely and totally fascinating, and this is really the case. It's not, it's not visually. It's not really, you know, their documentaries. Obviously, visually, sometimes they can be interesting. I think uh, quite a few docs made my list this year, as usual. But uh, this one, if you're a conspiracy nut or if you enjoy this wacky stories and are interesting people, because this guy, he is, he is one of the most fascinating dudes ever. And he's not the Russian woodpecker, should be said. The Russian he's not woodpecker. Not the titular. You know, it, it's actually a, uh, a code, kind of a nickname for a type of uh, sound that you can hear at Chernobyl still to this day. Nobody really knows what it is. So, it's very, very, very fascinating stuff. It's like a radio wave frequency and stuff. It's 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 completely fascinating. So yeah, definitely check out the Russian woodpecker. That's my number ten. I love playing the Russian Woodpecker, too. I Absolutely. Who wouldn't? Uh, yeah, it's a great title. You know, the it Russian is a great Woodpecker. Title. Uh, see, Sammy likes to live, uh, to consume films the way he likes. Uh, he believes in the CNC, the Freedom Williams CNC Music Factory train of thought. <laughs> he likes things that make him go, hmm. Yeah, yeah. I do, I do like that. I, I even realize that sometimes with my fictional films, you know, the regular narrative-based films, I... 
I do. The older I get, the more I want films to, you know, challenge me and make me think outside of the film itself. I want them to make me go look for the book or go look for, yeah, you know, further materials into why this has taken place or, or where this took place or why this took place. So, I don't know if that's just my personality or just my me getting older. But uh, you know, don't get me wrong. I mean, I, I didn't, you know, I don't do research if I rewatch Raiders of Atlantis. <laughs> I don't need any research. I know that shit happened. You it. <laughs> <laughs> that's the truth. Yeah, but, uh, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, I do like to. I like to do a lot of research. I, I'm, I'm one of those kind of people. I'm a very quizzical type person, so I like to look into that kind of stuff. And uh, this one had me digging into quite the uh, the woodpecker hole. <laughs> no kidding, we've all dug into a few of those. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this one was nice and smooth. No, that's that can be a good thing. <laughs> yeah, that, that is <clears throat> for a few bumpy roads. Yeah. Um, now, let me ask you, did the Toynbee Tiles or Room 237 make your lists the year they came out? I believe they both did, yeah. Yeah, I was big fans, and th- this film reminds me of those films. Okay, cool. I, I kind of get that vibe from now. I'm even more interested in seeing it. Um, yeah, I think you'll like it. I think you'll like it. Uh, I wanted to like see it. it I regardless just, of what the material purveys and, and shows you, the gentleman himself, and I can't say think of his name off the top of he is completely one of the most fascinating people I've seen in a documentary in some time. He is... He's a he's a unique individual. He's one of a kind. Oh yeah, no doubt, man. No doubt. <clears throat> okay, cool. My number ten. Uh, I know you crammed a little bit late to the game. One of our good friends, I believe, covered it on his show. That, of course, is Scott Clickers. Uh, it's a director that I think he's really, really gone two for two. His first film really shook both of us. Um, quite a bit. It shook a lot of people to the core. Uh, true crime case from Australia. Oh, yeah. This film is uh, something that's been done many times. It's been riffed on countless times uh, through the ages um, by many directors. It's uh, Justin Kurtzell's Macbeth. Oh. Um, this film <clears throat> was just tremendous to me. I wanted to see it at TIFF, but, uh, you know, I bit of a lunkhead and I just I, I knew that they they spoke in um, the dialogue they spoke in was was true to the text and I didn't know how dense I was going to find that um, I can say this uh, as much as I love the and I think something sometimes get lost in translation seeing something like that on the screen versus the theater um, but Kurtzell has taken something really fascinating uh, and completely well I mean it's still very violent certainly and very dark but the turn he took with this versus Snowtown Murders uh, is really fascinating. And I got to say, I think this is one of the best looking films I saw all year. I agree with you. Oh, my gosh. And you get past how beautiful it is. And, you know, you keep hearing about uh, The Revenant and this film and that film and how great they look. And they, they look fantastic. There's no taking that away from them. But I always, I always kind of get bummed out at films that can run with those films, but they just they don't. The zeitgeist isn't there for them. And uh, I think that's a shame because you got, for my money, maybe the best working male actor and best working female actor in the world today uh, in the leads. Michael Fassbender's Macbeth, Marianne Cotillard as Lady Macbeth. You get a supporting cast with Patty Considine, uh, uh, David Doolis. You get uh, Sean, uh, what's his name, he always plays a scumbag, Sean Harris. Yeah, yeah. Duff. <laughs> yeah. 
He's good in the movie. He's real good. He's real good in the film. I should say this made my list. It just didn't make my top ten. Okay, cool. Um, but, yeah, this film really knocked me out. I thought it was beautiful. I think as much as I've seen the material in so many different forms, this to me is the one now. It's it's tremendous. I'm, I know that Kurtzell is doing Assassin's Creed next with uh, – With Fassbender yeah, again, yeah. Fassbender and Cotillard, which I got to say I was a bit disappointed in him, but we'll see. I mean, it could be good. <clears throat> we don't know. Yeah, I don't want to judge, especially considering he's really, really knocked out of the park the two previous times. So I, I shouldn't bet against him in the home run derby. So I mean, I hope it, I hope it makes a lot of money for him, so he can make what he wants to make. Because yes. I think he's a super interesting filmmaker. Gosh, he's good. He's real talented. Yeah. So yeah, that's. Uh, I should say uh, just uh, just I did some little research here. I actually looked at my phone to. I don't feel bad. I feel bad if I don't say the director's name, but the director of uh, was Russian Woodpecker, Chad Garcia. Chad Garcia. Oh, was it an American that made the film? I don't know if he's American, but I would assume he might be. <laughs> hmm. Interesting. But I want to make sure I mention the, the name of the director. At yeah, least I sure. try to do that every time I can. <laughs> okay, excellent. What do we got at uh, number nine? Uh, nine. Uh, <clears throat> another uh, documentary. I know you're. I know you're stunned by this uh, <laughs> development. Do you know how many you have on your list? Uh, I don't want to say yet. I'll, I'll, we'll wait till we're done, and then we'll kind of go through and see how many I actually had. Because I didn't really – actually, you know what? I haven't even counted. But okay. I'll, I'll look here in a few. Cool. I'm just looking through right now, though, and it's – It's Doc it, Heavy. It, 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 it's, it might be the Doc – it might be my Doc Heaviest year. Nice. might be. Um, again, unless you played Koi Roy with me on a couple things, I think a couple things we'll agree on. But uh, we'll see. Like I said, we well, we should say this. I don't know if we did say this. We – for the listeners, if this is your first time listening to the Top 30 show, we like to play games with each other, head games. Yes, and, uh, about the games and how you play it. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> we uh, we sometimes will say we didn't really care for something. Next thing I know, one of us will say, hey, it was my number two of the year. Flipping <laughs> so, so we like to, you know, we do that because, you know, we talk to each other often. Although we haven't talked to each other much over the last three weeks, but we talk to each other often and... Um, you know, we don't want to we don't want to play our hand because we love the you know, we love to surprise each other as much as anything. So, yes. <laughs> All right. Uh, my number nine is a film uh, from Nick Broomfield, uh, documentary filmmaker. You guys might be aware of him. He kind of walks around with headphones and a microphone all the time. Uh, he made Kurt and Courtney and a few other films, a uh, film on uh, Eileen Wernos, I believe her name was. This one's called Tales of the Grim Sleeper. Oh, I didn't see this. This is about uh, a serial killer that was uh, active in <clears throat> South Central Los Angeles. Yes, I remember you talking about this, and it sounded yeah. amazing. Man, you yeah. were low-key, though. You were like, oh, it's pretty good, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah, well, I thought about it more and more. I actually ended up re-watching it last year. I watched it twice last year oh, because wow. I thought, man, there was something about that movie. Why didn't I like that more? So I ended up re-watching it, and then on the rewatch, it really jumped because it's really just a fascinating story of um, poverty – uh, you know, it, it seems law enforcement looked the other way because South Central Los Angeles is a rough area. Uh, and a lot of these women that uh, this individual may have taken advantage of, and he's on trial now. The trial's active now. Right oh, now. wow. Going on. Uh, that, you know, it was overlooked because it was, you know, hookers and think, the, the age-old problem. Marginalized you know, people. Yeah. People that live on the fringes, sometimes, you know, law enforcement or political wannabes don't really don't really care about those folks it seems uh i'm not gonna say yes or yay or nay i know where i stand on that but i'll just say it doesn't seem like sometimes they care and it's a pretty fascinating story about uh the city of los angeles itself and uh it's it's worth a watch it's it, it I should be warned it's it's not the lightest material uh, i mean we are talking about a killer here and a terrible person so um uh, 
yeah, it's it, it's pretty rough in spots, but it's well worth a watch. And it gives you a real good look into what South Central Los Angeles is like today. I think a lot of people still think it's like it was in Boys in the Hood. No. Uh, it's not like that quite. No. Uh, it really is fascinating to see the culture um, and to see how it how this, like I said, some people felt they knew, but they just kind of looked past it. And it was it's it's pretty amazing, and, and you know it's it's definitely a study into the human condition. It's it's fascinating stuff. So did these killings happen in the two thousands or? Uh, they've happened. It seemed like he was active early, and then he stopped, and then he got he reactivated. Oh boy. Uh, seems like he couldn't stop. You know, he, he stopped for a while, I think, because he almost got caught, maybe or something. But uh, I don't believe his name was Rodney. I can't remember his last name. But he. Uh, it seems like he started and then and stopped and then started again. And then when he started again, he really kind of went for it. And they think, you know, they claim he could have killed as many as 70 people. Oh my goodness. 70 women. Only one survived. All um, women, eh? Oh boy. Yeah. So <clears throat> he, they, but I think he's on trial for 10, but, uh, that's ones they can lock down, I think. But, uh, they think he killed way more than that. So pretty, pretty grim stuff to say the least. I mean, I guess no you know, that's why they call him the grim sleeper, but yeah. it's, uh, it's uh, it's pretty, you know. I mean, again, it's it's not the kind of material you sit around and say, hey, you know, uh, my wife's Party parents tonight. are coming over. Let's let's make some popcorn. Yeah. But at the same time, if you want to look and and I'm always fascinated looking into cultures, even subcultures within America itself. And obviously, I don't live in South Central LA. I've been there, uh, been through there. So it's it's pretty fascinating. But this is a kind of a deeper look into what some of these people have to do to survive. So uh, well, pretty fascinating. Definitely check it out. It's good. Yep. It might be apples and oranges, but to give people a barometer, again, talking about zeitgeist, would you say this, and again, the length is substantially different, would you say this is um, on par quality-wise with um, Making a Murderer? Uh, well, it's better in a lot of ways because nice. it tells its complete story within that hour and a half, hour mm-hmm. and 40 minutes, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I like Making a Murderer. Uh, it's a really good series. Um, but uh, like after like episode five or so, it really starts to – it feels like it starts to get become a lot of padding. Sure. Uh, but it's really super fascinating, like the first three or four hours. And sometimes these things can be – you know, these kind of documentaries can be very interesting if they're taught. Well, Broomfeld, he, he, like I said, I've liked his other films. Uh, He's the a Warner's pro. Film. Yeah, and the, uh, the Kirk Gordon film. Line. Yeah. Yeah, and he did it. He did another one, too. I can't remember who else. Uh, did he do the Biggie and Tupac one? Did he yeah. do that one? Yeah. yeah, he did. That's right. So he's always kind of fascinated by, it seems, uh, either serial killers or dark, stuff. dark celebrity kind of maybes. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. you could call that exploitation, but I don't really think so. I think he's just fascinated by what makes these people tick. Because, I mean, I'm fascinated by it. i got to be honest with you. I mean, I, I can never hurt anybody. I could barely, you know, I can barely get angry at people. Uh, so... It's just not in my nature, but uh, so I am fascinated by how anybody could do this to any other living person. It, uh, I just don't have that in me, so I do find it interesting, and I guess he does too, and that's why he does it. But you know, again, I've been lucky. I've you know grown up uh, pretty well taken care of. I would say uh, you know not the greatest life childhood, but safe. At least felt safe most of the time, and you know I've been lucky. I didn't have to scrap and scrabble and survive and and do all that kind of stuff. So. It's interesting when you think about the way other people come up and survival and, and what they have to do and where they end up in life. It's 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 that's the scary part for me. And the thing that turns fascinating is 
how did how did it come to this? You know, where 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 what went wrong to become That's this? That's right. Because you, know? you know, I don't think anybody's born. Well, I'd like to believe nobody is born that cold. Or at the very least, a number of people that come on to be that or turn that monstrous. I would say a good percentage of them weren't born that way. Some maybe, yeah. but most yeah. of them no. I mean, that's obviously an age-old question: is you know, is evil inherent, or is, you know, is it you know, is it possible for it to be that way? Are you born a psychopath? I don't know. Uh, that that'll probably be a question forever. But I got to believe, you know, that. And of course, you know, having kids, you know, you think about these things because you know, as you know, having kids, me and you both talk about this. You don't want to mess up. I mean, inevitably, you're going to do some things wrong because you're a human being, but you don't want to mess up because you're always afraid, you know, what, what could go wrong and turn into this, you know, terrible ordeal. So anyway, that's a whole other uh, can of worms I don't even want to get into. But no, uh, I think Broomfeld's is fascinated with the darker side of, uh, of humanity, which uh, isn't a bad thing. I mean, I think he, he, he does his films tasteful. He doesn't... Uh, you know, it's not tasteless exploitation, and he doesn't overshow things. I think he shows just enough. And the way he's interacts, he, he does probably interaction with his subject because he's on film a lot. He's on, you know, he'll carry around his big microphone and his headphones mm-hmm. uh, all the time. Uh, he interacts with people correctly. I think he doesn't judge. He just kind of, you know, observational, kind of yeah. 70s and 80s documentary style versus yeah. injecting yeah. his personality in as yeah. much. Yeah, he doesn't. You know, it's not like he's a fan of this material. Like he just wants to know how, how this happens, and mm-hmm. he wants to share that. He wants to share that with people who might be interested in how this happens. So that's right. It's kind of interesting to watch this Englishman walk around South Central Los Angeles. Let me tell you, they they don't really want him there in the film. So yeah, so very interesting. Yeah, you should definitely check it out. It's really good. But uh, you know, it's probably not audience material. No, no. My wife might like. She likes true crime stuff. But I look at some of the early stuff Broomfield did. Um, just really varied, like uh, Soldier Girls, 1981 documentary about you know some American women who didn't have a lot of prospects enter the army. Fetishes, 96. Yeah. Um, he talks about the former South African leader, his big white self. Chicken Ranch about a uh, brothel in Nevada. Ghosts about a. Chinese woman who was smuggled into uh, the UK. So lots of interesting things being said by Broomfield. So. Yeah. Good yeah anytime, he, anytime he's got a new film coming out, I'm always interested because he's got a certain style and he's uh, he's definitely one of my favorite documentary filmmakers. Yeah, no doubt, man. Okay. My number nine, I know you saw. Yeah, but um, did I see it and did I like it? Oh, I'm sure you loved it. And I would bet so far as to say that this is in your top ten. Oh man, he's, he's throwing down already. I'm throwing down, I'm zipping the fly, man, landing on the table. I think that this, I think you and I both, um, this is definitely not. There's a lot of areas we agree on. Certainly, some float your boat more or float my boat more. But I think this is the kind of film that both of us really uh, get a boner for because I think we admire the labor of love that goes into making films like this, the scope, the vision, the ambition. Um, this is a film that really, uh, you saw it before I did and, uh, I'd been circling around it, but I kept mixing it up with another similarly titled film, uh, this year. And it's uh, Russian and the Russian oh, yeah. title is Trudno Biet Bogum. And it is a challenging film. It's three hours long, and if you don't know by now, I'm sure you do. Uh, it is Alexei German's Hard to Be a God. 
Well, it's good. I'm, I'm kind of glad that this is where it's at on your list because this is actually my number eight. Oh, nice. Okay, cool. I knew it'd be somewhere so in the can, top ten. We, we can kind of talk about this, and then we nice. can move on to your number eight. Yeah, so cool, cool. Yeah, you saw this first. I kept mixing this up with White God about the dogs and everything. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm glad you like this because I didn't know. I mean, we haven't really talked since you watched it. We no. haven't talked personally. So I didn't know how you felt about it because this is probably the most challenging film I've seen in like the last 10 years. <laughs> it is. It, it, it's a very challenging film. It feels like, and I think I'd asked you or someone, but when I kept thinking about this film, I kept thinking about filmmakers like Bellatar and um, Tarkovsky and stuff, just filmmakers that really had a discipline and a, a strict vision that they were going to, they were going to go down with the ship with if they had to. And for, we should say for people that don't know German died at some point in the making of the film and his wife and son completed it. Right. Yes, yes. I don't know if he died. I think he made it through the shooting. I think and post-production? Okay. Yeah, I think okay. he died during the editing, yeah. Sure. But uh, what a film. I mean, like this uh, labor of love. How, how long did he, he made this for over the course of a number of years, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He worked on it for a real long time. And it's uh, it's one of the most visually, for a black and white film, it's, it's amazing. I mean, it's one of the most original looking films I think I've seen. Uh, well, in a while, I mean, I can't think of, you know, I mean, it kind of hit me in the face, kind of like the first time I saw a, a Gaspar Noé film or something. Yeah. I mean, it's nothing like that. No, but in terms of visually stunning, challenging, ambitious. And it's probably one of the grossest movies I've oh. ever seen. <laughs> you know what this film, I think the way, I, the, the vibe I got from this film, and I think even my kids walked into a few parts, thankfully during nothing too gross, but um, yeah. this reminded <laughs> me of a really gross foul-smelling, mucky Marquette Lazarova, which to me is one of the most stunning Eastern Bloc films I've ever seen. I have the Criterion Blu-ray, and I highly recommend it. But that's what this reminded me of. It just It's such a unique... And, and this is one of the reasons I love film, is it's to see the, his vision on screen. And I think he, you got to be proud of this work. Like, what a film. I mean, if he does nothing else... Well, not, unfortunately, not, not to make a morbid unfortunately, joke. Unfortunately, he won't be doing anything, he won't else, do anything like else. But if this was all he had have made, I think he can hold his head high to know that he's made a real contribution to film with this yeah. film. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty amazing. I mean, when I think of this movie, the first thing that comes to mind is the amount of mud. Mud and farts and snot and spit and shit. I, I think oh, about it's... how awful it must have smelled. Yeah, yeah, I, I think it just would have been gross uh, just being on the set. But there's also some really there's some interesting commentary going on too. Oh, like time. there's a lot of fourth wall breaking going yeah. on. Yeah, it's really all over it, the place. It's bending cinema rules. It's shaping its own rules. It 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 just throws kind of everything out the window and conforms to only what it wants to conform to. It doesn't adhere to anything else. Yeah, that's what I, I think when I watched it. I think I posted that I said I don't think I've ever seen a film like this ever. Mm-hmm. And I still don't think I have. I, I, I've tried to think of anything I can compare it to. I can compare it to maybe some other Russian films, but and we've talked before about Russia and how kind of unique Russian filmmakers tend to be, mm-hmm. uh, or definitely Eastern Bloc filmmakers in particular. There seems yeah, to be Czechs a, and yeah, Polish. There seems to be a type of filmmaking there that's, I mean, it's admired, but it's never really talked about in the same breath as you know the French filmmakers or the. Uh, or uh, the you know European filmmakers, Italian filmmakers. You know, of course, that's a different breed. But I mean, you know, they'll talk about Tarkovsky and they'll talk about uh, Eisenstein and people like that. But there's a lot of Russian filmmakers that maybe 
because of resources or whatnot, or maybe because of distribution. Accessibility, of of yeah, <laughs> number of things. But yeah, it just popped not- up on iTunes. I remember somebody had said they had seen it, and then someone they were talking about it on another podcast. They said that it was on iTunes, and I was like, oh shit! I've been wanting to see this for a long time. People have been talking about this at festivals and things, and yeah, I wanted to see it. So it was daunting to jump into, and I knew you were thinking the same thing because I mean, it is three hours. It's black and white. It's Russian. It is a it's, it is an art film. It is not a uh, it's not a blockbuster. No, it's and uh, we got to give credit to Joe because Joe, our pal Joe, uh, called it and said that this was going to be in both of our top ten lists this year. Yeah. <laughs> I tried to, yeah, little did he know they'd only be one number apart. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Because I didn't know either. Because like I said, I didn't, I hadn't, asked, I hadn't talked to you since you've seen it. No, and I know this is one of those movies that could go either way. <laughs> well, yeah, you could. You could be totally turned off by this film. You could just be like, enough, oh. enough. I get. That's what I said. Well, I remember when I talked about. It, I said, you know, some people. I'm telling you, I recommend this movie, and, and you're going to hate me if you watch like 20 minutes of it. You're going to hate me. Oh, dude, absolutely. <laughs> it is rigorous. It's an. an I don't want to say an endurance test because I feel like he's above trying to. I don't think he his intent was to challenge the viewer so much as it was. He was not going to pay any mind to the viewer and was just going to make what he wanted to make. It was a purity of vision versus making concessions to his art for the sake of it. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I, I think he, he made what he wanted to make. Yeah, to hell It was a once-in-a-lifetime venture for him, I believe, yeah. and he got to make what he wanted to make. Unfortunately, he passed away before he could finish it, but I think he you know, achieved it, at least you know, in some way, shape, or form. Uh, obviously, we'll never know because we'll never be able to talk to him about it. But uh, I think he achieved what he set out to do. Totally. And just brilliant performances, the technical stuff, so many incredible shots that just extend for really long times, man. It, it's, yeah, I, I, you know, I'd love to work on a movie set, but this is one movie set I wouldn't want to work on. Oh, no, I know. <laughs> the rain, the mud. People pissing, oh. shitting out of windows. You know I like to do lunch with moms. This was one I wasn't going to watch with moms. I didn't know where, you know, I watched some awkward shit with my mom when I was cramming this year, but this was one I thought there's going to be a lot of cock. There's going to be maybe some, like, muddy vag. I just, I can't get down with this yeah. with my mom. Well, we should say, I mean, the film basically is looking at an alternate reality where people, the kind of the uh, the renaissance never happened. It never happened, so people are stuck in kind of the dark ages. and Yeah, people are stuck in the dark ages, so people don't really furtherly, further, furtherly, further, further, <laughs> it sounds like I'm on that planet right now. <laughs> they, they, they no longer educate themselves. No, they, they don't, don't aspire to higher education. Yeah, so they're kind of stuck in a survival mode in this kind of dark ages. The Thunderdome or something. <laughs> yeah, it's, like, well, it's much worse than the Thunderdome, i tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I'd rather be stuck in the middle of the desert with Tina Turner as my as my Lord and Savior than uh, stuck in the hard to be God world, man. That's yeah. muddy. I mean, you, the mud is like is like a foot thick. I don't even know how they're walking around in that stuff. Oh, so many boots were lost filming that film. <laughs> yeah, you know, so many people lost their socks like behind the scenes. <laughs> how about that chair? Oh yeah, one of my favorite scenes in the movie. There's a scene where a guy can't urinate. Yeah. And he hits him in the side and the kidneys, and when he relieves himself, I almost felt like I was being relieved. Yeah, I know. I know. Because <laughs> it was so painful watching this guy trying to urinate. Yeah, it's it's something else, man. It, you can love this film. You can hate this film. You won't see too many things like it, though. You you'll never forget it. Yeah, it you'll never forget it. got to give it up to someone who can do that to you. In this day and age, how much film we all consume, three, four, five hundred films a year, year in, year out. And this is going to stick with you. So, 
Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that was that was my number eight. So I'll, I'll let you go ahead and do your number eight. But yeah, I'm glad you liked it because I really liked it as well. Yeah, fantastic film. I want to buy the blue. I want to see it on a big screen. I don't know if they shot it in 70 mil. I'd love to see this on a huge screen with my dad, and he'd be like, "Just jaw on the floor. What did you take me to see?" You know, because <laughs> yeah. he's cool. I mean, like I've often said, you know, I, I'm I'm indebted to him for my love of film. But I've shown him like Holy Mountain and things like that, and <laughs> kind of melted his brain. And I don't know why this one would really flip his lid. So. Yeah, yeah, this one, this one will. It's it's nothing like Holy Mountain, but it no, will definitely our wives would, would hate this. Film. Both of our wives. This film. Oh yeah, my wife would probably hate stills from this film. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like uh, television or something. I have a feeling, and I, I might be speaking out of turn, but I love the guy, and he knows I love him. But like our friend Jay, I don't think he would like this film. <laughs> no, I don't think so. No, I don't think Jake must hate this film too. Oh, you know, Joe McLaurin's huge? Oh, yeah, he would hate it. This is not a J.K. Pooh film. No, no, no way. It is a CDR film. It's totally a, C- totally a CDR film. <laughs> it's definitely a CDR. Two are different ends of the spectrum right there. You can see that, that the Cold Muscle are friends there. That's CDR. I think he does love this, or he likes it a lot. I know that. Totally. I think he saw it. But Jake doesn't suffer. pretentious <laughs> 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 Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, he wields a hammer, cinematic uh, critical hammer, like he wields a beard, man. <laughs> yeah, the Grizzly Adams. Yeah, that's right. Um, my number eight. All right, so I'll let you jump into number eight. Yeah, I'm on. My number eight uh, is in cemetery, Sam territory, Sammy territory. Uh, it's a documentary. And, nice. And uh, this was one that... You know, I'd heard a little bit of buzz. It, it seemed to be Critical Darling. A lot of people had seen it and really loved it. I was kind of on the fence about whether I was going to cram it or not. But I think if memory serves, and it doesn't always serve, the length was good. It was a time when I had X amount of time. And I thought, okay, well, let's uh, let's see what we can do here. Um, let me check the runtime. I think it's just about two hours. Let me check. Of course, no, I can't. Oh, yeah, 103 minutes, so that works out. Um, it's it's not as profound as maybe some other documentary. Well, I guess in some ways it is. I'm kind of talking myself in circles here. On the surface, this may not seem to be as profound as some other films like um, – or, or documentaries, I should say, like uh, was it Look of Silence or you know a few others. But this really resonated with me. I think it was a beautiful film and a beautiful look at someone I consider to be an artist – and I know you really like this one, and, and it might be in your top 10. If not, I'm confident it's in your top 30. I would even say I'd, I'd be confident it's in your top 20. Um, it's Listen to Me, Marlon. Oh, I, I didn't get a chance to watch it all. Whoa, oh, no way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I can tell you that I, I watched uh, 30 minutes of it. What happened was it, it's, it was uh, it was bought up by Showtime, okay? Yeah. And Showtime had a free weekend on Hulu, and I didn't know it was a free weekend, okay? Yeah. So I started watching Listen to Me, Marlon on Hulu. And I watched like 30, 45 minutes of it. And I got to tell you, if the rest of it's as good as the first 30 or 45, yes, it would have been in my top 10. And I'm sure it is. It because is. Because it was fascinating. Uh, I can't support you at least half of the film. Yes. I, I didn't put it on my list, though, because it didn't qualify. That's fair. No, that's totally fair. But Marlon Brando, easily one of the most fascinating people that's ever walked the face of the earth. And yes. to listen to him talk about his life and the way the film's put together and stuff. Uh, I, I didn't see the whole thing. Like I said, I only saw 30 or 40 minutes of it. But, it was, but anyway, that free weekend... It expired, didn't know it, and I was like crushed. Ugh. But I couldn't get it in. And it's it's not. It unfortunately, Showtime has the rights to it right now. And they're just, you know, I don't want to subscribe to Showtime just to watch it. So. No, no, exactly. 
but this this what a documentary. I mean, it was just a beautiful film. Marlon Brando has been called a lot of things in his life. He's it's well known, well documented. We've even joked about how difficult he's been at points in his career. And I think this does a wonderful job illuminating his life uh, from childhood, his motivations, his fears, just everything. It becomes so illuminated, and it's just a beautiful portrait of of an incredible artist. You know, someone that you know, you take him or leave him. There hasn't been too many that have influenced film uh, from an acting standpoint the way he has. Uh, yeah, it's true. And just the tragedy in his life. You know, for those that don't know, Stephen Riley, um, and I guess the other people involved in the, the, this film, this documentary, had access to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours of audio document audio recordings he had made over his life, and I guess these must have been things that either they were therapeutic for him, was there some catharsis with him recounting things if he intended them for his children? I don't know all of the backstory for this. Um, I hope this gets a like a you know a proper physical media release at some point. Maybe it already has. I don't know, but uh, doesn't sound like it is. But um, yeah, this is a, just a, a beautiful. It really moved me when I saw this. I, that's the biggest thing I took away from this was how moving I found it and how honest uh, it was. Because we know Brando to be guarded, and this was him completely unguarded and talking about his daughter and his. He talks about his parents it, and how you know his upbringing was not optimal. No, definitely not optimal. And uh, it re- I read his biography, so I knew quite a bit of the material anyway. But I, I think this movie has a great haunting quality. I remember they show a lot of the house he lived in. Yeah, they do in Nebraska and stuff. And yeah. even when he was in Tahiti, and it does a great job. Kudos to the editor, man. I got to give it up to the editor <laughs> because the way they were able to weave so much of the audio with kind of tr- some travelogue footage and just home video stuff that he had shot and just film footage and just weaves into this beautiful tapestry of this man's life and fears. And, and uh, yeah, kudos to them. And this is really a, a, an amazing documentary. So, yeah, it's an interesting thing too. I mean, you can see that, uh, you know, Marlon Brando, the big joke of Marlon Brando has always been his weight. And you can see that the reason he may have had the appetite he had is because, you know, he didn't do alcohol really. No, he was. He, he didn't really. He he wasn't really big on drugs. He tried drugs a little bit, but food was his thing. He loved, like Orson Welles, food was his thing. Yeah, and I think he said. I think he even says that he ate for sort of therapeutic reasons. Like it. Yeah, yeah, he does. He, he addresses it in there. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, there's there's a great quote from uh, Orson Welles, or a great in a book. I can't remember what book it is, but uh, that I read about Orson Welles, and they said that they would, you know, they'd go <laughs> see him. And he'd always be staying in hotels or something, you know, toward the end of his life. And they go see him, and there'd always be, you know, bags and bags and bags of McDonald's, Burger King, all these things. And, you know, he would eat, you know, if he he got that food, he'd get, you know, he'd eat, you know, I, I can maybe eat a couple Whoppers at my highest. But, I mean, he'd eat like five or six or seven of uh, these it. things. And people would talk to him, and he'd say, do you think I want to live like this? You know, it was a total addiction for him. Like, he couldn't, you know, he couldn't stop. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, this, it, 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 it's just like anything else. It was satisfying a part of his brain. So, you, Brando does address that, which I find fascinating, because... Sadly, in our cruel world, uh, you know that was that became the big joke. But of jokes, and and I'll say one more thing, and then I'll jump off this. But I can tell you, watching it, and I think you'd said that we'd said sort the same thing to each other. Like, I couldn't look away. I was just riveted and hanging on to every word. I don't think the cameras loved too many people more than him, and because That's I think 
there's such a That's depth right. of emotion to what he's saying that it it doubly kind of pulls you in and you just you're just transfixed and looking at him and listening to what he's saying and, and bearing his soul and it, it, there's really something wonderful about that. Yeah, for good or bad, Brando changed just about everything about movie yeah. acting. So, he was the original script flipper. <laughs> yeah, man, he really he really yeah. did. He changed just about everything. So Burger flipper. He too, tried, so. He, you know, he tried to walk the line like some people do. You know, he, he did a few studios. You know, he did Guys and Dolls, and he did some other yeah, yeah, things. Right. But, but I mean, the, you're right. I mean, sometimes there's there's no explanation for talent plus the camera loving you, and he just happens to be one of those guys who, I mean, he just changed the way. Everybody looked at acting. After Brando, nobody acted the same ever again. No, man. It changed the game in a big way. Changed the game. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> He's a catalyst. Yes. Brando. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure to check that out. I don't know if I'll – I mean, like I said, I saw the like first 40 minutes of it, and I loved it. So I'm, I'm, I'm sure I'll love the rest of it. So I'll let you know when I get around to it. All right. So my next one is, you would think, my last documentary on my top ten. But no, there's two more. Okay. <laughs> but this one is uh, one that just popped up on Netflix, so some people are checking it out now, and I'm really happy about that. Uh, this one's called Finders Keepers. Oh, yeah, man. I mean, you kind of subtly told me to check it out. Fuck. I yeah, Brian Carberry and Clay Tweel mm-hmm. directed this. This is a fascinating story. This is almost Jerry Springer-esque. A guy buys a, a storage unit, like on like one of these storage wars type things. He buys a storage unit. He gets a grill out of there. He opens the grill, and there's a amputated leg from the knee down inside the grill an actual amputated leg. I mean, it's been in there for some time and it's, you know, it's actually greasy from the cholesterol. Ugh, it's, gross. I know it's gross. I know, but he's like so proud of this fact that he found this leg. And of course he's a small town from that way down South. The guy sounds like Billy Bob Thornton in uh sling blade. The guy mm-hmm. finds it. And he grew up with this guy who happens to, he did, he grew up best friends, but he grew up and knew of this guy who kind of had everything growing up. Um, uh, uh, it ended up being his storage locker, ended up being his leg. And, you know, he, he was the kid that everybody growing up had everything. And this other guy that finds the leg, he was the guy that grew up and had to, you know, he had to, you know, he had to scrap and save and everything else to get by in life. And he's always trying to, you know, he, he, he obviously is a bit narcissistic. He wants fame and things like that. So he kind of uses the leg for a little bit of that and gets his 15 minutes. But, but, the, but the real interesting story is the guy with the the amputated leg. He's the fascinating, really, really one of the more fascinating parts about it because it kind of ties into some family tragedy and some other things. Um, so it gets really personal, and it becomes quite a fascinating story. It becomes, becomes more than just a guy buys a storage unit and finds a leg. It becomes more than that. So. <laughs> It just I mean, shows that's, such that's a truth stranger than fiction, man. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a great way to get you in the door, but it it's a, it becomes much more than that, and you know, kind of our celebrity obsessed culture, uh, and then it kind of gets into some of the other things that you know we take for granted, such as family, and uh, just there's some real heartfelt moments in the film. I mean, I teared up a few times. I mean, it, it got a little rough at times. Oh so, man, uh, some really good stuff in here. But yeah, check it out, man. It's on Netflix Instant in the states. Uh, I'm sure it's out there in other places, but um, people should definitely be looking at it because it's it's a short one too. It's only like 84 minutes, but it's a solid and riveting 84 minutes. It's the same thing you said about the Marlon Brando one. I could, I could not look away. These pe- these two guys were just too fascinating to me. That's awesome. Yeah, the guy wanted his leg back. I mean, I guess for obvious reasons you'd want your leg back. It's weird that he would save it to begin with. I mean, I, don't, I know, but I don't know, man. I mean, if I had something amputated, you know, God forbid, if I had something amputated, would I keep it? I don't know. 
I would not keep it. That's for sure, man. I don't know. It's so weird, though. I mean, I mean, you think about it, though. If you like get your hand amputated, do you want to? Do you want to? I don't know. Oh, it's I like, thought you meant if I found something amputated. Sir. No, 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 no. If you found something it's amputated, like, I, I, I know what I'd mean. Like, Whoa, get this thing away from me. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I'm gonna barf. Yeah, I'm, but I, but I, but I mean, oh, unless it's an ear, and I'm in a small town, and uh, Isabella Rossellini's walking around half naked. No, yeah. No, but the. If it's mine, I, I, I wonder, psychologically, I think to myself, would I want to keep that? Like, would, would that be something I'd want to look back at? You know, my foot or my hand or my ear, you know, and making light of the situation. But, you know, we might have amputees that listen to the show. I'd be curious psychologically, you know, if that helps them. Because, I mean, I, I could see where it could. Yeah, yeah. There's. I mean, the- we, we, we all hang on to things that only <laughs> make sense to us, right? Mm-hmm. No, for sure. So surely hanging on to a finger or, you know, something, I mean, that that would be important for some folks, I guess. Mm-hmm. Just a fascinating thing that he would keep it. And not only that, that he would put it in a barbecue in a storage locker and forget to pay it. Oh, my gosh, I know. You would think the one thing he wouldn't forget to pay is the storage locker where his, his leg is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's a bit of comedy to it, too, as well. It's just because it's so, it's so ridiculous. Like, like you said, it's just... It's just such a crazy stranger than fiction type story, but it actually is quite poignant. Uh, so uh, it's a more serious film than you would think from the, the uh, plot. So definitely check it out. Excellent. Excellent. Okay, my number seven is uh, the first, but certainly not the last, French film on my list. Well, this is a film I don't. I, I'm, I'm almost. I, I would say I'm pretty confident you didn't see, and I think it's criminal that you didn't get get a chance to see it because of accessibility. Because I think this is one that I I promise you would be in your top twenty. This film really moved me, and it's the kind of film because I had to kind of play my cards close to the vest. I couldn't get on the mountaintop and sing its praises like I wanted to. I was trying to save some juice for the show. But it's one of those films that now I get the chance to champion, and I'm going to champion it because I adore this film uh, so much. And I, I know it would speak to you. I think Paul Hughes saw it on my recommendation, and he really loved it. And um, I implore everyone to check it out, especially if you like the Darden brothers, because this is that very much that sort of neo-realist kitchen sink slice of life stuff. Um, that's when, when done well, just I think can can hit you as profoundly as the, the poetic works of. Um, Carlos Regatis or Terrence Malick, and it's um, uh, Stéphane Brise's The Measure of a Man. Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember you watching this. <clears throat> with Vincent Lindon. You're going to watch Lindon in this film, and you're just, you're going to fall in love with his face, uh, the the lines in his face. Um, it, it's such an incredible performance. Chris, another film of his that I that was in my top 30, again, he's become one of my, my favorite actors over the past three or four years, was Claire Denise Bastards from last year. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. Did you did you end up seeing that one? I never, I never did. No, I never. <laughs> that was a seen tough it. watch, but he's the lead in that, and he's amazing in that. Yeah. Um, but in this film, they put him, I think, almost exclusively with with not actors. The whole crux of the film, if you've seen even Two Days One Night, the Dardenne Brothers, kind of a similar situation where you have this fifty one year old man. He has a special needs son who's a teenager. And his wife, and he gets laid off from the factory. Mm. And how he's going to make ends meet. And it doesn't go to fantastical lengths. It's all quiet uh, situations that are just soul-crushing without being fantastical. Uh, Or there's moments of, of just quiet grace and humanity in this film. 
It really moved me, man. This film really affected me. And I know he won the Best Actor at uh, the Cannes Film Festival, and he won the Caesar for France, which is their Oscars for Best Actor. I'm really confident you would love this film. There's just so many wonderful moments and just that really resonate. Um, the way they just they just hit home. He goes about trying to sell his this man's life has been built up much like us. You know, he's he's working towards something and he gets to a point now where the bottom is falling out and he has to take a job that frankly is a little bit below where he wants to be. Uh, and there's a bit of an irony to what he has to do and he has to sell like his family's trailer where they've obviously gone in the summertime middle class, you know, go for a lot of breaks in the summer and he's got to sell it and people are trying to undercut him and it, it, man, it, it's just a really great film. I, I can't sing enough praises for it. Again, that's measure of a man. Um, so yeah, I hope everyone checks it out, and you guys will fall in love with uh, Vincent Lindon. He's he's one of the one of the finest actors working that a lot of people talk about, especially as he, at his age, fifty one. He's at that age where he's got a great face, lots of lines in his face, and you know, hairlines back a bit, and deep eyes that are just you know, he can convey a lot with them. So right, right, right. Yeah, I'll take check it out. Like as usual, every year I end up making a list of things that you see that I don't. So we got to remember to post our lists on. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I used to do it on Letterbox last year. I didn't. I don't know why. I just realized I didn't do it last year. <laughs> and of course, I've thrown away my list or lost it or misplaced oh, yeah. it or whatever you want to say. So I have to go back and listen to the show to make my list, and I. <laughs> I'm so lazy. I haven't done that. Of course, that would mean I'd have to listen to myself talk, and you know how I am about that. Oh, so. I know. <laughs> I know. So I don't, you know, that that's too painful. So I'm like, you know, if you want to know what I did, well, this year I'm going to try to post. So what was that last that. documentary with the um, the leg? What was it? Finders Keepers. Finders Keepers, that's right. I think I added it to my Netflix queue after you said you watched it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm yeah, opening a bunch now. of tabs on my, my Google Chrome now <laughs> of all these yeah. films i got to add. I know Mike uh, Wilden <laughs> and a few other folks have uh, watched it since I mentioned that it was on there. So, yeah, I'm hoping more people check it out. Oh, so nice. Everybody seems to like it when they check it out. Nice. Uh, next film is uh, a quiet movie. Maybe the quietest movie on my list, actually. Yeah, easily the quietest movie on my list. Uh, when I say quiet, that means it could be a bit of a chore for some. I know you saw this. I don't remember talking about it with you in any way, shape, or form, but I think you – I don't I – don't, oh, I, I can't say right, right or wrong if you liked it or not because, like I said, I don't – and I don't remember us talking about it. And, uh, yeah, anyway, I'll get into it here. Uh, this is uh, The Treasure Hunter. Oh, nice. Yeah, this is a good one. Yeah, I remember you liked it. Yeah, I remember you did like it because uh, we talked about the uh, the Chinese buffeting. About how that, that the cop, that, sorry, he's really good. He's like one of the brothers. David Zellner directed this, and the Zellner brothers are the guys that worked on this. Yeah, he's really great, and that's a great scene where he's there's a sincerity, but kind of a bumbling, innocent yeah. sincerity, but it's still kind of yeah, it's a yeah. great scene, man. Yeah, they take he takes her there because he doesn't. She's there's Japanese, no but he doesn't really. He's in small town, uh, North Dakota or Minnesota area. He doesn't really know where to take this person. He's hoping if he takes her to the Chinese restaurant, somebody will be able to communicate with her. Uh, again, you know, comical and buffoonery, but also sincere because he doesn't really know what else to do. And he's trying to help her and stuff. And this is this can be a bit of a challenging film, too. I think some people saw it and didn't care for the ending in particular, but I, I, I really liked where it uh, where it went. And the ending was it, fitting. Yeah, it was, it was. Yeah, it was very I thought it was kind of poetic and yeah. it is a little arty in a lot of ways, but it's it's kind of sweet and kind of scary. And uh, you're not in a scary in like in a horror movie type way, but, you know, just in. 
that this person's kind of so lost in what they believe. Um, I found it pretty fascinating. I also found one of the great scenes, my favorite scenes of the year was when the VCR tape goes bad for her. Man. She has to find another copy. It's major. It's a major deal to her. <laughs> and you think about something as not trivial, but in the scope of what we see on film, planets get destroyed. But when she starts racking up that um, company card and you just know the bottom's going to fall out, like you're getting nervous. Like that's the sign of a good filmmaker to be, make you really be on yeah. eggshells over these yeah, like you're distraught for her when her yeah. Fargo disc, her Fargo tape, yeah. I should say, not disc. Yeah, she's goes a, bad. You're like distraught for her. And doesn't she doesn't she end up on a DVD player or something? I think, I I think, she, think she, so. Really, she, so she can freeze frame it even better. I, I believe so. I can't so, remember. Or doesn't the cop show her a DVD or something? I think so. Something like that. I can't yeah. remember. It's been a while since I watched it, but it's really good. And if, for those who don't know, it's essentially the story of a young girl who uh, is obsessed with the movie Fargo. Kind of becomes obsessed with the idea that the money that Steve Buscemi buries at one point in the film, if you've seen Fargo, uh, that it's still there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's, it's such a quaint and weird little idea to make a movie out of, but it, it, is, it, yeah. it, it works. Absolutely. Again, truth is stranger than fiction. No. And it is a very quiet movie. Especially the back end, it gets really kind of, you know, the sound of the snow. And as anybody knows that experiences heavy snowfall, I mean, you do every year or most years that I've known you and uh but we don't here where I'm at but occasionally we do there's a quietness a stillness to heavy snow that is kind of hard to explain but anybody that's experienced it knows what I'm talking about you can almost hear the snow falling yeah there's a beauty yeah it's it's they really capture that toward the end they really capture that really well that kind of quiet uh kind of that kind of just drone of, uh, yes. of a heavy snowfall that this this happens and uh, it's very beautiful, very very pretty to look at. So. That ice scene really had me on the edge of my seat too. Yeah, and of course she's wearing that red uh, kind oh, of hoodie thing. It just looks like great. little Red Riding Hood almost. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's a very poignant film. I, I I'd like to review it sometime on the show. Yeah, it'd be a good review. I think we could get a lot out of it. Um, this is Red Brown. You're listening to Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. My number six is a film that uh, a country that really I think used to, I feel like, at least for my list, it used to churn out a lot more um, quality, quality films. But every year they're still churning out five to ten tremendous ones. And I didn't get to all of their kind of prestige films this year, but... This is one that, you know, people like Nathan and Rufus and a few other people in the group really repped for. <clears throat> and I'd heard some good things, uh, so I wanted to check it out. Uh, it's Soo Jin Lee of South Korea's Hang Gong Ju, which um, I'm going to say might have been... It was definitely one of the hardest films I had to watch all year. Oh. It's a tough go, man. It's a really tough go. Pretty quiet film, uh, based on a real case that happened around the early 2000s. Uh, it was called the Miryang Gang Rape Case of 2004. Um, yeah, it's uh, just some pretty heavy stuff. Um, I, you know what? I might have just... I don't want to say I spoiled it. I think going in, you kind of know some things have happened. But the film takes its time giving us flashbacks, giving us information. We get 
introduced to uh, the titular character, Hang Gong Ju. She's a very quiet, very reserved young woman, uh, high school age. Um, she's, we see she's not living at home. She goes to live with the friend's family and things just seem off and, um, things get pieced together and it's very devastating. It's sort of like irreversible when it goes reverse. It doesn't quite go reverse, but it part, by the time we get the full story, it's probably three quarters of the way through the film. Mm. Tough watch, really well handed. Well handled, um, great lead performance. Um, you know, vulnerable when it needs to be. A bit of a steely reserve when she needs to have it. Uh, her, she does a lot with her eyes. I mean, in the poster for it, you can see her eyes are glassy, and you see she's looking at something. And it, it, it's it's a fucking tough watch, man. And it really it makes you want to just ooh, it just makes you want to go nuts on some of the rotten things that humanity does and. I think it does a good job of criticizing society and how culpable they are in well I think this is this is a global thing and not to go too heavy but um globally a lot of times unfortunately rape situations um you know women victims male or female are made to feel uh, that they can't fess up for you know for certain reasons uh, not wanting to rock the boat uh Cause problems, shame. I mean, a number of things. They're 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 forced to uh, yeah. keep quiet. Yeah. If it's if it's never happened to you, it's most, it's sometimes hard to understand why somebody wouldn't say anything. But it could be any number of reasons. There's there's just a million reasons, and there's a million different people with a million different motivations for yeah. not revealing things. It's a very complicated thing, but it's a tragedy, and this film is a tragedy. Um, but it's one of the best films I saw a year, clearly. I mean, it's my number six film of the year. I, I highly recommend people check it out. Sujin Lee, and I want to give it up, too. Sujin Lee's debut film. Oh, nice. I didn't know that. Feature film. A couple of shorts before this. Man, I mean, it's a heavy hitter out of the blocks. I mean, really good stuff. Hang Gong Ju. Nice. Hopefully, it'll get a release here. Oh, it's good, man. It, it's one of those, you're just going to have a fucking knot in your stomach the whole time. Like, you know, you're Hopefully, it'll pop up show. on... Uh... One of the services, at least, you know. Yeah, absolutely. It, it deserves the attention. All right. My number five. We're halfway there. We're halfway home. Yeah, I'm on. Getting there. I know Loaf is loving it because we opened the show with our top ten. We <laughs> kind of mentioned that uh, Loaf he's, gets a little OCD on us. He can't. He doesn't like the top ten at the beginning. Yeah, exactly. He wants no part of it. <laughs> Which I mean, he might have been the main reason you explained that at the beginning of this. <laughs> anyway. My number five, a uh, film that I saw middle of the year last year, I think. Uh, again, another quiet film, another quiet performance, a reminder that this actor can really act when given the opportunity to uh, kind of to kind of just really show what he can do. Um, this is a very simple film, and it seems like every year, or at least the last two years, uh, this director has managed to get a film in my top ten, but uh, this is Manglehorn from David Gordon. Oh, Green. man, I wanted to see this. Yeah. <sighs> of course, I just love saying Manglehorn thereby. Yeah, we lost our shit when we first heard he was doing a film called Manglethorn. Manglethorn. Manglehorn. <laughs> yeah, Manglehorn. Manglehorn. Uh, so, yeah, this is a really, really quiet film, but it, it has some David Gordon Green touches that only he would provide, and uh, it's got some whimsy to it, which I really like. Uh, Al Pacino is fantastic in the film. It's one of the best performances 
he had he's had in some time. It's another reminder to me that the you know Academy Awards it's all a political gong show. It's because, yeah, there's so many deserving yeah. people that. Yeah, I mean, I get it. I mean, I know Leo, I'm happy for Leo. I'm happy for things like that. But you know, I mean, the, you know, if you read the the press coverage and stuff, I mean, these films are talked about before they even come out. They're already got Oscar buzz, you know, and. And because of that, a lot of these smaller films kind of get overlooked. And of course, Al Pacino's had his moment in the sun, so he's—he's—I'm sure he doesn't really care. But this is one of his better performances. I mean, I'd put it up there. It's probably one of my five favorite performances from Al Pacino. And that's—that's that's saying something. And how is it people like him and Vincent Lindon, you know, pro in the European circuit? How is it guys like this? Just no one in the mainstream hears about them. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think sometimes it happens because, you know, of course, unfortunately for Al Pacino, kind of like similar to what De Niro's going through right now. Yeah. These guys, you know, they kind of muddied the water with their qual- quantity over quality. Oh, man. And uh, because of that, sometimes I think people forget how good these actors are. I mean, they, they're doing a lot of work, and, you know, whether you like it, love it, or hate it, you know, they have a right to work, obviously. I mean, if I had families or expenses, I'd do whatever I could, too. Set my family up for life. Yeah, yeah, you know, I'd definitely do the same thing, especially if people, you know, people offer me $20 million. I mean, it's easy to sit back and say, oh, man, I wouldn't have sold my soul for that. I'm like, yeah, okay, okay, well, you say that, but let's see if somebody was to wave that, you know, wave them greenbacks in your, under your nose. Yeah. But it's good that the, you know, that Al Pacino still loves to act, and this is a great example of him kind of going back and, you know, doing something very non-90s Pacino-esque. I'd say everything from... Like the mid '90s on has been very loud sometimes and kind of over the top, which is fine. I, I can handle that stuff. Uh, I like loud and crazy and over the top sometimes, but uh, it's nice to remember that this was a guy who used to be a very subtle and quiet actor. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we forget. Well, I don't really think we forget because we talk about the Pacino of the '70s, but I yes. think a lot of people forget how kind of uh, subtle. You know, he's a diminutive man anyway. He's only about five feet, five, five foot two, five foot three, and uh, He's a quiet he guy, really you know. That, that short. Yeah. Oh, wow, I didn't realize he was that short. No, he's really short. And then, uh, you know, he, the Michael Corleone character is probably his most known role, but that's a quiet performance, and it's always been yeah. very good. And then, uh, you know, Serpico and all these great performances, cruising. Scarecrow. Yeah, Scarecrow. I mean, there's so many great performances he's had. And even in some bad films, he's been fantastic in. I mean, he's, he's Al Pacino. He's one, of the, he's one of the great actors. Yeah, man. So... You know, I you know I, I I always think about the fact that you know he won the Oscar for Sin of a Woman. I always felt like that was a hey, you know, we appreciate everything you did in the seventies and the eighties yep. and stuff. And we're going to give this to you now because I don't really think that's a great performance. I think it's no. a good performance. I don't think it's a great performance. It's a charming, yeah, that's right. It's a very likable performance. <clears throat> yeah, that's yeah, the that's, thing. That's mostly what it is. But this this is also in that realm though for me. It's very charming, very sweet in its own way. And uh, very interesting. And Holly Hunter's really good in the film, too. She's it's, an it's, underappreciated it's really actress, man. Yeah. It's really, really good, man. I hope more people check it out. You know, it's it's again, it's a quiet movie. Um, but these are the kind of movies I like when David Gordon Green makes these kind of films. I mean, uh, Joe finished like uh, two or three or maybe four last year Joe on my was list. great. And uh, David Gordon Green seems to be getting back to what he, you know, kind of started out as. I mean, he kind of went through that comedy phase, which, you know, that's fine. Everybody got to go through the phase. But... It seems like he's getting back to that kind of small, uh, kind of American kitchen sink drama type stuff. And, Which uh, he's just a master at. I'm so happy. I was going to say I'm so happy he's coming back to this because I think he's one of the great American 
directors the past 20 years or so. I think George Washington, yeah. the great American. Yeah, him and films. Jeff Nichols are yeah, two of the best right now. So Absolutely they are, and I'm really happy to see that as well. Yeah, but definitely check out Mango Hearn. Oh, I was so Bay. close to cramming it. Oh. <laughs> Mango Hearn. Mango Hearn, dear bay. <laughs> Mango my horn for not watching it. Jeez. Oh, well, you know, it, you, you, can't can't, you can't see them all, right? You know, yeah. I mean, just... There's some that have made lists in the year. You know, I still haven't seen 12 Years a Slave. There's some that That's have a, made yeah, lists over the years that I still haven't seen. And yeah. they're readily available for me to see. Yeah. No. I just no. can't bring myself. Yeah. Well, yeah. I know what it is with 12 Years a Slave. It's just sometimes I just, well, I haven't never really been in the mood for a slave movie. It's not like something I want to sit around and watch. So uh, I eventually will get to it. You know, I love the oh, yeah. actors too much and the director I like quite a bit too. So I'll eventually it's, get to it. Yeah, it's, it's an astounding film and worthy of all the acclaim that it got. One of, that was one of the few years I felt like the Academy Awards got it right where Sorrentino with Great Beauty got Best Foreign Film and that got Best Film. So I was I was actually happy uh, with that. But yeah, no, Abe, can't see them all. No, um, can't see them all. Just like Pokemon, can't collect them all. Can't collect them all. You can try. Try to collect Go them all. Go down and try and... Um, <laughs> All right. See, so, that, that's our that's our conundrum anyway. As movie buffs and movie lovers, you know, we we want we want to have everything. We want to have access to not just to see it, but we want to actually have it in our collection too. Yep. <laughs> Anybody that listens to this show, and I know a good chunk of our listeners, and I'll mention some names here: uh, Dean and uh, the Steelbook Master Dean, and then oh, Chris man. Kelly and the, the Blu-ray Viking, and quite a few others. You know, collections are a major deal. You know, I'm proud of mine too. I just don't take too many pictures. As those guys do. <laughs> I'm proud of mine too. Oh wait, did you mean Blu-ray collection? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, like Kelly's full Blu-ray now. He's like, yeah. no DVDs in the Blu-ray room, as right. he says. Segregation, condemnation. <laughs> yeah, he has no time for it, man. And we should say Dean. He don't, we don't. He don't mention him very much on the show, but he is the Steelbook man. Oh, he is. Nobody can compete with Dean in the Steelbook. Sergeant Steelbook. He's he's in it to yeah. win it. He's the man. Yeah, no doubt, man. He's got some industrial. He's got to have some industrial strength shelving, man. He does. Because them, them steel books, man. They can, you know, that many steel books can start to weigh. Dude, that's that's those anchors in those shelves are pulling out. Oh yeah. <laughs> if you're not careful. I love, I love, uh, I, I don't like I said I don't post mine, on, and I'll just be honest. Since I moved, mine are all in a closet. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they, yeah. They've stayed for quite some time because I'm too lazy to organize them. But I, I. There's there's some type of me there's like Blu-ray porn or something there's some type of me that loves looking at pictures of other people's collections so oh yeah please have... people don't stop posting please serious collectors man <laughs> yep <clears throat> so are we in the top five now we're in the nitty gritty yeah yeah I did my five five was Manglehorn for me yeah, so here we go Manglehorn what your number five is well it's right fun. now right now you've you've only surprised me really with uh, well you haven't surprised me but so much I mean well no I, I no yeah I've said you. I can't even speak. I'm kind of like thought a couple of films would be in there by now. So I'm kind of curious what your top five are. You kind of got me perplexed here. Nice. Discombobulated even. Mm-hmm. Um, my number five. It's so funny, you know. It's ironic. It's fitting. Simpatico in a weird way that you mentioned how we both like to say Manglehorn. Because we do. Um, yes, we but do. But there's another name we both like to say quite a bit. <laughs> and this man directed my number five film of the year. And this man guess is... it might be uh, Yorgos? You're right. It is Yorgos Lanthimos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. 
<laughs> Love Yorgos. <laughs> the Yorgi there by Yorgi Bear. Yeah, Yorgi Bear. Yeah, man. Oh, the lobster. What can I say? I was just I didn't get to see this. I was hoping I get oh, I was hoping man. to get this one in. This one was on my cram list. I didn't oh, I could just see you chocolate. It's so good. It's so good. No, it's... I, I I know I'm gonna like it, so I'm not even worried. I mean I'm not even worried about it. I know if I'd have seen it, it'd probably been my top ten. Oh. It's tailor-made for me. It totally is. It. it totally is. It's And speaking of men who had to get the calm, well, not the calm of their system, but I'm glad that um, John C. Riley has gotten, He's you know, he's worked with some really kind of far-out filmmakers lately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He seems to be doing, a, he seems to be like getting away from the, comedy work the for a little while stoner comedy stuff, stuff. yeah yeah he did tale of tales which is you know yeah that's a that's a bizarre choice for yeah. even i mean not for him to be in it but it's bizarre that they cast him i don't know it's like the last person i would think <laughs> he's working with all these that. really cool european filmmakers he he was in um um what's his name uh how has he not worked with the cohen brothers oh it's beyond me i mean he's got a face made for a cohen film yeah well he did um the Tim, what's his name from Tim and Eric that directed the. Oh mix, yeah, what was that? Uh, that? That music video. Um, it's really, it's a great, it's like electro. Fuck, I can't think of what it is. But anyway, he was in that video. The Lobster has an amazing cast. The Lobster was at TIFF. I desperately wanted to see The Lobster. They only had two screenings. And neither screening was when I was off work. Hmm. Um, and we talked about John C. Riley, but Colin Farrell is another one that you and I have always said we love colin farrell he's one of the better he's a, good, he's, he's a great actor he just he's got he's a pretty face right but think i, I think going man, forward great. he'll be one of the great actors yeah he's great when, when the time has come when we've all settled down and got past which we don't blame him for doing cashing some checks while the iron was hot mm-hmm. you know putting his putting his grandkids through Ivy League school. Um, he's got a really good resume, and you know some some whiffs in there, but also a lot of cool stuff and a lot of uh, interesting filmmakers. Some of his whiffs in some people's eyes, you know, Miami Vice, but he gets to work with Michael Mann. Uh, Alexander gets to work uh, with Stone. You know, there's some interesting stuff in there. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's always of, worked with good directors and stuff, and that. Yeah, I think cool. you know talent. If he's working with directors like that, they see something in him too. You know, and. <clears throat> I've liked him ever since Tigerland. I didn't like some of the, I didn't like some of the bigger commercial stuff he's done. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I saw him in uh, what was that horrible bosses? I mean, he was, I couldn't. I, ugh, that but movie was bad. Film. But that's again, you know, film. he doesn't overdo that stuff, and I think he tries to do interesting things every totally every year. He seems to do something interesting. And he seems to have really nailed kind of the art house weird comedy, dark comedy like Seven Psychopaths. Yeah, in Bruges and that stuff. Bruges, yeah, Bruges this. This film, okay, so he's great in it. Um, just, I know this past, I think it was this past year, he was in, considered in, in one of the worst films of the year, supposedly, critically, that oh, Winter's shit. Tale or whatever it was, that Akiva Goldsman film or something like that. Oh, let me click on that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that was supposedly one of the worst films of the year. I don't know. But oof, that's I, Russell Crowe, too. Yeah, yeah, I, did, I, I had no interest in it. It didn't even strike me as interesting. But even my wife didn't find any interest in it. She saw the trailer, she's like, ugh. Yeah, I don't know what that film is, uh, thankfully, I think. <laughs> Uh, I don't think I'll I'll check. I'll be watching that. Yeah, no, not at all. But it's got those two. Okay, uh, we got Leia Seydoux, right? Hot off Blue is the warmest color. She's she's oh, great. Yeah. A great comedian. Sizzling off Blue is the hottest color. Yeah. Yeah, she was good. Um, Rachel Vice again, great, great, great actress that I don't think 
we mention often enough alongside the great actresses. Yeah. One of Sammy's top five beauties working. Oh right man, now. she has got such great comedic timing, and she's wonderful. She's uh, she's so she's, good. Yeah, she shows up in another film on my list too. Um, nice. But man, she's good. This is a great film. It's it's. And I've, Ooh, I know what another film on your list is Ooh, now. I was going to say it. <laughs> you played your card a little bit I there. I did, man. I flipped that over a little bit. Um, he also has, and there's a few parts in this film, you're a dog lover, you'll cringe, but you'll also howl out loud because the older sister from Dogtooth, Angeliki Papulia, oh, yeah. plays a character called Heartless Woman. Papulia. And it's another fun name to say. Greek names are generally fun to say. But they are. Colin Farrell um, tries to fall in love with her, and she is such a fucking awful person. <laughs> and he tries to be awful, and she calls his bluff, and it's laugh out loud funny, but she is so awful. It's really good, man. And I just, I think about this film, and I smile. I think Lanthimos is one of the, and again, Alps, Dogtooth, this. Yeah, I saw. Dog, I mean, I, I love Dogtooth. Uh, I didn't, you know, it's funny. I didn't get to see Alps. I'm looking forward to this. I need to go back and check out Alps. I forgot yeah, to. It's on, it's on Netflix, I think. Yeah, it's it escaped me. It got by. It got past me. He's he's one of the great European kind of filmmakers. He he makes just weird, absurd films that just. I'm at a point in my life where they really appeal to me. You know, he he says a lot. Um, this is a very specific film. This is, I think, an esoteric thing, but. This is, again, for people that don't know, uh, it's in a dystopian near future where single people uh, are taken to a hotel where they're obliged to find a romantic partner in 45 days or are transformed into beasts of their choice and sent off into the woods. So it's called The Lobster because Colin Farrell says he wants to become a lobster. <laughs> Which is, it's like the last creature I'd want to be. And, and that gets pointed out to him. Who's <laughs> Someone else is really funny. They call him out for, I think it's like a young British actor. Anyway, um... I, I I don't know if I've ever told you this. I have a weird kind of like phobia of like crustacean uh, like shell. Not not I can eat them, but I just I'm, I'm not a big fan of that. Seeing them in the tank, you kind of walk by the tank quickly. Yeah, yeah, you know, seeing all that like yeah. the cluster of legs and all that sure, stuff, sure. it just kind of all kind of creeps me out a little bit. Yeah, no, that's fair, man. That's fair. But lobster makes me smile, and it's my it's my favorite kind of comedy. It's absurdist comedy, which nice. there's this weird kind of arty absurdity that. I'll just eat it all day. And this was great, man. And Colin Farrell looks like a schlub with a mustache, and he's yeah. awesome. Yeah, he's one of the great facial hair growers. He can grow he anything. He can grow it, man. He can yeah. grow it. Yeah, he's in it to win it. Yeah, he's really good, man. I hope he does. Uh, I hope he keeps kind of staying in the ballpark he's in with the occasional blockbuster because he's, yeah. he's really doing good work. And I think a lot of people have forgotten. He's found his sweet spot, right? He's kind of yeah. found a rhythm now with picking yeah. projects. I think people have forgotten about him since the kind of the big blockbuster stuff he was really in. I think people have. Kind of overlooked him now. So. Yeah, yeah, they have. Uh, okay, that's cool. Definitely going to check that one out, obviously. Number four for me, a film we both liked. I know you like this quite a bit. I don't know if it's in your top ten or not. We only got four spots left, so I don't know. I'm not catching the vibe that it might be. Uh, you might have seen some stuff you like more than this by now. But like I said, I do know you were a big fan of this one. Uh, so it might be in the 30, anyway. But this is uh, Alex Garland's Ex Machina. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah, yeah Ex Machina. It's a good one. Which this is a really good movie. Uh, I, I, I wanted to see it because I like Oscar Isaac a lot anyway. Yes. Uh, and it looked interesting. But I didn't think I'd love it as much as I did. It's kind of a thriller. It's kind of a, a kind of a look at humanity. It's kind of a look at possibly, potentially, some things in our near future maybe. Uh, but it, it's, got a, it's got an almost Kubrickian tone to it, it too, which I really liked. 
Yes. And it is a bit absurd at times. Uh, it's funny you said absurdist about that last film. Yeah. This one gets a little crazy and wacky sometimes, too. I mean, one of the best dance scenes of the year. Man, uh, yeah. Great, <laughs> great jam in that part. Oscars get down. He oh, really is. He can boogie, man. He, he, he's got it going on. John Travolta's got competition. He does. <laughs> but it, it's it's a really great performance from him. He's got a great beard, no hair. Um, the house is amazing where it's at and stuff. I don't know if that's a real house or a set. It's, it's partially a real hotel in Norway, I think, and some of the interior design was done for the film. Oh, man. It's just, it's, it's just wonderfully cool. kind of <laughs> strange and interesting. It's yeah. just... And it just has a great, I mean, there's just this ominous tone to the film, like from the get-go. And I really like the way that felt. Uh, it's kind of oppressive, and I, I like that. Uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't anxious watching it or anything. I was actually kind of enlightened by the material. And Domhnall Gleeson's really good. And uh, what's her name? Alice Vic, Vic oh, Vikander? Vikander, good Vikander, actress, yeah. yeah. Yeah, she's really good. She got nominated. Did she win an Oscar? Did she win an Oscar or did she get nominated? She got nominated, I know. Did she win? This year for um, The Danish Girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Looking woman too, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, uh, she is. She, she really is. Uh, but she's wonderful and a very special effects laden part. Yeah. Uh, but they, you know, they use her real face, and uh, she does a lot of acting with just her face, and it's really quite impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's really it's a, in a weird way it's again one of my favorite things. It's it's a big idea, but it's done in a small film way. Well, and it's done intelligently without it being like global stakes, like the planet's going to explode. Yeah. It, I mean, there's even an action set piece toward the back end, but I it mean, is. it's done <clears throat> I don't like, the way it's done, the hallway scene, that stuff in the hallway and it's done really well. That moment when Oscar Isaac realizes shit may have went wrong is like one of my favorite moments of the year. It's, it is, it is a beautiful film. And I think you nailed it to say it's Kubrickian. And I, I think one of the great things about this film is and the biggest strength for me, the biggest takeaway, there's images in this film, like frames that are f- kind of burned into my brain, like some yeah. of the reveals of some of the footage that Gleason finds. Mm-hmm. Um, it goes above and beyond technology going amok because of the absurdity of humanity. Like there's just a lot of other things being said about humanity. Forget technology. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just the abuse of power and, and male dominance. And, and it's Garland's debut film. We should say it's his debut directorial it's effort. So. Incredible debut, debut, debut film. <laughs> it is. It is. It's very incredible. I mean, he's written some stuff, obviously, and he's been around for a little while, but this is his first directorial effort, and it's really good. And, yeah. You know, I expect Oscar Isaac will be in at least probably, I'm going to call it now, he might at least be in one of my top 30 films every year every for a while. Year. Oh, for sure. No, he's, he's he's just that good. He's the man for both of us. He's he's that he's yeah he's and it's funny that he jumped past because we've often said I know I have I think you agree with me too. He's like this generation's Pacino if he keeps kind of navigating these waters. Mm-hmm. Yep. He can do yep. the kind of passive intensity that no one else can do. Yep, he's got it. He's got he's got that special something. He sure does. It's hard to explain, but the camera loves him. It. Uh, he's magnetic. <laughs> yeah, and. Uh, he can play the heavy and the hero, and uh, he can do both very well. So he's he's a rarity, and I hope he, you know, obviously he's been in some big movies, and he's going to be in some more big movies going forward. But uh, I hope he remembers to go back and do those little small parts where he really gets to act as well. He's been in a film in our top 30 every year, it looks like, except 2012. He was in Drive. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. He was in that. Yeah, good little turn that from in the wrong hands could have been a one-note performance. Inside Lewin Davis, which I adored. I did, too. I just bought the Criterion oh, in that last so week, two weeks ago. 
and then of course last year a film that we both really loved and most violent year so yeah so good so good yeah, so yeah. there you go. Uh, I expect, like I said, I expect he'll be in there. I expect I'll love something he's in this year. Mm-hmm. We'll see. I might be putting a little praise on him. I know he's busy with some Star Wars stuff. and Apocalypse and some other kind of... Yeah, he's tied with that kind of stuff. Yeah, and the X-Men movie. He's tied in some blockbuster stuff this year. So maybe this year, maybe not. <laughs> but, yeah, maybe not this year. But, you know, so we'll he's see. got the, the potential. Yeah, who knows? Sure. All right. Uh, my number four is a film that was very divisive in our community. Oh, um, I had to see it though. Um, it's a filmmaker that I I like. I don't love. Um, I think he, he's well respected in the art house world. I think he's one of the kind of the crossover foreign kind of art house filmmakers that his films tend to get some play in theaters to do any sort of art house stuff afterwards. Um, this kind of straddles that line, and I didn't think I was going to like this as much as I did. I, I honestly thought maybe this would be towards the back of my top thirty, but. I owed it to myself to see it. It's uh, Xiao Xian Hu's The Assassin. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember you. I saw that you uh, watched this. I had a vibe that you liked this a lot more oh, than man. I thought uh, you, you originally planned on liking it. Yeah, I absolutely did. Um, I kind of got that vibe because I kind of got the vibe that you were kind of like, eh, I'm going to go ahead and check this out. And then kind of came out of it like, ooh. Yeah, it ooh. really knocked me out. I was Because, re- again, it's that intersection. It's perfect for people like us that the intersection of art house and genre um, immaculately made film, a beautiful film, a quiet film. This might be the quietest film. No, actually, I lied. It's not the quietest film on my list. But <laughs> I think you know <laughs> when I say that where I'm going. Um, <laughs> that knowing laugh. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, Yosemite Sam laugh yeah. when he figures out the Bugs Bunny's devious plans. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> But um, it is easily among the quietest films on my list. Um, a beautiful film. Uh, sometimes, you know, Taiwanese filmmakers, and I'm really, relatively certain he's Taiwanese. Oh, no, he's born in mainland China. I thought, for some reason, I always thought he was Taiwanese. Uh, mainland Chinese filmmaker, uh, who I tend to like. But, yeah, this one, I don't know. But uh, Shu Kui was, she's, a, she's just a beauty. I mean, she's just mm-hmm. breathtaking. She's economy performance without a lot of words her eyes some facial features um i think again i think this film sang a lot it's not just one that it's it's a very cultural culturally specific film even though it looks at a period in time uh, in eighth century china which all that stuff is amazing but i think there's a lot of stuff about some of the simple needs of humans and um choices that have to be made and um, on top of that, it is a, it is a, you know, a, a wuxia film, you know, uh, it's just a beautiful film. And like I said, this was on a lot of top 10 lists, um, which sometimes I get a little bit leery of because it, again, it kind of that ends up riding that wave where people just put it on there because everyone else has it on in terms of critics. But this to me was deserving of the praise. I know even people like Rufus in our community were lukewarm on it, which I thought, Ooh, man, I might not get down with this. And Kelly, I don't think cared for it too much, which can be a kiss of death because Kelly is a very loving cinephile. Yes. Um, but I loved it. It's, but you never know. I mean, right? I mean, you just never know. I mean, I know God Kelly loved uh, Nightcrawler as well, and even though I I, I liked it, I quite I mean, liked I lo- it. Love it. Yeah, love it is not the word I would use for it. Yeah, no, for sure. But again, you know, I think, you know, people are people. You know, you're never going to know what. But I do respect it. You know, anybody that says, "Hey, this is one of my favorite films of the year," I'm going to give it a look. Yeah, no, for regardless sure. Regardless of uh, 
you know, when somebody says that, that that, that means something to them. I want to know what I want to know what what's yeah. inside their head, you know. <laughs> yeah, and this is a Blu-ray for the ages for sure. Like it's yeah, and I I seen the trailer for this. Uh, it looks like it'll be a Blu-ray for the ages. But you got to be in the mood, man. You can't be over caffeinated at like you know a certain time and want to just get it's it. It's like uh, Wong Kar Wai's Ashes. Uh... <laughs> it's funny you say that because that's the other kind of art house wuxia film that I quite love. And Wong Kar Wai is. When I, I got that vibe a little bit from it from the trailer I saw. It, yeah, because I think it it ruminates on a lot and is very contemplative. It's it, it obviously is is more contemporary in terms of the cinematic language it uses because I think Ashes of Time is very much of the of its time like it's future mm, yeah, yeah. culture sensibility and music video sensibility with traditional Chinese cinema but this is just an immaculate it, it's as beautiful as the costumes in the film but I, I think there's there's a a nice quiet simplicity about wants and needs of of people uh, in different positions in life um, yeah that, that really spoke to me and. Like I said, uh, Shukri, I think I sometimes forget that she, she's not just a, a pretty face, and I don't mean that to sound disrespectful, but mm-hmm. she's really good in it. So yeah, I mean, I, I think that that's what that's a special part about movies, though. You know, is that like it? You go into them sometimes, and you think I'm not going to get anything out of this, or I'm not going to get what I expect out of this, and then you kind of get you kind of get you know blown off your ass a little bit, which is nice. It's a great yeah. feeling, especially when you watch a lot of films like we do. Oh, yeah, and then you start to get, you know, kind of, okay, here we go, let's get on with it. And it takes away that cynicism that we have, which is a nice yeah. thing, right? Plus, that genre, the genre itself, yeah. was so kind of oversaturated yeah. and sold in America for so long that I think a lot of people got kind of tired of it, even though sure. I do think it's a it's a wonderful genre. Yeah. Oh, it for just, sure. Like any genre, it uh, you know it got manipulated. We had a hit, you know, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. You had a hit, and then it just got overplayed. In the wrong hands, oversaturation really can mm-hmm. um, echo <laughs> loudly. Yep. But if you love that genre, yeah, I, I do love that genre. I just I haven't watched anything in that genre since. Uh, I guess Yun Wong Wu Ping's uh, True Legend. I think was the last. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Which I remember made your top thirty. I think right, didn't it? Towards no, the it didn't make my top thirty. The the front half of it is amazing. Yes. The back half of it is 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 a real mess. I don't know what goes on in the back half. I can barely remember it. But I remember the front half has some of the typical of him. It has some of the best fight sequences and the best visuals I've seen. I mean, he you know he can put together that stuff just about better than anybody. So. Didn't you say the back half really shits the bed, though? It, yeah, I believe it does, and that's the reason why I didn't remember top thirty. I believe I'd, I'd have to rewatch it, so maybe someday I will. But uh, yeah, the back end it shits the bed pretty bad. <laughs> that's that's what I remember anyway. <laughs> I remember it was like a fifty-fifty film. Like I love that first fifty percent of it, but that second fifty percent, I was like, oh man, what is going on? It's too bad, eh? When it's a real a tale of two halves, because it yeah. that's like, man, this could have been. Some... It almost feels like two different movies. It's it's one of those things where it feels like almost like. Like he got kicked off of the project or something, but he didn't. He followed it through. So yeah, I don't know. He doesn't work enough. Of course, he's up there now. So uh, I mean, I, I guess he works enough. But he doesn't direct enough films. I wish he directed more films because I think he's one of the most visually interesting uh, Asian filmmakers ever. So all right, man, I'm gonna definitely check that out because, like I said, I got that vibe from you that uh, you went into it kind of like eh. yeah, it was like all right, here we go. Yeah, I got a few of those on my the rest of my list, and maybe toward the top where I was kind of blown on my ass a little bit, or, or blown out my ass, or blown in my ass. Well, who oh, knows what I'm saying now? Windsock. A good weekend, yeah. Windsock. Uh, yeah, but Windsock usually been a good weekend. Bad week. Bad week following, but a good weekend. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah if you got a Windsock, uh, the pink Windsock, if you got that going on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> you got to regress. Well, you wreck yourself, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you better check yourself before you wreck yourself, yeah. everyone. No joke. That that moment when you smell. <laughs> oh, I better stop. <laughs> <laughs> smells like you broke the piggy bank with that pennies. Oh, penny smell. Man. Oof. <laughs> Oh, I still remember reading that Vice article about that. Oh, I was thinking, it's so funny. I was just thinking about that when you said that. Oh, yeah, that, that prolapse situation. Like the room smelled like it's well, it smelled like a memory. Like it smelled like <sighs> like somebody had just opened a giant bag of pennies. Oh, <laughs> like, my ooh. God. oh, yeah, that's so repulsive. It is. <laughs> oh man. Anyway, my next film is not repulsive. But no. it is the last documentary on my top ten. Ooh, okay, good. It's my favorite documentary of the year. As I've said before, I love people who live on the fringe. Uh, people who live on the fringe of entertainment are just as fascinating to me, not just people who live on the fringe of society to begin with and are trying to become popular or just want to follow through on their dreams. But this is an individual who had a dream. He, in some cases, and I mean your case, I think, he achieved it. Um, but he's still dreaming. And, I, you know... I admire people who <laughs> dream to the detriment of their personal life. Yes. Uh, I can never do it. No, but, but it can be, it's fascinating to see. Yeah, I, I, I believe in commitment and I, I, I'm, I'm a firm believer in commitment. And, uh, but I, even I know when you, <laughs> when you should stop committing to something and walk yes. away, uh, this individual, thankfully for some hasn't, and this individual maybe should have, but either way, I'm thankful that this person has been in my life for the last, I don't know, uh, 30 years, 30 plus years. And that individual's name is John Michael Thor. Oh man. Nice. This <laughs> yeah. This one was called I am Thor. Oh, uh, yes. Okay. Good. Another one. Directed by Ryan Wise. This is uh, fascinating to me. Uh, I've not always been the biggest fan of John Michael Thor's music. I do. I do like it in its, in its own way. But <laughs> his belief in his music, his belief in his act, uh, his conviction and commitment has never wavered. Even though in this film, you do start to see that time, it, things have gotten difficult for him. Uh, he's he's still hanging in there. He's definitely on the fringe uh, of uh, celebrity. You know, there's, there's moments when he's at you know conventions and he's doing his uh, Thor shtick, and <laughs> kids are walking by thinking, "Oh, that's not Thor." You know, Chris Hemsworth's Thor, and yes, you know, and uh, older people are almost laughing at him and stuff. But he's convicted, man. I mean, there's moments where I'm embarrassed for him. He's so convicted. You yeah, know? yeah, he's just yeah. It reminded me of the Anvil guys. It reminded me a lot of that documentary. And yes. These guys, you know, they, you know, they persevere through all the tough times and stuff. And they kind of had a resurgence. But Thor really has never. John Michael Thor has never really had a. I mean, he's had a kind of a cult resurgence, I would say, but never really a full blown resurgence. And I don't know with the type of thing he does if he'll ever have a full blown resurgence. But I think he's one of the more interesting people. And this is kind of really a nice insight into him and kind of what he's all about. Uh, I had no idea, and I'll say this because I don't think it's a spoiler. Uh, there's something I didn't know about him. I didn't know at one point when he made a record deal that he got kidnapped. <laughs> what? Yeah, you got to see the movie. Oh, it's, wow. There's, there's some people who believe that this might be a story. <laughs> uh, I don't know, man. It's an out there thing, though. I don't know how. <laughs> I mean, they, they, they kidnapped him back when he was in his prime. So, I mean, this was a guy who was, you know, he's pretty muscular. You know, I don't know he how they got out of it. and rebar and shit. Yeah, he still does that. He still does that. Uh, not quite as gracefully as he used to do that, but he still does that. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, oh, man. He's much heavier now. He's much older. Um, and there's moments in it where they're, they're poignant, you know, where he's talking about his life and, you know, what he's given up and what he's lost and some of the things. He, I mean, at one point in his life, he had a nice house and a, uh, a nice wife and a nice, simple life. And I think he was going to settle down. But the stage called him back. He accepts the challenge. <laughs> so, you know, that happens to some of these guys who are, you know, just obsessed with, uh, you know, being who they are or what they are. And it's really a, a, an incredible and fascinating insight into a man that, uh, again, he's on the fringe of entertainment. But those of us who love him and love what he gave us, you know, a couple of great performances and a couple of great big movies. Mm-hmm. I think Zombie Nightmare and Rock and Roll Nightmare to, in particular. Black Roses. Oh, yeah. Was he in Black Roses? I don't know if he was in there or not. I thought he was, wasn't he? Well, I think he was attached. I think the director and him were best buddies for a while. Ah. But anyway, um, yeah, check it out. It's 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 fantastic. I actually saw this on iTunes. I don't know if this is going to get a release, so you might have to look around. Uh, yeah, it hasn't popped up on Netflix or anything else I've seen lately. I I keep looking for it, too, so I can not only watch it again, but I, so I can, you know, turn people on to it. But it was really, really good, man, and... Uh, you know, bravo to somebody who's that committed to their to what they believe in. I, I got to give it to him because I would have dropped that hook, line, sinker. Well, it becomes that thing, that fear of. Uh... Yeah, cause he married a really nice looking lady. He had a nice home. I don't know what he was doing. I don't. I can't remember if he was selling cars. Was he like drywall or something? No. Yeah, he was doing something, but he was making a good living. I mean, he had a good life. Uh so, yeah, I think he's straight out of Vancouver. I think he comes from uh, the West Coast. I see. I thought for some I know Rockwell Network was filmed in Ontario, not too far from my house. but Yeah. Well, I think he ended up in, you know, I guess Toronto, you know, you could argue Toronto's like New York and yeah, Vancouver's exactly. like Los Angeles, right? So Yeah. Yeah, that's true. You know, those West Coast Canadian guys, you know, a little, we, we know a couple of those guys. They're a little, yeah. little, they're a little different. Yeah, they are, man. <laughs> Just sure. like those West Coast American dudes. Yes. But anyway, uh, I believe he's from Vancouver. I don't know, man. I'd have to look that up. He's, Canuck. Wrong about he's that. a Canuckula, that's for sure. Yeah, he's definitely Canadian. No, there's no doubt. And he hasn't lost completely his Canadian accent either. He he, <laughs> he dodges it every now and then, but every now and then, like when he's upset, it really comes through. <laughs> that's awesome. I mean, it really comes out. So maybe he's from maybe he's from Winnipeg. Maybe I got it wrong. Maybe he's from the you know somewhere in the middle somewhere. Oh boy, yeah, yeah, that could be. I don't. Uh... Yeah. I don't know for sure. Because you start to get into some interesting territory when you talk about those uh, those middle Canadian territories there. there. Yeah, man. We got like uh, we got the uh, good movies for bad people. One of <laughs> bad people. Yeah. I'm from Quebec. Uh, yeah. You know, you get. Um, yeah, he's a was he where is he at? Saskatchewan or Saskatchewan? Yeah, he's not far. Yeah, nice. I'd love to drive through Canada one day. I'd love. It's to, nice. The prairies are a little flat, but you yeah, know. Yeah, I'd like to great. you know start out east coast. Drive all the East way to West Coast fun. just to say I did it, you know. It's it's it take you a long time, but it's fun for sure. Yeah, this be it'd be this be a nice trip. Mm-hmm. Be a nice uh, you know nice uh, scenic drive just to say I did it too. I've done it I've done it in the states, so I'd, I'd like to do it in the uh, in the uh, Great Northern Territory there. Wicked, wicked. Okay, cool. Uh, we're into the well. You're into the nitty gritty already. You're at your three now. This is my number three. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Only got two more left. Man, this is... We've been going for quite a while, though, so... Yeah, we have. This one's going to be long and strong. There's no doubt about that. Uh, This Like Thor's rebar. Like Thor's rebar, that's right. It's long, but it's not too strong. Oddly, (laughs) oddly, it's it's less strong, it seems, now than it was back in the early days. I bet I know why. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> no doubt, man. Um, okay, so this filmmaker, uh, I guess when I looked at his filmography, great pedigree. Um, I knew I loved him, but I, for some reason, kind of didn't put two and two together that um, his previous two films have both made my top ten. The years they've come out, and in fact, one of his films in 2009 made your top ten, if memory serves. You'll tell me if I'm not remembering. I believe, I believe, yeah, I think I know who you're talking about. I don't think you do know who I'm talking about. I think because I know, you I know. think I'm talking about Paolo Sorrentino, don't you? Ooh, yeah, I did think oh, that. I'm not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you yeah. got to go to France, thereby. You got to go oh. to Jacques Aduillard, uh, and you got to go to Dipon. Ooh, yeah, nice. Deepon, you'll really love Deepon, uh, I think. And I was referring to A Prophet. Un Prophet? Oh, yeah, yeah. I love that movie. Fantastic film. And then Rust and Bone. I didn't see Rust and Bone. It's so good. It's so good. But I, I did like, uh, as we do, I did, I did like Un Prophet. Oh, man, it's so good, too. But that's the thing. He's gone three for three for me with his last three films. Um, I, think I almost rewatched Un Prophet. Uh, I got the blue. Not too long ago, because I think it's on Amazon uh, Prime streaming, I think. And I was like, ooh, you know, I'd like to rewatch that. So. Well, Tahar Rahim, he's one of those young actors that um, now I just watch him in anything, because he earned so much goodwill from the lead performance in that, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then it's funny, I saw a few, Reda Kateb, who you might not know his name, but you know his face. I saw him in a couple of films this year that I quite liked him in, too. But, um, yeah, Jacques Duillard's uh, Deepon won the Palme d'Or at Cannes this year, so that's enough to get my attention. Nice. Uh, <clears throat> Yeah, that's where I, I know the title from. Uh, obviously, you know I don't, you know I don't go to Can every year, or Con, or Can, or Coon, but uh, uh, I do pay attention to what wins there because you know it might be buzzworthy for me to check out. Obviously, yeah, and as much as I think we want to, kind of. Well, the festivals are always kind of a barometer, though. You know, well, you always kind of want to look, right? Listen, I got to be honest. Con is the festival that I put the most stock in. Now, I don't like the practice of booing and all this elitist kind of bullshit, but Con, you know... Yeah, sometimes when they boo a movie, that means I'm probably going to like it. Well, they boo, yeah, they booed certain things that I've gone on to love, so... Yeah, they booed Only God Forgives, which is weird because, like, I agree with somebody who said that in the in the documentary that My Life uh, by Nicholas Swining Riffin or whatever, mm -hmm. they showed the film at Can and he didn't... Uh, I didn't hear any boos. Maybe that was no. That, that, that's what I remember. Only God forgives got booed there. Yeah, they love Drive though. Weird. I don't know. Who knows? But that audience though, I think that much of they overplay it a little bit, and you know. But um, yeah, this one the uh, the the Palm Door, and immediately I was like, man, I got to see this. Um, it was a TIFF, same as Lobster. Didn't get to see it. Same as Assassin and Lobster, two other TIFF films that just, I couldn't see. I just, timing didn't work out. The thing that, and much like um, Measure of a Man, everything I said with that film applies with this film. Tremendous film. You get a culture that Aduillard really doesn't have a lot of familiarity with. He's working with, the, the, the crux of the film is this. Uh, a Sri Lankan Tamil warrior flees France. Uh, with a with a faux family, they take a woman who's about his age, and they take a girl whose parents were killed in in the the fighting. Put them together as a quote unquote family. Now they're living in the um, lower income high rises just outside Paris, and it's about them culturally adjusting, trying to adjust as this crashed together family unit. Um, there's very much a working class vibe to the film. It does get intense near the back end of the film. Um, but it, it's just a really great film. Like I said, everything I, I, about Measure of Man, I, I kind of feel like with this too. Uh, 
Jasuthasan Antonithasan, who plays the titular Deepan, that was a lot to say, uh, looks like yeah. uh, he hasn't done a whole lot, but did a great, again, great performance. You know, he's speaking Tamil, or, yeah, Tamil through part of the film, a little bit of French. The woman and the daughter who play his, you know, now woman and daughter, uh, great performances from them. Um, and yeah, just about a guy who, and I think sometimes we forget this, the immigrant experience. Um, you, know, you can get people that that have a lot of a lot of power, or you know, they could be a doctor, they could be prestigious, and then they come to Canada or France or United States uh, or England, and guess what? Now they're you know a handyman in this place, and not to be more handyman because that's not what I'm trying to say. Uh, every job is needed, and I don't work in a glamorous glamorous industry. I work in plumbing, but yeah. To see, the, you do what you do. You got to do what you got to do, right? Though got I mean. to do to survive. And I think sometimes people see an immigrant in that position, and they they get dismissed that maybe this person is just a scholar, yeah. you know, or, or whatever it is. And I think sometimes we forget the struggle. And yeah. it's a really good film. I, I would be. I know you would like this film. It, very good stuff. Nice, nice. Yeah, I'll definitely check that out at some point. Like I said, I remember reading the uh, the reports from Atacan and. Uh, that came out because I'm always interested what wins the uh, jury prize and you know the, the all these things. It's all what's always interesting about festivals is what wins the uh, the festival award, like the People's Choice Award and like the the jury award, right? You, know, yeah, you always kind of yeah. you get both sides of the coin that way. Well, that's right, and it's fascinating. Just you know, a small cultural thing. The the woman in this it, it says a lot about two cultural kind of ignorance and sometimes not even in, in, from malicious a malicious perspective. But the mother in that the woman. She starts wearing uh, a headdress because a lot of the women in the area are Algerian or they're Middle Eastern. So she thinks that, oh, women in France all wear these because Sri Lankan culture is Southeast Asian. It's so far removed from Middle Eastern culture that she just starts wearing a headdress because she thinks that women in France wear headdresses. It's the polite way to go out. Mm. You know, just a lot of little things that you'd never really think about, but you know, like observations about them trying to keep it together and, and keep their heads above water. So yeah, yeah, nice. <clears throat> All right. Are we down to two silver now? metal now, man? Double deuce down to our number twos. All right. So my number two saw it late in the game. Gotta say, uh, didn't expect to like it as much as I did. Probably won't surprise you too much. I think I know what this is and I think it might be my number two. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think so. If it is, you pulled a fast one on me. Okay. If it is, you pulled a fast one on me. Okay. Um, uh, so I'll let me go. Because <laughs> if it is, and you pulled a fast one on me, you really got me this year. <laughs> I hope I did for once. I don't usually play my hand. You don't have a good as good a poker face as you do. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, way off. <laughs> well, yeah, probably. I, I think you might be because I think your feelings on this film. I don't. I don't feel like you wavered on the. And you did see this movie, so I don't feel like you wavered much. Okay. Like, I don't feel like I got any hunches, but... It's not The Martian. You, no. <laughs> no, it's definitely not The Martian. <laughs> it's certainly not that one, I can tell yeah. you that. I still haven't even seen that yet, so I don't even know if I ever will. Uh, either way, um, but I came to this late in the game. It was divisive uh, amongst the community, uh, and on Facebook in particular. Uh, some people loved it, some people hated it. Uh, some people reacted to it the way they always react to this person's film. Some people react to it the way they always react. Oh, I know what it is. Film. I know what it is. <laughs> In a positive way. Yes. Uh, this one really surprised me because I was 
kind of stunned at the the way it was put together. Uh, I don't know why, because I expect I, I should expect it to be put together the way it is. Um, but I, I, I it really kind of took me for twists and turns that I didn't see coming, and it was a pleasant surprise for me for a change, especially from this filmmaker because uh, yes, you know I feel like most of the stuff he does, even though it's original. And it's definitely his. It, 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 uh, you can usually kind of see some of the stuff coming, but this one, I, there's some very pivotal moments that uh, I did not see coming at all. Uh, so what, that was kind of the nice thing about not knowing anything about it. Like I had stayed clear of all the spoilers and everything, and I wanted to on purpose because I wanted to be able to judge this film on its uh, merits. And I ended up liking it quite a bit, and I'm actually surprised it's on my top ten. I didn't expect it to be. I expected maybe it might make my top 30, but it meant at number two it's pretty crazy. But that is... Uh, Quentin Tarantino's The Hateful Eight. Oh my God, that's not at all what I thought it was. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know. I'd, okay, I it's not in my top thirty. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I didn't think it was because I, I knew I, you'd I, like. I this. never felt you waver on this one. Yeah. Uh, but this one really worked for me, and nice. uh, I do agree with some of the criticisms you had. I do believe, you know, I don't know why. I, I, I like the gun violence, but I don't know why. There's at least one scene that it's a little hyper violent that doesn't yeah. make any sense to me. But you know, whatever. And it is, it, look, it's not perfect, but I enjoyed the twists and turns of the film. If you've seen it, you guys know what I'm talking yes. about. Uh, the way it plays is not the way I thought it would play out. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you look back on it, it's totally the way a Quentin Tarantino film would play out. Yes. And it makes sense in that way. Uh, the, the score was really good. Uh, the influences that I thought were there were there. I mean, uh, they're easily there. Mm-hmm. The performances were all really good, uh, some better than others, but I think he gives everybody a moment pretty much. Um, you know, he, again, he's in my wheelhouse here. He's, he's doing, you know, I said this with Django as well. I like this more than I like Django, and I like Django a lot more than you did. Well, maybe not a lot more, but certainly more. Yes, I like and, this Django. Yeah, this one's better than that. I think this one is more what I think people wanted out of Django. Yeah. Uh, he said that this was, I remember when reading interviews with him, he said this was maybe his funniest movie, but I found this one to be pretty grim in a lot it's of ways. Fun. There's some funny moments, some typical moments, some Tarantino moments, you know, never, ever, ever, stuff like that. Those, those, those little moments that he always has in his movies, but I didn't laugh nearly as much, but I was kind of caught up in it, and I, I liked all the performances. I really did, man. I thought he really handles this stuff well, and it's well written, and you know, Maybe I am a mark for the guy. Uh, I don't know. But when he's in this Western world, I think, uh, you know, he, he makes me very happy because it's probably a genre I love maybe more than most. Mm-hmm. But uh, it, it, it felt good. I, I like the little things he did. I like the, the little thing with the door. Uh, you know, the you got to hammer it twice. You got you to gotta break it open. You got to yeah, kick yeah. it open. I liked all those little things and stuff. It is a long movie, no doubt. Uh, maybe longer than it needs to be, but I never really was bored or didn't enjoy spending time with all these terrible characters. And it did, like I said, it did not pan out any way that I thought it was going to pan out. Mm-hmm. And that was a nice surprise for me. Nice. And now, now I'm starting to wonder what your number two is. Oh, wow. <laughs> You're going to find out in a minute. I wonder if this is going to be your number one. I don't know. We're going to find out in a minute. Uh, let me just say this about, um, about Hateful Eight. <clears throat> a lot of people... My problem was, and it seems to be with his last few films, the big problem I have is some of the overindulgences, um, 
very kind of self, yeah, just self-indulgence and almost like a juvenile glee that the violence has. Yeah. And, and yeah, yeah. I think if he had have played the violence the way like the Coens play it in like No Country or something, it would have been more effective. That That's mm-hmm. my thing. I feel like he couldn't get out of his own way. The scene with Minnie's haberdashery with the blood, I felt like it was silly and needless. Mm-hmm. But I'll say this. A lot of people found the stuff with the carriage or the stagecoach and the trip to the um, to the haberdashery to be kind of dragged. I was riveted for the first hour of the film. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, it's I really mean, good. he can still write dialogue wonderfully. Like I said, sometimes it gets to be a little too Tarantino, but part of that's maybe me just, you know, having seen his stuff a lot. And he doesn't need to reinvent the wheel. Um mm-hmm. I love. Yeah, I agree with you. I really like that uh, the stuff going to the heaven. Oh movie. man, I really like that stuff quite a bit. Yeah, it was it was great stuff, and I loved. And I'll tell you, the scene that had me hanging on the edge of my seat was Sam Jackson talking to Bruce Dern about his son. Oh man, that was insane. That was some of the. Uh, that's probably some of the darkest stuff yes. Tarantino's ever done. Yes. Yes. Uh, Wonderful with, scene. Just yeah, with moments mm. that I couldn't believe I was actually seeing in a Tarantino <clears throat> film. I mean, I, he he typically doesn't do that kind of material. He typically mm-hmm. doesn't go. I mean, if you think about his movies, they're very, in a lot of ways, they're kind of, they're sexy, but they're sexless. Yeah, they're kind of this weird thing. They're they're an arm's length away. It's yeah, like, through the eyes of, like, cinephile. Yeah, it's like, it's like know. sex exists, but it doesn't, you know, and I'm not saying that that's what that whole point of that scene was, but, I mean, that's as graphic as Tarantino's ever gotten, that I yeah. think in that regard. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, well, Zed, but that was played more comedic well yeah that, that's true that was that was pretty graphic yeah i got a friend of mine who won't watch the movie anymore bring because he... wind socks <laughs> yeah, <Uh-oh>. yeah. <laughs> never thought i'd think about vink rames wind sock uh yeah that's not something i want to think about um definitely gonna turn me away from full-length pepperonis for a while yeah it sure will it sure will man um, <laughs> but i know it really it really it nailed it for me man i nice. i liked it nice. and uh you know Again, you know, I didn't expect to like it as much as I did. I thought it might make my top 30. I love Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, I figured it would. I, I, um, I thought it was going to be. Oh, I wonder but, now what your number one is. Mm. Yeah, I'm wondering now what your number two is because I'm wondering now if our like tastes are going to – they're going to collide at some point, and I'm starting to think they might get ready to collide soon. I, I have a hunch that – number... We're going to see. We're going to see. You're going to see. Let me just say this. The score for Hayfley, tremendous. It is tremendous. Tremendous. The photography, tremendous. Yes. There's, there's a lot of things that are tremendous. Uh, your love or not lack thereof or your your mileage with Tarantino might vary. That's what I would say for most people. Which I think mine's starting to, but I still think he crafted a fine enough film. I, I had some problems with – I thought Jennifer Jason Lee was good in the film, but I felt like she was made to be a comedic – a punching bag for comedic purposes, which, again – It was a strange – it was a strange, like, over-the-top performance from her. Yeah, which I felt like was – colored the same way that I have problems with his other stuff. So it was kind of yeah. in the same vein, the critique, but it's still, yeah, it was, it was, uh, it wasn't further down the outhouse for me with this one. It was, he kind of climbed his way out. He's, his head's above. His, his filmmaking, his filmmaking, his career is kind of <clears throat> really, his career has kind of run Cohen uh, kind of head horse to horse or, you know, head to head with De Palma for me. He's kind of, yeah, like, that's a very fair. I think that's often what I think of, too, is I feel like he said what he wants to say. And now I hate to say it, even though this is good. I feel like the past three films, he's kind of spun his wheels a bit. I, and I want to see him get outside of what we know him for. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if he like he says he's only going to do two more. And I don't know if 
I don't buy it. I don't know if doing these kind of mini epics that he's done, these three mini epics in a row, I, I, I'm with you. I kind of hope that he kind of dials it back and does something kind of yeah, more simple. Yeah. Actually, I guess the epics kind of go all the way back to Kill Bill because that ended up being that two was, films. But either way, um, I kind of hope that, you know, he feels like he's gotten what he wanted to say out of his system uh, right. with those things. Uh, this is one of the reasons why I like Death Proof so much. I love Death Proof so much because okay. it kind of stands alone in that whole era of filmmaking. It's nice and tight, too, right? Yeah, and Jackie Brown as well. And they kind of, you know, because every time I think of Hateful Eight, I'm going to think of Django. Every time I think of Django, I'm going to think of Hateful Eight. Yeah. Every time I think of Inglorious, I'm going to think of probably Pulp Fiction or Kill Bill. Kill Bill and Glorious Pulp Fiction. Reservoir Dogs, I'm probably going to think of Hateful Eight. But really, nothing's really quite like Jackie Brown and Death Proof, if you think about oh, it. Oh, I they're, agree. They're, yeah. they're kind of the most original of his mm-hmm. material. So. Oh, sure. And, and sure, Death Proof's a lot of QT wankery, but you know he had an opportunity to do that. Still and, some you know, fun things in that. Yeah, what I, filmmaker hasn't done that? I mean, if you talk uh, Brian De Palma, there's been a, quite a few Brian De Palma wankery type films, and Scorsese's done it, Stone's done it, they've all done it. So. Mm-hmm. You know, some people love, like, some people love Natural Born Killers. That's Oliver Stone's easily his most wankery film, and I I don't think that's a great film. I think it's a good film. It hasn't like, aged very well, I don't think, but it still at the time was something. Mm-hmm. Which know. is odd because it's got Tarantino attached to it in some weird way. But yes. It's just any, either way. I'll be interested if he does stop at ten. I'll be interested in what he does after that. But I'll also be interested in what he does if he does stop at ten. He's only got two more supposedly. So you know, I know he wants to make a horror film. He keeps saying that he wants to make. Uh, I don't think he's going to make any more westerns. I think that'll be probably be it. Um, but, you know, we'll see. I, I mean, I, I kind of hope he doesn't stop. I mean, I'm kind of glad, even though later Brian De Palma's not great, I'm kind of glad he still works. There's still some treats to be had. Yeah. But, you know, if that's what he wants to do, then, you know, he gave us he gave us some fun stuff. And I've enjoyed just about everything he's put out. Oh, yeah. He'll have a good body work still. Yeah, I think, he, I think he can look back. If he does 10, I mean, if he stopped right now, he can look back on it and be pretty proud of what he's done. Oh, for sure. Oh, for sure he can. He's, right, yeah. let's hear what your number two is. I'll number two, I hope this, not I should say, I hope this is your number one. I feel like this film. That might be my number one. I'm, I'm starting to think we might be in sapatico here with the uh, where we're going. Much like Hard to Be a God, I feel like this is a challenging film. Ooh, I don't know. Well, maybe not. Ooh. I think you're. I think I know what your number one is, and I'm not going to spoil it. I'll only say what I. I have what I think it might be, which is my number two. Or if not, then I know what it is because I think you couldn't hide your love for it the other day. Um, maybe. Um, <laughs> and I'll just say uh, that. I love us. I love us trying to dig around. And yes. Use, uh, dirty laundry. Yes. So my number two is a film that um, I desperately, desperately tried to see before we did our show last year. Um, and it came out like the week before we did it and I was just too burned out. I couldn't be bothered. Yeah. Uh, you know, it happens. Right. And, uh, yeah, there was a couple things that came out in these last three weeks that, uh, you had told me to check out like, uh, the tribe and things like that. And I just couldn't do it, man. Yeah. And you know, it's really, uh, I got to say, it's really a shame you didn't check out the tribe because it's my number two film of the year. <laughs> There we go. <laughs> so I, was, I was pretty close it to getting there. <laughs> I weeded it out a little bit. <laughs> tell you what, man, this film was. I, I'm guaranteed. I tried to watch this one last year too. Uh, it's funny you mentioned that because I think I remember me and you talking. Either we did it on the show or we talked about it on the phone. Yeah. That both of us tried to get this in last year, 
and it was one of those films that just escaped everybody. You just could, you, it, you know, it's well over a year old now, but it's just now starting to see the light of day. Yeah, and it still is is kind of hard to find in some areas, man. Yeah, you can buy it digitally. You can rent it digitally now. It actually just Amazon came out this week. Probably maybe or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, iTunes has got it. A couple other places. Amazon Prime's got it. So unfortunately, though, I was I was tapping out, man. I was. Oh no. I get it, man. I, I got that back roundhouse kick that uh, Ronda Rousey got, man. I just yeah, I was just done. Hit, hit the ground. I had room for Hateful Eight and a couple others, and I was just like, I don't know if I want to go down the path that I think the tribe goes down. It's uh, I'll tell you what. I think the thing that I love most about this film is the ambition of the filmmaking. Uh, this is the second. Uh, this is a Ukrainian film. I've had you know Russia and Ukraine both in my top uh, ten this year, which is a good year for Eastern Bloc countries, I guess. Yeah, I got two Russian films in my top ten. I got another Russian documentary in my top thirty. Oh, nice! It is a good year for Russian and Ukrainian film. Yeah, unique voice from a very specific culture. Well, I think there's a lot of good stories that are going to come out of the Ukraine over the next. Uh, yeah. You know, next decade or so. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, you know, it's been a troubled uh, area and. Uh, I think a lot of stuff's starting to seep out of that uh, country. Yeah, you're right. You're right. It's the uh, absolutely. Um, for those that don't know, this film is about a deaf mute boy who joins a boarding school for similar children, mm -hmm. uh, teenagers, confronted by the violent and criminal antics of some of the other boys and girls. He struggles to conform and join the tribe. Um, this film was. There's no dialogue. There's no subtitles. It's all done in, I guess, Russian or European sign language. Um, so you need to understand you're watching what's what you're watching the physicality of the performance and you're getting the gist of it because of what's happening on screen. I'm running the vacuum cleaner while you're uh, talking about the trap here. Yes, that's cool. Uh, <laughs> my usual, my usual uh, record by phone. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of, uh, Got to get a little, uh, got to dust up a little bit of this uh, Chernobyl dust. That's right, man. And not to make light of that. I shouldn't. No, I shouldn't, maybe I should, no, no. I shouldn't make, shouldn't make light of a tragedy. I'm not no. trying to. <laughs> no, 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 of course. Um, but there, this has one of the hardest to watch scenes I've seen all year in film. Oh, yeah, I, I, I don't, I haven't seen it, but I think I know what you're talking about. You might not even, because the end of this film will kick you in the dick. But there's a scene. About three quarters of the way through, jeez, it's fucking horrible. Well, yeah, you might be right then because I didn't know there's two scenes that'll oh. kick you in the dick. <laughs> yeah, this is a powerful, powerful film. This, like, again, if you like sort of stuff like Enter the Void, you like Lars von Trier, you know, you like kind of angry. Um, I don't even just want to say angry because I don't feel like this is the voice of like a twenty-something angry filmmaker. It, it's, but it, it's transgressive art house cinema. And it's a unique voice, and it's a unique world that a lot of us never have any insight into. It's yeah. shocking to see teenage prostitution, drug rings, uh, abuse, violence. And I don't mean abuse from the teachers. I, they, these kids are left on their devices. This might be the most astoundingly decorated set or production design I've seen all year. The start of the school is like fucking post-apocalyptic. Yeah, I've seen some stills, but I guess the stills don't do it justice. I hope like someone puts out a good release of this film. This, I, I, it's my number two of the year, man. I, I just blew me away. Blew me away. It's, yeah, I had a feeling this might be in your top ten because of uh, some text messaging we did. Man, I kept saying, yo, have you seen Tribe? Have you seen Tribe? It's, it's something else, I'll tell you. That was it, probably the, this is probably the only one I had a hunch on, though, all year. I, th I felt like... Um, 
Didn't know it'd be this high though. I'll tell you, man. I I I, I could see this being. De- I got to put it in the bank. It would be in your top twenty. Oh, I thought it was your number one or your number two of the year. I think my number one might surprise you. Uh, we'll see. I'll review that after. So that's my number two. The tribe. It's out through VOD and digital means. I can't recommend it enough. Nice. I'm definitely gonna check it out. Just need to be in the mood for that kind of thing. No, for sure. It's and it's about two hours long, but it's there's a few rough scenes, man. It's like the camera. It's like it's like that scene, in, and I guess this is where I got the away thing. It's like that rape scene where the camera doesn't cut, it doesn't look away. You're fucking seeing it, and yeah. It, it yeah, it's it's a it's it's tough. But again, it doesn't rub your nose in it. I don't feel like you know. Yeah, I've been watching uh, you know stuff we're gonna cover in the next couple of weeks, like Ninja Busters and Hitchhike. So <laughs> there's some rough moments with uh, David Hess's hair and Hitchhike, but other than that. Man, Nero. Such have a I ever told you how much I love Corrine Clary? You never have. You never oh, have. She's man. she's dynamite. Oh man. Yeah. She's got a head of hair on her. Let me tell you. Yes, she does. Not uh, not where you think it would be either. <laughs> <laughs> David Hess knows. There, back. Yeah, he sure does. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> we'll get to that when we cover that. Yes. Um, okay, so we're down to number ones. This is it. Number one. Big moment, huh? This is. Now, I don't know what you think my number one might be. Maybe you're right. Maybe maybe you do know. Maybe you do know. I don't, I don't know if you do know, though. It just maybe because you saw some stuff, so maybe you can see it coming. This one is not only my number one, but it's my surprise of the year. I know. I know what it is. And it just blew my mind that this could be as good as it was. As close to perfect as any movie I saw this year, as far as making me feel, well, just making me feel great. Uh, it just, you know, this genre does this to me. This, this, uh, yes, stuff does it to me. So I think you know where I'm probably going. I do. <laughs> but uh, it, it was my favorite film of the year. The film that made most grown men cry. If you watched yes. it, and that is <laughs> uh, Ryan Coogler's Creed. Yeah, I knew it. I, if it wasn't, if it wasn't the tribe, I knew it was this one. Yeah, this one, man. This was. I mean, I knew I'd like it. I didn't know I'd love it. I did not know I'd love it this much. I mean, I must. I must have cried like ten times. Oh man, yeah. There's so many, dude. There's moments when it just, it's like the faucet gets turned on immediately. Like the tears just start yeah. to spring out of your eyes watching it. And watching Sylvester Stallone bring back Rocky Balboa again, one of the greatest cinema, cinema, cinematic characters of all time. And he has managed every time to turn this character. I mean, yeah, we, we can joke about the three and the four. Mm-hmm. And even in some ways the five, even though I think in the five he started to take the character back to its roots, even though the film's a bit flawed. Uh, well, for some it's very flawed, but I kind of like five a little bit, but, uh, three and four, you know, very crazy over the top. You know, it's easy to make fun of those two Well, one and two obviously are better for their own reasons, but to watch this full life cycle of this character in my lifetime and the ease and grace in which he brings this character to the screen. Amazing. Everybody in this movie is good. Everybody. Michael B. Jordan's good. Everybody's good. He is very good, man. There's not a bad actor in the movie. Even the guy that plays pretty boy, Ricky. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's good. He's really good. I liked him. He really is, man. He's and I'm glad really they didn't good. make him a shit heel either. Yeah, like no, he comes. You know, he does what boxers do. You know, he yeah. talks trash when he's got to yeah. talk trash because that's part of the game. But then at the end, he comes back around, and says, "Hey, man, good fight." You know, yeah, that's what they do. You know, that's what it's all about. Yeah. It's a psychological <laughs> game as much as it's a physical game. Uh, boxing is easily my favorite cinematic sport, mm-hmm. uh, and it's a sport I actually like too. 
in, in general. Uh, it's not really as popular as it used to be, probably because of MMA and things like that. But uh, And, of course, you know, most people don't train their kids in anymore because of concussions and stuff. We already know that a lot of this head trauma stuff is taking kids out of football. And Certainly, you know, boxing, to be really good, you got to train young. You, you can't just, you know, you can't be 35 and say, hey, you know what, I'm going to box. <laughs> Uh, you know, it's something you got to either have a natural inclination for and start young or just be, you know, raw talent. Just make a mold. Um, but yeah, man, this movie made me feel good all over. Yeah. <laughs> and it, 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 it handles the stuff that you would think would be kind of movie of the week stuff. Like it handles it perfectly. It does. Like it doesn't, uh, to me, it doesn't go over the top and it's funny. It's, it's funny. There's one point I do agree with uh, one of our good friends, Peter, uh, Pete. I don't know what he likes to be called, but Peter P. I'll just call him that. Uh, I got him for Kringle a couple of years oh, yes, ago. Oh, yes, yes, He said that it was bizarre that there's a one moment where he's running, which is a great moment, but then all these bikers were doing things. He didn't quite understand what I that like was that all about. I like that scene a lot. I did, I did, too. I did, too. It, 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 in a way, it doesn't make sense, but if you think about Philly, it kind of makes sense. Philly and the sort of meta awareness of the film. It's like, this is the, this is the natural progression with the city, the culture and cinematically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I love that everybody, you know, that he's like trying to hide his heritage and stuff. And when people find out, you know, yeah. And I also love that, you know, and say what you want to say about Sloan. I mean, I know that he's a big movie star and all that stuff, but I love that even Rocky says, uh, that Apollo was the greatest fighter ever. The that's right, but that comes with age, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like when he says that though, because of that you know that because if you watch the original movies, you know obviously Weathers was more the athlete, right? Yep. You know Stallone made himself an athlete. Specimen. Yeah. yeah Weathers was down. you know a natural athlete. Mm-hmm. No, so, it's true. I mean, it just it hit me on all cylinders. I think it's wonderful. I mean, like I said, I expected to like it. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But I would say now that in this in this series of films, it might be like my third favorite now. After one and two, or after one yeah, and four? Yeah, <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Well, three and four are what they are. Yeah, they're a different beast altogether. Yeah, they're a different beast altogether. They're that's a totally different discussion. Yes. I mean, it's. If we ever do the, if we ever do this series, I mean, just the discussion on those two alone will be insane. Oh yeah. Because if you go back and look at those, those movies are nuts. And big time. They are just crazy, man. <laughs> I mean, you know, it just we could get into that forever. But and some people, you know, I like that they didn't tie completely to the Rocky series. But it, I don't, I don't feel like Stallone's a supporting actor in this. I feel like he's as much a lead as Michael B. Jordan is. I would agree with that. I think they do a really good job of it, and I think they'll ultimately phase him out. But I just think when there's so much reverence, I mean, Rocky is ingrained not just from a pop cultural standpoint, but a cultural standpoint, yeah. uh, an American culture, Italian culture. I know buddies of mine that would have I that still have Eye of the Tiger as their ringtone, unironically. <laughs> you know, it's like yeah, yeah. It says I know. I got friends of mine who have the uh, the Rocky theme. You know that dun 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 dun. Oh, dun, dude, dun, dun, totally. You get chills. Yeah. For them to take and you look at this is a good exercise to compare Star Wars to this. The Star Wars film from this year was good. It was fun. Okay, saw so it with the kids. Sprinkle a little pixie dust on me. I was excited to watch it. But when you're looking at the legacy and you're looking at generations now, um, I feel like this handled it better with passing the baton, without trying to 
reinvent the wheel. Reinvent the wheel, which a reverence for the past. It just did what it did, and it, it very much had a reverence because there's moments when they were able to bring the past into the present. Like, I'll tell you what, I got chills right now thinking about it, that moment with the gift before the match. Oh, Man, I got, I got a lump in my throat just thinking about that. The father-son dynamic of the story. Oh, oh, I got chills, uh, goosebumps everywhere. It's insane. Yeah, it's, 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 it's really something special. It crushed me every time. And I'll tell you the other moment that, that again, I got a lump in my throat thinking about it and I get misty-eyed here is when uh, when Michael B. Jordan's on the mat. And then oh, yeah. there's that moment. And it, it just works so wonderfully. Um, I think they turn a lot of great things on their ear instead of being the you know the blue-collar white guy. He's the rich black guy. I think that mm-hmm. you take the meek, kind of shy Adrian and you get this assertive uh, African-American female lead who works wonderfully in the film, but she has her own um, challenges day to day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's and, really, really good. I liked her as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think everyone's handled well with her being cartoonish. She had more in the film because she's great in the film. She is. She is really good in the movie. So, no, I, I, I knew, like I said, if it wasn't the trial, which I didn't know if you'd seen it, because I just feel like that, that fits in our, where our two worlds kind of totally meet, like the No Way kind of stuff, but which you were there with, you know. Yeah. But, yeah, oh, yeah. Well, no, we'll, we'll be No Way will still come up. <laughs> and I'm glad that. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, Creed Creed was just, it was fantastic. I mean, I wish I would have saw the movies, although I'm kind of glad I didn't because I'd probably be. Crying. You know, Dude, a withering mess by the time I got out of there. I saw it with my dad, so I also love the ending to it. I think that the I, ending's poetic and perfect. And, absolutely, uh, man. It's the way it should be. Oh no, absolutely. I, I agree with you. And I love Jordan, who I think is a great actor. Finally now this puts him over. And Kugler, there's not enough African American voices working in film. Bright young talent in the film industry. When I think of Kugler though, I don't even think about that because I think he's so he's 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 not even yeah he's just he kind of I want to say transcends it but I feel like yeah he can fortunately we have to kind of talk about that yeah but, unfortunately yeah but but hope he I hope he has a really I, I feel like he could have a really <clears throat> strong career without just making very solid movies and I, hopefully not getting tied into race well the, the politics of the business well the politics of it, but I think that he's good enough that that brings the discussion organically which can help raise or elevate things for other filmmakers, hopefully. I Which think is, he might be the, 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 but, you know. yeah, the catalyst for change that we, you know, expect. And I think you saw that, you know, we see that kind of like there's a, a film on here by a female filmmaker by me this past year. And I, start, I think we're starting to see more and more of that. Yeah, we are. Which is good. We need more uh, unique voices. We do. All right. So I guess it's time for me to... Uh, yeah, number one, yeah. Um, I'm waiting to hear about... Uh, Right along too all night. Yeah, that's right, man. That's the cops. <laughs> I know you. I know you. I know you tussled with that one quite a bit. <laughs> Didn't know where to put it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know where to put that either. <laughs> My number one is a European film. That should surprise no one. Yes. Um. What European film? What European? That's sixty-four thousand dollar question. Um. This film became available to me late last year. Okay. I was like, you know what? I can't. I just can't. I'm sorry. I'm cooked. I got to go watch some, like, Mexican biker trash from the 80s right now. I can't do this anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want me to watch 
an almost four-hour French miniseries that John Waters had as his number one film of last year. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember John Waters. Talk. I can't remember the title of it though. Lil Franklin. Oh yes, I remember. I remember this because uh, we and you both check out John Waters' uh, top ten every year. Oh yeah. Because we think he's, you know, he he kind of straddles that line between trash and class. Class, yeah. Yeah, he really does. I mean, he's. We don't talk about him enough on the show, but he's really kind of the filmmaker. And in some ways, he he's kind of like a, a an unsung hero of the show because he yeah. always kind of straddles that line. A spiritual between, father of some yeah. sort, yeah. But yeah, his top tens are always interesting. Uh, matter of fact, his top ten this past year was super interesting. Totally was. He had some really great stuff in there. Um, this is weird. This is a weird year for me. I have two comedies in my top five. My number yeah. one film of the year in some ways is a comedy, and I'll be forthright in saying Bruno Dumont's name was familiar to me, but he, from what I knew, was kind of like this French, kind of von Trier-y, you know, kind of an intense, uh, Kubrickian, kind of grim look at humanity filmmaker, and... It's testament to him. that I can't remember how the marriage happened, but French TV, they said, hey, we want you to do this kind of, uh, you know, kind of a cop kind of procedural thing for French TV miniseries, you know, four episodes, 50 minutes, each, whatever the math is. Will you do this? And he said, yeah, I want to do it my way, though. And no, you know, if I can do this and you have certain prerequisites and, and you're going to be free, man, otherwise I'll do it. So he does it. And, uh, this is a murder mystery uh, in a small town in northern France. Yeah, I remember reading about it. It's so ridiculous and it's so fucking absurd. All non-actors in the film. Oh, interesting. All non-actors in the film. This is a real cute tightrope walk that can blow up in your face. Mm. It's a risk. Yeah, man. Kino Lorber put this out, we should say, on disc. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, this deals with so many things. I, you could watch this three or four times, and I think it's so much out of it. It There's some really great... Um, <laughs> there's some great dialogue in here that feels very cliché cop procedural kind of buddy cop lines like it feels like they were riffing on some of the the stock um sort of script turns that you would see in stuff like true detective or you know talking about i think i told you like pure evil is as vast as the sea and it, it's it's just you can't help but howl at it it's so ridiculous um body parts are stuffed inside cows yeah. Um, there's some pretty nasty parts. Now, this also deals with French culture, and I think European culture, and I think humanity and racism and assumptions about. Uh, I think this, you know, a little bit of Todd Browning in here. I think I'd said this was Quentin Dupieux and Lars von Trier's love child, and I still kind of feel that way. Um, the detective in this, um, Bernard Provost, is kind of like a bumbling uh, Clouseau type. Mm-hmm. And I'd said this. I think he out Clouseau's Clouseau. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember That's that. That's my praise. I get it from this guy who's like a gardener in his normal life. Now he has these facial tics that, and this almost is a little bit like a, 
what's his name there that did um, Harmony Corinne <clears throat> on Harmony Corinne Werner Herzog thing of he has some people in here that have some disabilities and you know our, our lead character Quinn tit not lead but the, the titular Quinn Quinn character can't whatever the French saying would be uh, he's this boy who's partially deaf and has a hair lip and he's never looked at as some sort of saint he's looked at as a boy there's coming of age stuff in here there's ugly racism from the people in the town there's religious fanaticism there's so much going on with this you can enjoy it in so many different ways and i i, I after i saw i was with my mom and man i i just kept thinking like is this is this really gonna be my number one and i almost felt bad at first that it wasn't something epic or anything else but then i thought you know what the the, the method that this delivers so many great things that i like to see in film is a little different than I'm used to saying tree of life and all this stuff, but it's no less intellectual or sincere. So yeah, this is my number one. I love it. I would love to review it on the show. If for no other reason than to talk about, uh, commander Vander Waden and his sidekick and how <laughs> he always says, let's roll. And, uh, nice, nice. it's, it's, it's great stuff, man. Cool. Did you think this is going to be number one? Did you have any idea? No, 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 no. Matter of fact, most of your top ten, i got to say, uh, the only one that didn't surprise me, I guess, would be Hard to Be a God, I guess. Or Lobster? Uh, well, Lobster kind of surprised me, yeah. That kind yeah. of surprised me a little bit because I, okay, cool. I didn't get the vibe that you liked it. I mean, I've got the vibe that you liked it quite a bit, but not as much as you did. Yeah, yeah. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah, you kind of surprised me this year. I had a lot of surprises, too, from you. I was... Uh... That's cool. I think you probably just, for me, you probably just got stuff that you forgot that I'd watched. Some of it, but some of it, uh, you know, I didn't know you liked as much as you did. I got to be honest with you, my one and two, the Hateful Eight and Creed, I didn't, I didn't expect to like those dearly as much as I did. No way. No, I didn't think uh, out of any commercially released narrative film this year, I didn't think I'd like anything more than Ex Machina. Yeah, no, because I really loved. Yeah, so. it's a great one, man. So nice. That's uh, that's not the big show, but that's the top ten. We're we've been going the top ten strong for a while. We're gonna have to pick up the pace. You're getting to eleven to twenty, and then twenty. How are we gonna do this? We'll do this when we take the break. We come back. You wanna do that? We go twenty from eleven or eleven to twenty? Yeah, I think at this point we can go to eleven to twenty. You know. Hi, this is Angie Bates, aka Sweet Prudence, and you're listening to the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema with Big Willie and the Samurai. Hi, George. Morning, Terry. Hi, George. Morning, Terry. Oh, I'm so, 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 so. 
Okay, so we've gotten through the top 10. Now it's into the 11 to 20. I guess the silvers. Yeah, right? man, let's talk about gold, silver, and bronze. Gold, we started this during an Olympic year, and we kind of yeah. kept at it. I kind of like that. That's right. So uh, my number 11, I think, is probably the film that you would have guessed, if you were a betting man, would have been my number one this year. Uh, it's from a filmmaker who has really comfortably slid between uh, working in Italy and working in America. Ah, yes. Uh, I think he's probably, for my mind, my, one of my favorite, if not my favorite current working filmmaker that kind of is at the height of his powers. His last, I mean, he's really been on fire for me, and of course I'm talking about Paolo Sorrentino. Uh, his last three or four films have all been in my top three of the, if yes. not top two. Her yes. Beauty was number one. Yeah, I think uh, I think I think Devo uh, was in my top ten, but I think that Great Beauty was in my top fifteen. Yes, yeah. yes, and then this thus must be the place. And I haven't seen this. This was one of the ones. Yeah, I didn't get around to this must be the place, and I and I wanted to watch this one and uh, tried to and just could not get to it. So sadly. I think I had said to you, this film to me felt like maybe the one that would speak to you the most out of all of his films. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I still feel that way. I don't know what it was. This isn't yeah. certainly a bad film. I mean, it's my number 11 of the year. But sure. when, when a guy's had you know three films in the top two, a uh, little bit of a step back. But I think that you know you get Michael Caine, you get Harvey Keitel, Jane Fonda. Uh, Paul Dano puts in a really great supporting turn here. Um and again, I hinted at her, uh, Rachel Weiss. Yes, that's what I knew. Yes. I knew that was in her somewhere. That's right. So this uh, this is about two older men, Keitel and, and uh, Kane, who best friends at a, a Swiss, uh, uh, not a salon, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a spa? A spa, like a spa hotel, really high-end. Uh, and just about them kind of ruminating on life and love and the past and their mortality and relationships. It, it, it deals with a lot of things that are soft selves to me, right? Yeah. Um, the, your past, nostalgia, our mortality, our our, our um, legacy. Um, it's, a, it's a wonderful film. It's a quiet film at spots. It's beautiful. It's profound. Um, but, yeah, it just didn't quite have the juice to get in the top ten this year, but that's not, you know... Nothing wrong with that. So that's my number 11. Mm, interesting. Are we going to go back and forth? Oh, okay. I can keep going if you want. Uh, either way. I, it doesn't matter. I mean, either way. We can do it either way. <clears throat> do you want to do your 11? Yeah, sure. I'll do my 11. Okay. That, uh, my number 11 kind of surprised me that I ended up liking this. I actually have two documentaries about one person. On my, oh, I, have, okay. I have 13 documentaries. So almost 50% of my list was documentaries this year. I have seems four be, or five, I think. Yeah, it seems to be creeping more and more. I don't know. don't know what that is, but it seems to be the genre I'm most attracted to lately. Uh, this one's uh, Soaked in Bleach. This one kind of deals with the more seedier side of what possibly could have happened. With more Bell. speculation or theorizing? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's a lot of speculation, but there's a lot of recordings, uh, actual recordings of uh, Courtney Love that are disturbing, to say the least. Uh, I feel like... There's a lot of truth in the documentary. I just don't know how much of it's true. I don't know if that makes sense. <laughs> no, I, mean, I think it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, there's definitely something going on. I, I'm not always a big – I mean, I do like conspiracies. Don't get me wrong. I do kind of – I am a little bit of a conspiracy buff. I do kind of like that stuff. Uh, but <clears throat> this one, other than the fact that there are some questionable reenactments 
uh, which are bizarre, uh, but they're almost bizarre in like a bad movie kind of way, and I enjoyed them. <laughs> Uh, they are. I mean, there's some seriously bad acting in the reenactments. Um, almost to the point where you have to think that they did it on purpose. Like they they couldn't have they couldn't have done these reenactments and thought, man, these are these are these are awesome. They they had to have done them like, oh man, these are so bad. We got to keep doing it this way. Um, it's just a, it, it's a, it's actually on Netflix incident now as well, and it's it's worth a watch. It's it definitely deals with the like I said the darker side than the uh, the other one. The other one, uh, Montage of Heck, which is on my list further down, but uh, that one's more of a kind of a quieter, kind of more, it feels like, well, let's put it this way. Courtney Love was involved in the Montage of Heck, but she was not involved in this one. So uh, that should tell you everything you need to know. <laughs> okay. I was yeah, really good, though. In, so. It's a little seedy. Might not be for everybody. Yeah. I, I really liked it. I know you like this, and I wanted to try to see them, but again, it was a numbers game. This, Beasts of No Nation, Clouds of Silmaria. There was a few I wanted to see. Yeah, I wanted to see Clouds of Silmaria. And, I heard some uh, really good things too. about it. Beasts of No Nation, I have no, we have no excuse for, obviously, but neither one of us could get to it. Yeah. It's well, one of those things, right? Yeah, I wanted to. you know, but yeah, just Part to... of me didn't want to deal with the material, too. You know, yeah, stuff, yeah. It's not material I really, you know. I mean, I've watched it in a few documentaries, and it bothers me in that, so I can't imagine if uh, narratively, I don't know, it might... I don't think it'll affect me more, but I just, I don't know. Child soldiers is never a, having children and watching child soldiers is never a, never a good thing. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> just, it's, you know, it, it's something that I would use, I, you know, I used to watch a lot of that kind of stuff before I had kids. After I had kids, it's just like, uh, yep. I'd really rather not, <laughs> you know, is, a, is there an episode of uh, Zoron or something? That's something other than you know, child soldiers. So, yeah, no kidding, man. Just grad, you know, grim stuff. But yeah, that was my number eleven, soaked in bleach. Okay, nice. My number twelve is a documentary that I implored you to see because I felt like it was one that was going to be up both of our alleys. I saw this might be the film that I saw earliest in the year that really stuck with me. I saw, I want to say I saw, it, you know, like early spring uh, last kind of, year. Yeah, Vendors is co-directed. Oh, that's right, that's right, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Salt of the Earth. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, the life and work of photographer Sebastian Salgado. This is on my list, too. Okay, good. I, I figured it had to be. It was such an incredible piece of work. Well, I mean, it's not on my top 30 list. It was on my list to watch. Oh, to oh okay. Well, there you go. But I know it make your list. Um, <laughs> I usually make a list as we go uh, throughout the year. I'll write down scribble stuff in, like, the footnotes of my ice cream book. Yes. And then toward the end of the – when you know, we get to cram time, I'll go through the books and write down the things I've scribbled. Mm-hmm. And then I'll go out and do, uh, you know, do with the internet. Thankfully, you can go out and do like everybody's <laughs> top ten list and just look through all kinds of stuff. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, you find a, every now and then you find a, some odd ones, but every now, most of the time you'll find a, you know, a general consensus. Like we both wanted to see Son of Saul. That's one of the ones that everybody was talking about. And yes. Neither one of us got a chance to see it. So that's right. I have a feeling that will not be Popcorn Fair either. Oh, that'll be just yeah, like uh, <laughs> pop and something to keep me happy. Yeah. Grim shit, but uh, Salt of the Earth is an astounding documentary. This guy has spent 40 years of his life documenting um, societies from far-flung corners of the world. One of the greatest photographers I've ever seen. I just can't believe some of the stuff he's captured on film. Uh, and he's a compassionate human being. Some of the stuff he's done to give back to the, the world and really, really, you know, it, Vim Vendor's co-directed it so that should kind of tell you the approach it takes uh yeah beautiful they capture this man's artistry and i think this it's an art to capture humanity 
uh, so beautifully. Uh, this is a really great documentary. I recommend. Nice. I'll definitely get to that at some point. My number 12 is probably the generally, I guess the consensus is most, a lot of people's number one and one of the most talked about loved films of the year. I did like it quite a bit, uh, probably a little bit more than you, but uh, yeah, judging that it isn't that my entire, it's on my list in yours, it might be on your top 30 somewhere, maybe. I don't know for sure. Yeah, uh, yeah Mad Max Fury Road, I, re- I did enjoy it uh, quite a bit. I, you know, I didn't, I, I didn't have the overwhelming love for it that yeah, a lot of people yeah. did, but I do think it's one of, visually, is one of the more unique films of the year, and, you know, George Miller, you know, bravo to him to be able to make a film with such high energy at his age. Oh, man. And such craziness. It's like he had this film boiling inside of him, like, for the last 20 or 30 years. Mm-hmm. It just kind of all came to the surface. And uh, it's a nice way to keep that uh, that character and that uh, genre alive. And, uh, you know, evidently they're going to do some more. And I don't know if uh, Miller said at first he wasn't going to be involved, but now he says he is going to be involved. I mean, I don't know. Um, but I, I, I love the visuals of the movie quite a bit. Uh, I just don't think there's anybody who does the... Uh, the post-apocalypse uh, with cars and stuff like George Miller. I mean, it's just, I mean, there, there are a lot of people ape it and I love that stuff too, but uh, nobody quite does it like him. And it's, you know, obviously he doesn't design everything, but he does get final approval and the, the cars, everything in this movie is just insane looking. Just the ideas and stuff. I love the, the breastfeeding women. Yeah. And, it feels uh, like I'm, the, um, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I'm just talking about the, the cast of characters. Like he's never afraid to cast like, great faces or like little people and just this bizarre things. Like it really just felt like a young man's movie. It felt like I said this to you. It felt like, not that I've read them, but I've seen stills and panels and stuff. It felt like Joe Dorowski's comic books. It felt like, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's something else. I'll say this. And this is where I was kind of hinting at. People are going to kind of think my list is dog shit. I don't have Mad Max on my list. Um, it's oh, an honorable yeah, mention. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I know you liked it, though. I, I definitely, I really liked it. And I'm glad I got to see it on big screen. I'm glad I got the love it did, and I'm glad it made the money it did, and I'm glad Miller got to make it. Yeah, I'm glad I got nominated for Best Picture. Who uh, absolutely, oh, man. Absolutely. You know, but I just got to say, as great of the production, just this, you know, so much practical work, which kudos to everyone involved in that. Um, just something, like you said, I mean, you obviously liked it more than I did, but I still loved it. Mm. Honorable mention. It just didn't. Like I love part one and part two more than this, yeah. I, and I, I think this isn't really Max's film, and a lot's been said about that. Um, yeah, no, it's, it definitely doesn't really. And the more you think about it, in hindsight, it definitely doesn't feel like his film. It feels like a reintroduction of that character through the eyes of the real lead of the film, right? Well, that's just it, right? And I think part of my problem was as great as. Tom Hardy is, I mean, in another film, here's a spoiler for you. The Revenant didn't make my top 30. Ooh. I love The Revenant. It was... Yeah, I know. would have thought maybe it might have made the 30. <clears throat> well, a lot of people, and I thought it would make my top 30, but I just, you know what? I'm well, glad. you only got 30 slots, man. You got 30 slots. It's not to say, it's an honorable mention. Great film, beautifully shot, but the opening really grabbed me more in a Malick, um, New World kind of way. It was just, <laughs> man, it was shot amazing, but... It just the further in we got, the more I love Leo and I love his commitment to film, as we've talked about on the show. But you know what, man? Hardy in that film was more mesmerizing to me. And but yeah. whereas in this, I feel like he was kind of devoid of 
something. I don't know. No, no, no. I, I, I mean, I will agree with you in some ways. I mean, it's, it's, an, it's a weird thing. I mean, he's there. and uh, He's there. Know. That's just it, yeah. <laughs> he's there. I mean, I, I guess they're setting something up for, you know, later on down the road. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. But It was uh, a bizarre choice. I got to agree. But, and let me get this off my chest because it's been bugging me since I first started seeing stills from this film or screenshots. The shot of him with that, that mouth mask on as, like, the hood ornament of the car, mm-hmm. I can't get over how much, to me, that looks like Gerard Butler. <laughs> he does. If you look at that still, it's unbelievable how much it looks like Gerard Butler. <laughs> Maybe that's why I didn't like it very much. I'm not a big Gerard Butler fan, but... Yeah, I don't know. <clears throat> I don't know. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't... I mean, again, you know, what you like is what you like, so you never know. I think the... Next one, my film at number 13, I know you did not like it all, so... Oh, okay. Can't wait to get there. So let me get my 13... Out of the way, then. Oh, you're 12. Oh, you're 13. You're my 13, 13, yeah. Uh, my 13 is a film that I think you would have definitely crammed had it been available, but much like with this guy's films, even though both of us adore him, they just are slow to get across the pond, and uh, it's Takashi Miike's Over Your Dead Body. Oh, yeah, yeah, that one, that one, I read about that one a long time ago, and yeah, they're slow to get over here. Finally, I think Kuza uh, Apocalypse, I think that popped up or like earlier this year which i thought looked a little bit too you know yeah. prefab that one's weird because that one got over quick <clears throat> whereas some yeah. of his other ones and i think it's because of the subject material straw shield yeah this frame is very much japanese it deals with japanese theater uh ibizo ichikawa who was the lead in his harakiri which we both loved mm-hmm. is in this um it's beautiful to look at this film it's it's kind of a weird you know dream within a dream you don't know how much is real how much is not Anytime Mickey makes anything, I want Japanese to ghost story. Yeah. Oh, for sure. He's always one to watch, right? I mean, we both yeah. love him. Uh, it's tight. 93 minutes long. Um, I, I quite enjoyed it. I, you know, I know uh, on Cool Cat, I think it was, you know, one of his favorite films of the year. And I, I did too. I, I, you know, Mickey, some people didn't like it, left him kind of cold, but not me. I, I quite enjoyed it. Yeah. My number 13, uh, unless you pulled a fast one on me, you hated. Uh, and that's Turbo Kid. Man, I hated this film. I hated this film so much. I know. I know. I, I really, it spoke to me for some reason. It worked for me. And uh, I really enjoyed it. Man. I, I liked it quite a bit. I've watched bits and pieces of it since then because it's on it's off. Occasionally, just kind of cue it up a little bit to have it on. But yeah, it, you know, it really works for me. And uh, I really have no other excuse for it than that. I mean, it just. It worked for most people. I'm clearly in the minority with this one. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I think you just like this one even more than you did like like uh, like Black Dynamite, which worked for you. I like Black Dynamite you. more than this, and it's been well documented how much I'm not really yeah. a fan of that. Yeah, but I like this one quite a bit. For me, this is. I don't know. It just it hit all the sweet spots. <laughs> that's fantastic. No, I'm glad it did for one of us. You know, because that's the thing, right? We got 60 films, two different voices. Um, yes. as much be as an it's interesting review, if we ever did it, that'd be an interesting one. Yeah, it would. It's you know, it's <laughs> yeah. For so who knows? That that'll be down. That'll be down the road. Two hearts living in just one mind, but two different tastes at times. Yes, that's right. The crib from uh, Phil. Um, my number. I'm glad. Um, Ironside got the work though. Yes, yes, yes. I was very happy to see him again. So, even though it's a very comfortable role for him, it's still a nice. Yeah, time. yeah, for sure, man, for sure. Okay, so my number fourteen is. Um, I saw this kind of late in the game. I recommended it to Fake Shemp. I knew he would like it. Um, it's a Turkish film. I think it was Turkey's uh, submission to the Oscars this year, actually. Uh, it's uh, Mustang. 
It's about five orphan girls. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This kind of, I guess the quick sort of quick sell for me would be to say it's the virgin suicides without the suicide as much. Uh, okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> I like I like the first part of that. And then you said as much. I like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, the five orphan girls, they're, you know, sisters. They've become bound through, you know, what's happened to them. Um they're seen playing with some boys on a beach, as you know, 13, 14, 16 year old girls are known to do. It's a small Turkish village. Uh, they're trying to force them off to get married, and it's just about these young girls, and it's coming of age over the course of a summer. This is a beautiful film, man. It, it, um, it is does that great thing where I'm a 30 something man. It feels weird to call myself a man. <laughs> like I want to put women inside or anything. And there's nothing really wrong with that. But to say I'm a man as if I'm not like a boy. Nice. Know, uh, versus saying male. I'm a 36-year-old man. This gives me insight and beautiful insight into the struggle and the plight of these five girls who are probably between 12 and 16 and what they endure and there's some sweet stuff in here. There's some little victories. There's also some rough stuff. And not like tribe rough, because tribe goes to no way levels, especially at the back end. There's some fire hydrant-esque stuff. Um, but it, this really worked for me, man. Coming of age, kind of abruptly, cultural stuff, really beautiful. The girls all put in fantastic performances, which young young actor and actresses don't always do. But, man, they, these girls are good. Love this film. Nice. All right. Number 14 is uh, Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. Oh, nice. I'm wondering. Okay. Okay, nice. That's an honorable mention for me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that one goes way back. I was trying to get that in last year, remember? So was I. We both were just yeah. hanging to get it in, and we couldn't. Couldn't get in. Had to get it in right after the fact. So. Yeah, the, the disc came out, right? Yep. I quite enjoyed it. Anyway, Girl, Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. Um, yeah, just a beautiful kind of reimagining of the vampire mythos. Wonderfully, it's not an Israeli film, as we said, right? Uh, no, Iranian. Iranian. Yeah, there we go. Yes, but uh, directed by an American uh, with bad descent. Misspell, yeah, a bit of a miss. Yeah. Uh, either way, yeah, that that that, that mis- misspeaking there could get me in a lot of trouble, depending on where I'm That's at. Two different sides of a coin. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Stupid American there. Um, either way, gorgeous movie. And uh, we reviewed it on the show, so if you really want to hear what I think about it, uh, go back and listen to that. But yeah, it's it's awesome. And a unique voice, and uh, Anna Lily Amirpour seems like a rad chick yes. in her life. She's got a cannibal movie coming out. Yeah, and I'll follow what she does. We can't have enough female or yeah. ethnic female voices in film. Yep, she seems she's... super cool, and I'm very excited to see what she does next. Super cool, super smart, and super hot. Yes, she is very cute. And there was this great – I'll never forget this, and I've never admitted this on the air, but um, there was some tweet that she tweeted out where our good friend Kelly uh, had said, she's the girl for me. Right? She said something like, what food makes you shit good? And he like just fell in love with her at that moment when he read that 
tweet. Yeah. And I just, it's, for some reason, that's always stuck with me. I was like, yeah, this is one cool chick, man. Like, you know, I think we all have food that makes us shit good. So. Oh yeah, we all we all know what makes uh makes the uh cleans the body up. Here's a rubble double. Five minutes it lasted. So, yeah. but uh, good on Emma Lily. I can't wait to see that cannibal film. So. Yeah, yeah, it's gonna be awesome. Cool. <laughs> but that, that that's a good disc too. That's a buy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So very cool. Uh, my next up, uh, number fifteen, is a film. It's about a troubled film, a uh, troubled filmmaker, a troubled musician. You know, a genius, um, in my estimation. Um, yeah, I think I know which one this is because you asked me about it. Yeah, yeah, I guess you must. Yeah, I guess you must. Yeah, because I meant to watch it. It was on my like wish list to rent off uh, iTunes. I meant to watch it. I was actually talking to Tim about it a little bit. Yeah, well, then I because I was trying to fake left with Amy, but uh, really I'm going right with Jocko. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had a feeling it was Jocko because you asked me about Jocko and you didn't ask me. But, of course, you know I've already seen Amy, which I liked quite a bit, but it didn't make my top three. Yeah, and, you know, I feel like it's a step backwards. Uh, Steve Capadia made Senna, which Senna was in our top five, I think, for both of us a few years ago. Oh, yeah, ago. it was amazing. Um, let me say this about Amy. Amy's not on my list. Didn't make even my own mention, but it is a good documentary. Oh, it's, yeah, it's very good. It's, uh, I like it. A tragedy. Amy Winehouse is one of my favorite musicians of the past 30 years. Tremendous talent that, unfortunately, it was a perfect storm for mm-hmm. tragic Literally. ending. Yeah. Sadly. Yeah. Still a good documentary. Still worth everyone's time. But Jocko, I'm going to be honest here. I had no idea who Jocko Pistorius was. You're a musician. <laughs> I knew the second I'd seen this, I said, i got to recommend this to Sammy. Yeah, yeah. I do know who Jacko Pistorius is. <laughs> you sure do. I'm. Sh- I would be. I knew you would. Uh, our good yeah. friend Morris, um, you know, just a guy that loves music, just has an endless uh, knowledge and love for music. He said, "Hey, man, you got to see this. I know you crammed Amy." And he actually, the things he said, I agree with completely. He talked about how Amy doesn't really illuminate the brilliance of the music as much as it shows the tragedy of what was going on sure. in the paparazzi, sure, yeah. which I feel he doesn't really talk about the music as much or even the creativity. There's some good moments in there with it. Yeah, but not enough, I think. Yeah, not enough of that, the creativity, too much of the destruction. Correct. Whereas Jocko deals a lot with the brilliance of the music, but it gets a lot of cool talking heads like Flea, Bootsy Collins, Joni Mitchell, on and on and on and on. Mm-hmm. Um, Getty Lee, I mean, just on and on. Sting, I think, all sorts of people. Uh, I'd never even heard of Jocko until this documentary, and I just I can't stop thinking about it. It was um, just really well done, and I looked into the filmmaker uh, Stephen Kejack, and he's accomplished. I mean, he did uh, Scott Walker, Thirty Century Man. I love that one. Yeah, yeah, for sure, man. Um, Cinemania, which I haven't seen, but it's I about seen that one you know what it is. It's about Five really obsessive uh, cinephiles in New York City. I've never seen it. It sounds interesting, though. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But anyway, Jocko is a beautiful tribute to a tortured soul, an astounding, astounding musician who a lot of people say, you know, basically rewrote the book when it came to bass. Yep. Right? And as soon as I saw this, I, I knew I had to mention it to you being a musician, so... I used to play music with a guy we used to call Jocko for a joke because he he wasn't very good. <laughs> he wasn't very good? No. Well, like, come on, Jocko. So settle down over there. But uh, it was, you know, he being facetious, obviously. And nice. Now I think as an older man, I feel like guilty for teasing. But, you know, that's that's because I've gotten older and wiser. I was younger and meaner back then, you know. Yeah. You know how it is. We all know how it is. 
Oh man, sure. Speaking, I got a nice segue though. Speaking of younger and meaner, my number fifteen, uh, Gaspar Noé's Love. Nice. This this makes my list. I'm not going to say where. Yeah, I like this film. I I mean, I I didn't love it as much as uh, Void or Irreversible. Oh. This is in some ways. I know some people didn't like the characters. Uh, this one handles youth and love the way I feel like it actually is. It's honest. It's true, man. Yeah. And wrong way. how selfish people can be and how mm-hmm. you know stupid they can be uh, in these in these scenarios and how simple things turn into major big deals for young people and messy and loud. Yeah. Messy. And you know, these are not characters. These are obviously, these are not people I'd want to hang out with. These are the kind of people that I would be like, ugh. And it's also, you know, they're drunk again or they're high or whatever. But you know, at one point I was hanging out with those kind of people and that's just one point is part of us are in here. Yeah. And youth and, you know, lack of maturity. It shows through here. This film is very autobiographical for no way. It's a very really personal. Yeah. yeah. It's his most personal film. I would say, it still has all of his uh, little, you know, his little uh, eccentricities are all in there. You can still see his film, his camera work, his thing. I guess the thing people would probably be most astounded about if they haven't seen it is the kind of explicit sexual contact in the film. Some have called it pornography. I don't feel like it's pornography. I feel like it's no explicit sex, but not pornography. There's there's a difference between the two. I think the salesman in him knew it would be a great way to get buzz on the internet to talk about it as the first X-rated sort of porno love film, but I don't think that was really what his intention was as much to show sexuality and love in a very frank and honest yeah. way. I mean, they're doing some things that you could deem pornographic, yeah, maybe, but sure. I mean, they're only doing things that young people would do to experiment, right? Totally. So uh, nothing feels, to me, like I was never uncomfortable. No. Uh, like with, well, I guess I'm never totally too uncomfortable with porn either, but I mean, I'm just saying, you know, with that, like if somebody was to, if I was to watch this with somebody, you know, obviously I wouldn't watch it with my family, but no, uh, also with my wife actually at the theater. <laughs> yeah, that would be different. I mean, that would be fun, yeah. but even she wouldn't be repulsed because yeah. it's not, there's no, nothing repulsive about it. Yeah. There's nothing repulsive about it because at any given point in time, probably one of us has done one of these things. It's not that big a deal. I mean, it's just not that big a deal. That's right. And I think some people kind of got harped on that too much. And I think some people harped on the characters too. They were irritating. But I think that youth, the older we get, youth is irritating. Yeah, it becomes loud and just brash. And Yeah. I mean, the older, I mean, the more I see it, I see thinking. I listen to young people talk and stuff. And I'm just like, oh, God, these kids. Uh. Yeah. And I knew I'd, yeah. I knew I'd reach that point eventually. Extra. <laughs> yeah. So extra. Curmudgeon. Um, but it's a really good movie, man. It's still a really good movie. It's still Gaspar Noah. I mean, I... I hope he makes, you know, movies. I mean, he makes these movies and he works really hard at them and, you know, he doesn't have a lot of money and to make them and it takes him a long time to get stuff done. I, you know, he's in his fifties now. I hope he gets to make, and he's really good in the film. We should say he acts in the film. It's really a good fun performance. Yeah. yeah, it's a fun performance. He's actually a lot shorter than I thought he would be. Yeah. Well, I mean, not short, short. I mean, he's a little shorter than you. You got your picture taken in this, this past year, but yeah, he's not too bad. Yeah. I think he's about the same height as me, maybe. Not, but I gotta be honest. Huh? I was geeking out at that. Oh, yeah, no, I was, too. <laughs> I almost made that my profile picture. <laughs> <laughs> I wish you get a sandwich picture, man. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'd have been all over him. Like, yeah. hey, come here, come here, you Argentinian <laughs> mother. Um, no, but, you know, I, I love the guy. I love his sensibility. Uh, obviously, you know, you and Joe reviewed Angst this past year, or maybe it was earlier this year. I can't remember. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the more and more you talk about Angst, the more and more you see all of Gaspar Noe's films in Angst. Um, but this is uh, as close as I think you'll ever get to a sweet 
Gaspar Noe film, and it's not even that. I mean, some of it isn't that sweet. There's a lot of sweet, but I think there's a lot of melancholy. And I, I said this after I started to see the pattern developing. It's heartbreaking too, toward the end. Heartbreaking. Very heartbreaking. Enter the void, um, and going back and seeing, I stand alone. Seeing irreversible. It felt weird to say at the time, but I feel like I've been validated in some ways with my this theory that each film of his gets progressively sweeter and more melancholy about a tragic moment or a devastating moment that shatters or irreversibly alters. Pun intended. <laughs> yeah. I was trying to think of another word. I thought, fuck it. Irreversibly alters love yeah. or the love in a relationship. Well, I'm not too surprised that he's done what he's done, that he's kind of done this because I don't know how many irreversibles or voids one person could have in no, How many can you have? It just it, – it spends you too much. Yeah, yeah, which I mean because, I mean, those are – you know, and I stand alone as well. Those are angry films it's made by a much more angry. younger and angrier person, right? So, yeah, absolutely. Maybe not – maybe angry is not the wrong word, but a much more aggressive certainly person. I think angry is – I think it's a very fair word to say. Yeah. I think we're all angry at some point, aggressive. Yeah. And I think both words are fair to say. And as we get older, we become we have the ability to look back at our lives. Mm-hmm. And yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I think that's what he's doing with love. I think he's looking back, absolutely, on past mistakes and uh, like we all do. I think melancholy. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's a uh, it's a nice touch the way he handles it. I think it's very well done. Totally. I know Vish, I know Vish hated this movie. Yeah, he did. And this is a mixed one. Some people thought... Um, and yeah, I expect he, that. Well, of course, you expect that from Noe every time. He's but. a very divisive filmmaker, right? Um, a little bit of fun and mediocre. I found it, to be honest, I, I was really blown away. There's a freeze frame at the back end in a bathtub. Really walloped me. Oh, there, man, that, that was rough. Man, that walloped me. And then there's a moment when uh, the two leads are walking through the park with the leaves coming down. That was gorgeous. Gorgeous and sweet and melancholy and especially having the benefit of knowing what was to come and how they never could have known what was going to come in their lives and how you relate that to your own life. Right. Right. So that really hit me too in young love and the well-intentioned young love and how it can be um, destructive and sad and just, it's too late. You can't go back and you make mistakes. Yep. You just can't get out of your own way or the way of each other. And I'll say one more thing about this film and I'm talking about it now because I'm not going to talk about it later. Um, amazing soundtrack to think that uh no way who's a, a film fan like we're film fans um for him to set a gangbang to john carpenter's assault on precinct 13 theme amazing. amazing and it works perfectly somehow it works somehow. i have no idea i, I never would have put those two together oh it works perfectly his um use of maggot brain by funkadelic is great yep. um you know his use of pink floyd is fantastic man just Great, great, great stuff. Yeah, it's really good stuff. I mean, he's visually, he's still one of the best filmmakers working. Amen. Uh, and hopefully he'll keep uh, he'll keep going. Hopefully it won't be as, as, you know, six and seven years between projects. But at the same time, if what I'm getting is, you know, the four feature lengths I've gotten out of him as a fan have been four films I'll never forget. Yeah, and I think at this point, you know, he's a filmmaker that you look at, like Tarantino, you could say, as a contemporary. I mean years before him, but I have to say with his four films, and this is what I'm kind of getting at with Tarantino is they're about the same age, those guys. Well, that's just it. And I feel like when it's all said and done, now, I'm going to love noise output more because there's more kind of, even though thematically some things are similar, I don't know. I just, I feel like, well, I feel like Tarantino's violence is entertainment, whereas Tarant, whereas noise, there's no entertainment value. And no, it's, it, there's a noise violence. His violence is there to 
Well, it's there to make you sick, really. It, it, I think it's more, and I don't want this to sound pretentious. Or, I think it's more artistic intent. He's a more primal. Yeah, I, I think he's a more primal, kind of guttural filmmaker, whereas yeah. Tarantino's much more of a fan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who's got a chance to make movies? Which there's room for both. I mean, not to see you have to have one or the other, but sure, sure. What moves me more in looking back over their films is. But it's interesting you call him a contemporary because I think a lot of people don't know they're about the same age. Yeah, they like each other. They admire each other's work, right? Mm-hmm. Um, okay, my number. 16 is also a love story uh, that just couldn't be. And this film kind of caught a lot of buzz. It's right along, too. Right along, too. All part, too. A man in a segue. Um, uh, this film, I'm a sucker for... Um, I'm a sucker for melodrama when done right. Uh, I am also very much a sucker for a filmmaker who worked about 50 years before this and did melodrama better than anyone for my money, and that's Douglas Sirk. Oh, yeah. Uh, and the man who directed this film, Todd Haynes, is a, is a sucker for Douglas Sirk, and it's his film Carol from this year. Oh, nice. I didn't know you liked Carol that much. Good. I'll tell you what. Here's a, little, here's a little fun fact. This is my first American film on the list. Yeah, I noticed. Number 16. Wow. So do I have any other? Let me just look. I have one. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven more American films to talk about. Nice, nice. I love Carol. I thought it was beautiful. I, I production design's gorgeous. I've never been a Rooney Mara fan. I've said that, but I think she's great in this. She's perfectly cast. You, you and I are. You know, Blanchett's our homegirl. She's amazing in the film. Kyle Chandler's good. He continues to pick small, smart roles. He's have a good little body of work. And he's good awesome. Taxi's uh, been a guy they've tried to push to the forefront a lot, yeah, yeah. and uh, I don't know if that's where he belongs. No, no, I don't think he does either, but he's good in supporting roles. Uh, Sarah Paulson's good in a small role. Carrie Brownstein shows up. Uh, a few other people along the way. Uh, it's, it's it's a tragic you know, story um, in some ways. Beautiful, though. Beautiful film. Costumes. Just 50s New York City. You know, a story of love uh, between... Um, it's adapted from a Patricia Highsmith novel, we should say. Uh, two women that are, you know, one's for better or worse, one's rich, one's poor, and they fall in love in a time that uh, frowns on that sort of thing. So, yeah, great film. I loved it. Good stuff. Glad you like that. Especially with my mom. I gotta say that there's a DP crass. There's a muff that we've seen in this. It wasn't too comfortable to watch with moms. Oh man. Jeez. But it was in the 50s, so there wouldn't have been any trimming then, yeah. No, and I got to say, I have to say this as weird as this sounds, I almost felt more comfortable watching this than watching, like, the sex scene in 45 years. No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. I don't, uh, I don't know. Well, you know, who knows? Freud would be interested to hear yeah, you talk yeah, about No doubt, no doubt. <laughs> <laughs> and I got to say, Deepon, my mom loved Deepon and Lil Quinquin, so... Maybe she's well, like me as nice. a film fan, then uh, I would have thought. <laughs> Number uh, 16 for me, uh, The Wolfpack. Nice, nice. I quite enjoyed The yeah. Wolfpack. Uh, this found it interesting. This It's a great story. I'm not going to talk too much about it. It's a kind of a buzz film everybody knows about. But these brothers that grew up and essentially never really left their apartment mm-hmm. and uh, kind of created their own little world where they were making movies and rewatching movies over and over and over again and kind of living through the movies. Because it was kind of like the one vice their dad would allow them to have. He just rent movies like crazy. 
Yep. It's just a strange, bizarre thing that, you know, these kids grew up like this, but um, it's also kind of enlightening and, and kind of sweet. Sweet, yeah. Yeah, in a weird way. Um, some of those kids, they... they <laughs> They're 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 different to say the least. To say the least. but they, I like that they're creative. And it's oh different. yeah, man, totally. And that, you know, they, I I think it's interesting when you you do something like that. They 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 became creative out of necessity. They sure did. To like get by, and I think that's interesting. And I expect that you'll probably see a maybe a film or something from one of these kids one day. Maybe so. Yeah. No. Maybe so. I I can't remember. I remember feeling like some of the important stuff had been glossed over a little bit, but I think that was also what gave the director access was to sure. not pry with certain things, but it, very interesting. Yeah, sure. Cause there's definitely, there's definitely to me, I feel like there's a darker side. Yeah. And they go into it a little bit, a little bit, but, and obviously that has, he's got a drinking problem. He's got some other issues. Yep. I mean, to keep that many kids in the, in a, this a New York apartment that there's, there's an issue there. And I have to wonder, and I have to be honest too. I have to wonder how much, truth there isn't that that they were really in there that much like yeah that i, I mean i have to wonder too i mean it just seems something's for interesting cultural or mm-hmm. uh, family dynamic observation human observation for sure yeah it's very bizarre yeah it is again so hopefully hopefully the kids will come out all right and hold and the whole deal they seem to which is the, the great thing right like yeah they seem to adapt about you know film and and art which yeah. is nice yeah, which is very cool, man. Very cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're rooting for them. You see them. They seem sweet, right? Yeah, I think it's a good documentary for movie lovers too. Like it shows you, the, you know, the, the power of film. You know, to help people get through tough times. Yeah. Because if you feel like at some point these kids just like they had nothing but the movies mm-hmm. and each other, so. I know you're right. I mean, it was obviously they were watching stuff that I wouldn't show my kids probably at a young age, but uh, you know, they they adapted to it well, and that that goes to show that you know. It's not the material; it's the kid. That's that's what people I think. I mean, obviously, I don't run around and show my. Me and my son don't watch. He's five years old. We don't watch Pulp Fiction every night. <laughs> but you know, if I felt he was ready for it, I'd let him watch it. Mm-hmm. You know, you know when your kids are ready for something. You don't need somebody else to tell you that. No, exactly. You're with them every day. You know what they can watch handle. Um, to speak about truth being stranger than fiction, I want to get into my next film. Unless you have anything else to say. Just the docu- documentary about uh, our trip to Horham. No, that's uh, truth is hotter than fiction. We need to get back to that, though. We need to get back to that. I was thinking that today, man. I was thinking that today. I haven't been able to make any of those. It's been terrible. I had to work last week. It's terrible. Yeah. Man, I don't want to. The March one I always have trouble with. Yeah, the weather shit. I almost always have to work, too. No, I know. It's a tough go. Maybe we'll try to get this. And I don't want to wake up in a bathtub uh, this time. Jeez, man. What a mess. I was was actually a little embarrassed today. I was thinking. Fuck, that was a sloppy mess at the last one. Just throwing it back, going hard. Well, there's a lot of stuff flowing that, that, in the gazebo, gazebo, as uh, I really called it. Good lord, yeah, it was. <laughs> I, I, I will, I will hoist less frosty glasses. With yeah, less J and B shots. Yeah, man. They'll sometimes put me over the top. Usually when I get to that point, I'm like, whoa. Yeah, I have a couple. It's like half for me, half for you, not two for me. Oh, yeah, because you, you start doing you start doing that because everybody wants to do one. Yeah, like you that. do and it with everyone. Just, yeah, and that's the problem is, you know, you drink, you know, five or six beers and now you've done, you know, seven shots of J&B. It's like, oh, boy. And I don't drink. One of those kind of nights. <laughs> yeah, and I don't, I don't drink through the, through the year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I don't either. I mean, yeah, I don't so, drink like that. No, not like that. That's like... 
I'll have back the occasional college. beer. Like, a, like if we go out to eat, I'll have the occasional beer. But that's mm-hmm. that's I don't even drink at home. I could have a six pack in my fridge all summer if we yeah. have people over. Yeah, I, as a matter of fact, I have I had beer from last Super Bowl. Oh yeah, yeah. I've done, I've been there. I have Carlsbergs in my fridge from the summer that someone brought over when we were having a get together. Yeah. So I just it's just not something I do. But you know, if people come over though. Oh, yeah, exactly, man. I just uh, don't really get down with it too much. And again, you know, teach their own, but just, yeah, for whatever reason. That time with a steak or something, like you said, or wings or something. Or hot. I'm a bit of a man-child, you know. I'm just as happy with a glass of chocolate milk. Let me tell you something, man. I thought of you <laughs> because I had the most amazing ice cream the other day. Oh, yeah, yeah. I saw, was that one of the pitchers? The Marble Slab Creamery. Good Lord. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been there before. It's good stuff. I'd never been there, and I asked them how long they've been beside our house, and they said, oh, seven years. I have yeah, it's, been- it's, it's, good, it's good ice cream. Nutella and pina colada mixed with almond shavings and coconut shavings. Yeah, I've been about, you know, I don't have much of a sweet tooth. You're more the sweet tooth guy. Yeah. And I have not stopped thinking about this ice cream. <laughs> so nice. good. Be careful. You can't stop thinking about it. That means you'll be back. Well, it's bad because then I've also been getting into the Italian Easter uh, bread, which oh, yeah. is like braided sweet cookies that have eggs baked in them. Oh, yeah, I've already been into the damn Reese's peanut butter eggs. I've had to tell my wife to buy those damn things. My wife made 20 chocolate chip cookies tonight, four rounds of five. <laughs> so I thought, well, there's four of us. These five cookies are mine right now. And I ate them before we recorded, just like nice. that. I'm nice. restrained. I'm a child. So. <laughs> yes, that sounds like something I would do. Oh, um, we got how many kids we get? How many people we get in the house? Oh, okay. Then those those three are mine. Those kids these are, are yeah, these are like, <laughs> The kids won't be tempted to. But this kid was tempted to. <laughs> fucking vacuum. Ridiculous. Uh, um my number seventeen is a film that I wanted to put higher up my list because I wanted to push this film so hard on everyone. I fucking love, love, love this film. I cannot wait for it to get it's like it's 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 just it did a bit of a an art house run. It was at TIFF. I meant to review it at TIFF. I had so many notes on it. It blew my mind. It was my favorite film at TIFF. Uh-huh. Um, it played in New York City, and I heard about it, and it was like the next day, I was like, friends in New York, you've got to go see this film. Uh, it's uh, Arturo Ripstein's Bleak Street. Yes. Shot in high contrast black and white. Truth is stranger than fiction. Two dwarf luchador Mexican wrestling brothers were murdered by two prostitutes and this is about that 24 hours this if you love uh i should say ripstein to give everyone a thing of his pedigree he's got some stuff what either on criterion or eclipse like deep crimson which is a true crime story um this is a guy who reminds me of almodovar in some ways in terms of respecting the marginalized people in his Films and giving them a sense of humor and humanity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They shot in this old part of Mexico. Mexico, I think it was Mexico City. Maybe I'm wrong. They shot here, and it, it probably alongside the tribe, it looks as good, and by good I mean awful, like in terms of how authentic it looks and crumbling, uh, as anything I've seen all year. Uh, great performances, so many great shots from this film. Um I wish we could talk. When this film gets any sort of release, I'm going to recover on the show. It seems like the kind of thing Kino Lorber might put out or something, maybe even Criterion, who knows. But if you get a chance to see this film, Bleak Street, you've got to see it. It's noir it's 
it's trashy it's insightful it's man it's got so much going on for it it's it's a very much a ggtmc film i love this film nice nice yeah i want to see it for sure just the the plot itself attracts me oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) um number 17 is slow west Oh, nice. Yeah, I quite like this. Very short movie. It's only like 79 minutes long, I think. It's like 80 minutes. I like it quite a bit. It's very standard, but it's also shot by European, and it feels that way. Yes, it does. Uh, Did they shoot it? Like, you know, America through a European lens, which was nice. And I liked it quite a bit. Yeah, Michael Fassbender's great in it, and so is the uh, Cody McPhee. Cody, Cody Smith McPhee. So he is great in it. Fassbender's great in it. Ben Mendelsohn is underused, oh, but he's got a great fur coat in it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he is underused in it. If you're going into it looking for, like, uh, I mean, he's a great bad guy in the film, but if you're going into it look like for a great performance, you're not going to get a whole lot of him, but what you are going to get, you're going to love. And is it Rory Cochran? No, Rory, not Rory Cochran. Rory. I can't remember. I said Rory Calhoun. I'm going through all the Rory's here. Yeah, go through the Rory's, you know. Hound from. Um, it, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, what is his name? Rory something. Seems like it does start with a C, though. I wish he worked more in film too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really. I really liked. I really liked the shootout at the end. It was well done. Oh yeah. It's a pretty movie too. It's gorgeous. So I don't have a whole lot to say about it. It's a very standard western. Very simple. But I think it works. It feels a bit like Jarmish's Dead Man in that it's kind of quiet and these one-on-one or two-on-two experiences. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I liked it a lot, too. It didn't make my list, but I did quite like it. Good stuff. Okay, cool. So my next one was on Instant. It's German. I really wanted you to see it to see how you felt about it. Um, this director's last film was Barbara. Uh, it's Christian Petzold's World War Two kind of Hitchcocky uh, drama Phoenix. Oh yes, yes, yes. I remember you talking about this. This was fantastic. Uh, disfigured uh, Holocaust survivor uh, gets a face transplant. Mm. And they use plastic surgery on her, and she sets out to find out if her husband actually betrayed her because she's Jewish. Her husband was not. She wants to find out if her husband sold her out and. She comes back into town, looks vaguely like she used to. Of course, she's been pronounced dead. And her husband, she's trying to piece together information. They're working on this thing together. And it's obviously saying a lot culturally and historically, but it's a really fantastic film uh, with great performances from the two leads. Um, I really liked it. Really good stuff. Like I said, if you're into um, even... um, What's his name? Uh, Anatomy of a Murder. Oh, Hitchcock? No, no, no. no, no, no. I mean, uh, what's the German uh, filmmaker? Um, oh, Lang? Uh, maybe a little bit Lang, a little bit Hitchcock, and there's one more I'm thinking of. Otto Preminger. Kind of with that vibe of hey, all Maybe he did do Anatomy of a Murder. I can't remember. Maybe, no, maybe you're right. I'm probably wrong with this one. No, but, no, no. Anyway, this is a real good film, man. Production values are great. Good looking film. It's on instant. Dig into it. Definitely check it out. My number 18 is on Instant. Uh, you can check it out. and you I think you did check it out. I don't know if it's on your list, but it's The Look of Silence. This was really good. Um, didn't make my list, though. Super uncomfortable movie. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> really really beautiful and sad, and that's kind of an understatement. But some of, yes. the, some of the visuals, like the old man in the bath and just the frailty of 
human life. There's some great stuff in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is. A, I really like this kind of look into the day-to-day life in this kind of like small Indonesian area, Big and uh, but still disturbing uh, to the nth degree, man. And uh, man, just ugh, just some uncomfortable moments. And that, that it's poignant that it's called the look of silence because there's moments when our basically our lead, the one we're following, he just is just looking at these guys. And it's just like it's so uncomfortable. Like he's not talking. <laughs> and I'm just like getting so uncomfortable and anxious the whole time, you know. And finally, when he just kind of blurts out that you know what they what they did, they, they they you can see they're kind of on their heels a little bit. But at the same time, you know they feel justified because you know they're looked upon as heroes. So it's oh. it's a bizarre bizarre thing. Yeah, no, it's you're... a great companion piece to the act of killing. It I don't is. know if it's as good, but it, it's definitely a great companion piece. Yeah, no, it's it's, it's it is very good. It's uh, maybe not as kind of surreal, but it's oh, certainly not as surreal. No way. I don't think anything can be as surreal as the act of killing. That thing's way out there. It's really a heartfelt piece, though, and it is a great companion piece. Um, my number nineteen was uh, a film that I also tried to squeeze in at TIFF if I could. Wanted to see it on the big screen just because of. Um, you know, I thought it would it'd lend itself well to uh, some of the vistas and stuff. Uh, I think it was also nominated for Academy Award for Best Foreign Film this year, surprisingly. Um, it's, uh, I guess it's a Mauritania, a film from Mauritania. Oh, yeah. It's Timbuktu. Yes. This is a great film. I think you'd really enjoy this. Um, Cattle Herder and his family... They live out in the, the desert in Timbuktu. Um, it's a very simple life. Again, snapshot of a time and a place that I'll never probably have access to. Yeah. Uh, That's kind of the way I feel about the look of silence. I mean, even yeah. I would like to see Indonesia. Maybe I'll get a chance, but I don't even know if I want to go to certain areas. Well, that's just a good have to see that. Um, and it's still crazy that he had the access to the stuff he did. Joshua um, Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer. Oh yeah, yeah. The trust he got, insane. And it is insane. Um, especially it's, it's also uncomfortable when they get mad at him. They get mad at him, like in both those films, they get him. mad at him. <laughs> yeah. I started saying Joshua actually off camera. It's like, man, it's yeah. just getting real. But um, it's like, turn the camera off. Turn the camera off. It's like, oh man, Josh is getting ready to get beheaded. Yeah, no kidding. It's crazy. But uh, yeah, in this film, it's how these this simple kind of farmer and his family they. Avoid the jihadists, but some stuff kind of intertwines with their lives. And it's, you know, a, a family story more than anything um, about a man and his, his love for his wife and his daughter uh, and some of the hypocrisy of of, um, of extremists and how it impacts people uh, in that region. And I think a lot of times people take for granted that and only look at how it impacts the Western world. Um, but it's, this is an everyday struggle for people. And it's a beautiful film and there's a few really powerful, emotionally, emotionally powerful scenes for me that really hit home, um, as a family man. So yeah, Timbuktu, check it out. Good stuff. All right, man. My number 19 is, the other Western with Kurt Russell in it. This is Bone Tomahawk. Nice. Yeah. I love Bone Tomahawk, man. It's good. And, you know, it's it's not great. I, I thought I would probably like it more than the Hateful Eight, but I ended up liking Hateful Eight more, and I think that's probably <laughs> because of the writing. But 
the writing in this is very good too. I just think the you know for the first film that's probably the most impressive thing about it from S. Craig Zoller. So yeah, what well, debut film? Right? What, yeah, looking forward to what he does next. Wonderful. This is good, man, and it uh, it's easily the best cannibal western of the year. <laughs> <laughs> Shit gets real. Oh man. It gets real quick. <laughs> I should say this was your daughter's first film, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was, uh, <laughs> this is, uh, like I said, slightly different than my son's first film, Fertilance, which, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. this is totally different than that. But That's right. And hopefully she'll remember none of this until yes. she gets old enough to watch it on her own. Yes. But even then, when she gets old enough, I'm going to come in during the uh, cave scene and say shit's about to get real. <laughs> yep, that's right, man. And it gets real, all right. Even though, I mean, that part, one part's real, but I still think the part that bothers me the most, still in hindsight, thinking about it, is still that whiskey tin. Oof. That yeah. fire, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, oh, oh I know. Oh, man. Yes. That's an awful moment. It is. It was very much like a classic Western. Yeah. That's good, good stuff, stuff, man. Uh... Okay, my number 20 is another American film. Uh, this is what I held off on watching, man. I just felt like this was going to bum me out, and I was going to just be sad for days. And Joe, our good friend Joe, I think was the one that finally kind of put me over the edge to see it. Very much a New York film. Um, it's I want to say it's on instant. I don't know for certain. But it was adapted from a book written by the lead actress about her life on the streets as a heroin addict. And it's Heaven Knows What by the Safdie brothers. Yeah, I do believe that is on the yeah. Fuck, what a film, man. This is just grim and intense and a real slice of life. Um, yeah, this one really affected me. Uh, there's some horrible things in this, but it feels very honest. And there's there is a glimmer of optimism, especially when you look at the actress um, and how she's um, maybe you know turning the corner. But even still, that just I look at these young people and you know in the grip of addiction and it's it's some tough stuff, man. It's it's but it's a it's an authentic film and it, it's they think they capture it without without uh, exploiting it or, or um, making sort of misery kind of skid row heroin porn. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. So, good stuff, man. Really good stuff. And a great soundtrack. I think Ariel Pink uh, and a few other people do the soundtrack for this, and uh, it works really well, really well. Nice. All right. The mind, uh, oh, yeah, I guess I'm in the 20. Yeah, 20, yeah. All right, 20 for me is Kung Fu Elliot. Oh man, I meant to see this. This movie's insane. <laughs> this documentary's <laughs> insane. Kung Fu Elliot himself is one of the most insane people ever put to documentary film. This guy's it's just troubled, to say the least. Is it's like a, a kind of guy like Thor who? Oh yeah, but this guy wants to be. You know, even if even if he had Thor's popularity, he'd be happy with it. I mean, this guy has nothing. <laughs> this will this will be as far as he goes. But he's really in a lot of ways he's almost like a psychopath. Uh, He's just, you know, very narcissistic and very strange. The Canada's number one action star uh, is how he boasts himself. Oh, the Dragons? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's just, you got to see it to believe it. He's just a unique person. Most everybody that sees it quite enjoys it. Uh, but he does go some weird places, to say the least. And his girlfriend slash wife, who helps him shoot most of his movies, she's got to be the most patient and maybe giving person I think I've ever seen ever. And also, unfortunately a bad, a bad enabler. 
Yes. Of terrible behavior. <laughs> and there's a scene at a party, uh, like an orgy type party, that goes way out of hand. Wow. <laughs> and not in a good way. So, bad stuff. <laughs> That's classic. Yeah. It's just an ugly scene in a lot of ways. But anyway. Party. Yeah. It's, uh, but it's, it's, it's interesting. You should definitely check it out. I think you'd like it. Nice. Okay, let's take a quick break, and then we're going to jump right back into our um, 21 to 30, just because I want to take this in chunks if we can. All right. So let's, uh, let's do that. We'll be right back. are 21 to 30 and unfortunately uh, behind the scenes i've already rambled about this film for about five minutes uh, only to realize that it wasn't being recorded um <laughs> this is a film that uh, i'm going to go through the motions here that sammy and i covered no not sammy and i sammy and i were to cover on the show i had seen it earlier in the year couldn't wait for the blu-ray to come out Wanted to do it on the show with him because I felt like it was ripe to be talked about. Mm-hmm. Our good friend Joe Yannick, 
came on the show, and luckily he did because Sammy uh, was off collecting butterflies of his own that week. Um, I believe I was sick that week. Yeah, I think I was. Probably, yeah. That's yeah, uh, had a couple bad weeks and uh, this year, and I lost my. Vo- I don't know if I told anybody this, but about two or three weeks ago, I lost my voice for about a week. Yes, that's right. Terrible. That's right. And this just squeaked in. This was a January 23rd, 2015 release. Uh, I don't know if I've mentioned the name of the film yet. Peter Strickland's The Duke of Burgundy. Wonderful Blu-ray release. Fascinating film. Uh, deals with relationships. Um, cinematically, it looks at sort of the expectations we have. Defies expectations uh, cinematically and in relationships. Um, and looks at how even the most... Uh, exotic uh, and uh, interesting things sexually uh, can become mundane uh, and put friction in domestic life and what work it is to put into a relationship. Um, there's a lot of insight here. I think Strickland's one of my favorite working filmmakers. Um, yeah, he did Barbarian Sound Studio. Yeah, which we both loved. Mm-hmm. I think he's a great craftsman. This is a very tactile, beautiful film. And he does it in a way that... Um, even though he's he's intellectual, I think he's and I think it's this in review. He's my favorite, one of my favorite intellectual artists working today in film. So yeah, 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 it's good stuff. Yeah, and as I'd said, and I'll confess it again on the air, um, my love of satiny lingerie was sort of fully revealed and yeah. chiffon and things like that. So my love of custom made coffins. Yes, uh, <laughs> flourished. Yes, Oddly. indeed. <laughs> <laughs> oh man uh, anyway uh, and pair this with Carol there you go there's the double feature of the day yeah nice nice well you can pair this one with the Russian woodpecker yeah this is the one I'm going to talk about number 21 uh, Winter on Fire this is the Ukraine's fight for freedom I know you wanted to watch this one I did because I knew you really liked it yeah it's really good it kind of goes over the kind of revolution that was kind of taking place in the Ukraine uh, pretty graphic sometimes so be prepared I mean you know obviously there's real gunfire people are filming this and so real people Oof. die so can be a little rough in spots, i got to say. I don't like to watch people get shot by guns. It's not pleasant. But uh, I think it's an important film to kind of see what they were going through and what was going on in the Ukraine. Because I don't think a lot of people know nope. what has been going on there. So uh, Netflix actually released this. Uh, they didn't make it. They uh, they bought it up and released it. So really What's they good. been good about doing? Yeah, they have, especially with some of these uh, documentaries like Virunga last year. and Yes. So yeah, definitely check this one out. It's on there now, and it's it's well worth a watch. Very nice, very nice. Um, <clears throat> my number twenty-two is a film. I was playing a TIFF. I know I was speaking to Joe. Joe was really keen to see it. I like this filmmaker. I like his writing. It's kind of takes you down a rabbit hole. It's speaking of kind of cerebral artists. Um, this is a film that was getting a lot of buzz in our communities. I don't know what just... I didn't really want to see it, but... Not that I didn't want to see it. I was in no rush to see it. It's Duke Johnson and Charlie Kaufman's Animalisa. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a kind of claymation or stop-motion um, love story. Like looking at puppets, yeah. Puppets. Uh, you know, man crippled by the mundanity of his life experiences. Yeah, experiences in the other Anything Kaufman does, I'm always interested in. This is one I wanted to see. Yeah, I haven't seen sure. it yet. I'm sure, I'll see it pretty soon. Thulis is great. Uh, Jennifer Jason Lee's fantastic in this. Uh, Tom Noonan, I guess, does a ton of voices in this. Um, I think the thing I took away most from this is it is sad a bit. It's a bit melancholy. You get to see. Speaking of uh, 
how can I put this politely? Uh, eating pussy, I guess. For let's just cut to the chase. <laughs> yeah. This would have been when I would have been mortified if anyone had have walked into me seeing. Because there's a scene when um, the, the man, who's like a you know fifty something or forty something man, is eating the pussy of this puppet in their hotel room. And uh, how do you explain that? You know, but yeah, well. Yeah, it's kind of hard to explain, but this, yeah, no, totally. But this is a this is a, a really, I don't want to say sweet. It's an interesting look at um, the loneliness that is felt by David Thewlis's central character Michael Stone. Um, how he feels disconnected from his family. This feels, in some ways, it's very, to bring it back to Douglas Sirk. There's a great film Douglas Sirk did with Barbara Stanwyck and. I can't think of the lead that was in double indemnity with her. Um, McMurray? Fred McMurray, that's right. Uh, this kind of reminds me of a film they did together for Cirque, where he's, I think, a traveling toy salesman, and he feels like he's underappreciated at home. And it just kind of got a little bit of a vibe from that. But uh, anyway, this is really good, man. I, I really, it spoke to me and resonated. Not that I have any of these hangups, but how honest it felt with these puppets and how full yeah. of life it felt. You didn't catch yourself looking at uh, action figures around the house thinking about reenacting the hotel scene, did you? Thankfully not. Not my bag. Teach their own, <laughs> but not my bag at all. Yeah. I like the flesh and uh, Every time I think about the puppet sexy, I always think of Team America. And the, uh, oh, goodness. Scene, yeah, the like, shit scene, yeah. That's <laughs> wonderful. Oh, man, yeah. And it's all its, uh, all its absurdity. It's uh, wonderful. But, look at Kaufman, man. What a great, again, intellectual kind of artist. Like you open up, it's like a, a Russian nesting doll, is it? Yeah. You just layers upon layers upon layers. Well, you, did you ever see Schenectady in New York? Man, I never have, and I've had the DVD for ages. Yeah, you need to see that. That 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 one is layered upon layer upon layer. I too, gotta so. see that. Yeah, he's definitely an original voice. Yes. I wish he. Uh, I hope he works more. But yeah, there's nobody quite like Charlie Kaufman. He's a <laughs> He's a unique individual, to say the least. Oh, yeah. Um, 22 for me is the other Cobain documentary, Montage of Heck. Yes. Uh, I kind of want to just put one on here, but I'm, I'm kind of glad I put this one on here, too, um, because this one kind of is a little bit more of a private look at what his life was like. And you get to see, you know, how bad heroin kind of takes over your life. There's some truly sad there's some stuff in here that made me angry, you know, because he had had a child by the time Yeah. Some of this stuff was going down, but you know once something gets a hold of you like that, you know, depending on your personality and depending on who you are, you know, it, it got a hold of him and it got a hold of him bad. And uh you can see that it becomes more important than anything. And that's that's a that's a shame and it's a shame how it all ended up playing out. Um, regardless of what the other film might say it how it played out. This one either way the end result is bad for all involved. And it's just the the creepy thing about this one is the amount of, it's kind of like a Marlon Brando thing, except that this one, they have a lot of video audio tapes of Kirk Cobain when he was a kid. And there's this sense of wonder and happiness to this young boy. Uh, and it broke my heart mm-hmm. to think about this young boy turning into this, damaged young man yeah that was just broken in a lot of ways and just broke yeah and just broken stuff i mean it just broke my heart because we you know a lot of us start out you know happy-go-lucky we think the world is a perfect place somewhere along the way the world turns for some of us and some of it turns bad some of it turns good some of it 
who knows? But I mean, either way, unfortunately for him, it it both turned good and bad. It, it turned good as far as career-wise, but unfortunately, it gave him access to something that destroyed him. So, or actually, more access to something that destroyed him. He already had access, but this just gave him more access. But underneath all of that, what I'm always reminded of, and what this documentary reminds me of, is that we got to remember, you know, he just started out as a little boy. As a little boy that liked playing music and liked messing around with audio equipment and stuff. And it's pretty heartbreaking to hear that little boy, you know, talk. Say, I'm Kurt Cobain. Oh, you man. Know? Yeah, that would be. Yeah, it's just, it's just heartbreaking, you know, because it makes you think, you know. You, you know, I, I, when I was little, I was that little boy once. Yep. You know, I mean, maybe it wasn't with that type of thing. But, I mean, I was that little boy once. I thought the world was, you know, rainbows and unicorns and puppets eating pussy in hotels. <laughs> You know, but, uh, yeah, <laughs> but, uh, you know, the world, the world hardens you because reality sets in at some point and we, you know, we call it maturity, but that's what it really ends up being. I mean, and some of us never quite get there and it's, it's kind of sad to watch it slowly break this person, uh, to the point to where there's no coming back. So definitely not a happy go lucky documentary if you want to watch it, but you know, in a lot of ways, I think you probably like it uh, because you like that Marlon Brando one. Because in a lot of ways, it's doing the same thing. He's taken that material and he's made a film out of all these audio tapes that Kurt Cobain made. Man, I, I got to check that out. This is the one. This is this is montage of heck, right? Yeah, this is the one which that I have. And I've been supported by Courtney Love. Oh, okay, the other so. one is uh, not supported, and she's threatened to sue. So <laughs> it's fan. You know, speaking of which, there was that. It didn't make my list, but that whatever happened, Miss Simone documentary. Um, there was one, I think it's either that documentary or something else where her estate is, is, it's very, become very legal and it got yanked last minute from TIFF. Um, but yeah, I guess it's interesting that both these films came out this year. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Uh, like I said, one of them is much more controversial than the other, but this one is probably sadder. Uh, just like I say, you know, I, I know that. People do terrible things, but I always think to myself, you know, somewhere along the way, that person that might have done a terrible thing, they probably weren't like that mm-hmm. at one point in time. And it, this always saddens me to see that happen to people. You know, I mean, it's justified what ends up happening to them typically and whatnot. But like I said, I don't think anybody, I don't, I, just, I still don't believe, at least I don't think people are born for to think, you know, I'm going to kill myself when I'm 27 or I'm going to murder somebody when I'm 18 or I'm going to. You know, I don't, some some series of events lead you to that, and this in this situation, you know, you see a kid that had a big dream and he achieved his big dream, and still it fell apart. It's it's just, it's really it's just really heartbreaking. How? Yeah, exactly. No, I, I'm definitely going to see this sooner or later. I think once we get a few months into the year, where. And that kid stuff will eat you up, trust me. Oh, man. Yeah. Cause, yeah you know, because he just sounds like a cute kid. He just sounds like a little kid. He sounds yeah. like our kids. That's right. You know? That's right. So, it's, you know, I think about my son, how innocent he is right now. And how, you know, the only thing on his mind is he put his Aquaman Lego figure near the sink lad the other night because he says he's got to be near water. Yes, yes, yes. That's the way a kid thinks, you know. And then I think about what the world's going to do to him. You know, without my blessing, but what the world's going to do to him. And I got to make sure that I'm there to help him handle that. And, you know, how do you do that? There's time. Yeah, it's. It's tough. Yeah. Scary. Oh, for sure. Okay. Not not, not to get so down there, man. We got to get back to the puppets. 
I know, no doubt, man. Uh, my number 23, it deals with subject matter that on a large scale is even more grim and more depressing than what you've just mentioned. And that's sort of the destruction of one man. This is the destruction of a lot of men, a lot of young men, younger than Kurt Cobain. Um, this happens every day. And at the opening of this film, we're given some numbers that are stark and are eye-opening and are horrible, uh, talking about that in America, um, over the past 25 years, more Americans have been killed uh, in urban streets than have been killed in all the wars that they've partaken or, part yeah. in, or taken part in. Uh, this is a film that I love this filmmaker. I know you love this filmmaker. Okay, but he's kind of been off his game a little bit lately. I hoped you would have crammed this because it would have been curious to see where it fell for you. It's Spike Lee's Chirac. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I thought about cramming this one too, but yeah, I agree with you when you say that uh, he's been off his game lately. But, <laughs> you know, I, I, you know, I tried to – I mean, you both talked about doing Red Hook Summer last year. Yeah, and I tried. I still haven't seen it. Yeah, I still haven't seen it either. Uh, it's just one of those things where, you know, Spike is – I mean, obviously, he's burning some bridges. He's got a big mouth. And, you know, that it is what it is. He's allowed to say what he wants to say. I just think some of the stuff he says is ridiculous. But uh, I think some of the stuff he used to say was interesting. And it sounds like this is kind of back to that a little bit. I love this film. It feels like, and a lot of people have said this, but it really does feel to me like it's, you feel a little bit of do the right thing in there. Mm -hmm. Where there's an urgency to what's being said. But the characters are given, and they, they, some of the characters do some shitty things. But overall, there's a sweetness and a humanity to a lot of the characters, uh, in with their everyday life that it never allows it to become a downer like it very easily could. This could become very easily and rightfully in different hands, uh, you know, conscious social sort of a social. Uh, plight, not even a sort of a social uh, sort of urging people to, to, to make changes. Not this, because this deals with a lot of complicated issues um, socially, culturally, uh, just so many things across the board. But yeah. it feels a bit like do the right thing. You get this period of time. And but I got to say, Spike is well served and given a breath of fresh air to step away from New York and go to Chicago. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, Chicago's where a lot of this uh, unfortunate well, is happening. Yeah, Chirac. I mean, there's like it was something like ten. There's a lot of uh, a lot of needless violence in Chicago. Staggering number of deaths. Um, this was adapted from the Greek play uh, Lysistrata, I think. Um, which my favorite line in a film this year: "No peace, no pussy." <laughs> what happens is the girlfriends of these gang members, and the, they're not even just the gang members, but the men say no one's getting any sex until there's peace and it kind of playfully deals with some of those things but it deals with some things that are urgent and i gotta give it up to uh tayona paris who i think prior to this she was in dear right dear white people and she was a secretary in mad men i didn't see either of those things she is amazing in this you fall in love with her she's beautiful she's earthy she's organic She's great. Um, now, this film is going to divide people, man. Some people are going to hate it. There's even a few parts where I felt like I kind of cringed it. Not everything works in this film. But Sam Jackson is great as Cyclops and the Cyclops in this because, you know, the Greek 
bringing it forward all these years from uh, from Greece, Cyclops is Wesley Snipes with a ruby encrusted eye patch. Oh, okay. Making sure it wasn't an actual, like a you know a one-eyed uh, dead-eyed dick there. Yeah, that's right. Jennifer Hudson's good in it. Angela Bassett is fantastic in it. Sam Jackson's great in it. Um, yeah, he's never. I mean, the one thing about Spike, even when he he misses, he always gets good performances. I, I love this film, man. I, you know, it's like I said, it's urgent. It's there's a sweetness to it. There's a little bit of a fairy to inner city fairy tale. To use kind of a trite term, but I really like this man. And Spike's a guy that I'm glad to see for me is back on form here. And like I said, some people are gonna watch this and think, what do you, what did you see that I didn't see? Mm-hmm. They're not gonna like it. But I think he's addressing a lot of things in a way that he did with his earlier films that feels like he's 20 years younger. So Some have, though. Some have seen it and uh, quite dug it. So Tiana Paris, man. Wow, she looks like she's a knockout in this film, man. Woof. <laughs> All right. My number 23 is a little independent film. Some people liked it. Some people did not. They thought it was kind of bland and kind of plain. But I, I, told, I think I said when I told you I watched it that one of the things I liked about it is the same kind of thing I liked about Slow West and kind of Kumiko, the treasure hunter film and even Manglehorn in some ways, but these simple films that, you know, I've come to realize I really appreciate simplicity and storytelling. And this one is a uh, cop car with Kevin Bacon. Oh man. I kept trying to watch this so many times throughout the year. Yeah. It, it, I quite enjoyed it. Not everybody did. I think Bryn is probably its biggest champion outside of me. Yeah. But I don't know if a lot of guys, folks in our uh, circles watched it or not, but it's really good, man. It's really, like I say, it's really simple. Nothing, nothing over the top, nothing fancy, but I felt like the kids talked like kids would talk like, you know, they, they've discovered cuss words and they feel like they're going to say, you know, dare each other to cuss. Who's going to say the worst thing. And the kids felt real to me, even though they do something kind of unreal and kind of taking a cop car. So it's, it's pretty good. Bacon's really good in the movie. He really is. And he gives good mustache, right? Oh, very good. Very good. It's a, it's a nice caterpillar. It's like a Eugene Levy eyebrow on his lip. It's like a uh, Robert <laughs> Patrick Copland mustache. It looks Ooh, like yeah, that's, that's a good that's one. A that's, good, a good that's an one, underrated yeah. mustache. That is an underrated mustache. That's a good one. Yeah, I like that one. Oda, oh, yeah, Ray Liotta's had a He's had a goatee before, a narc. Yeah, yeah, that's right. He looks different. He's got the toque and the goatee. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, yeah, Cop Car, it's really good. Simple, like I said, simple independent film. Very simple story. Two kids take a car. Cop wants the car back for devious reasons and uh it plays out the way it plays out so nice very simple but i think it works and i think the director is going to be do you think i think he's moved on to something kind of bigger i can't remember what it is but uh i think he might be doing a bigger film some of these small films we have i think some of these guys are turning are going to turn them around into something big yep that's good Oh, that's good. I'll have to check that out. Uh, 24 is the last of three comedies on my list. Um, I, man, who would have thunk it? Uh, French filmmaker we both are fans of. Um, absurd, surreal. This might be more absurd or surreal than his last few films I've seen. I still haven't seen his, his um, debut feature-length film, but it's Quentin Dupieux and it's reality. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't mean to see that. I've been meaning to watch this like all year. Man, it's great. It's so ridiculous. It's you're just gonna laugh. It's the absurdity of it. It's ridiculous. It's a good-looking film. It feels a little bit lynchy, like Lynch with a sense of humor at times. 
So, yeah, I, I quite liked it, man. It, it's You're going to laugh at the conceit of the film, I think. <laughs> so stupid, some of the shit in it, but in a great way. The studio head tells our lead that he can bang, he's going to bankroll this film, but he's got to come up with the most blood-curdling, painful scream in the history of cinema and present it to him so he can we can use it in the film. And you see the guy practicing doing the scream like in his car with the windows rolled up and <laughs> all sorts of stupid shit. It's uh, it's good, man. I, I obviously really liked it. Nice. Definitely check it out. You know, I've always seen uh, Rubber by him, but I, I like Rubber so much I can't believe I haven't watched anything else by him. Wrong Cops is his most GGTMC film. Yeah. Wrong is great. Check that one see, out, you've but... seen Rubber yeah, and I've seen, seen the rest. Rubber. Yeah. I've seen it. <laughs> so weird. Uh, and rubber is about more than just a killer tire. It's, uh, yes. it's he's, he's, you know, like a lot of his stuff, I think he's saying something. So it's absurdist, but it, that that's kind of the point. Mm-hmm. Uh, my number 24 is the hunting ground. This is a movie about sexual assault on college campuses in America. Oh, the Duke one This is a Duke documentary. No, no, no. It's not the Duke one. Although that would have been in time with this stuff, but this has to deal with just sexual assault in general. But it does get into the world of uh, sports and how much that generates for colleges and stuff. And it's, the selling point, I remember reading about this film, the selling point is just the one film that interviews the girl that was uh, assaulted by uh, James Winston. So, oh, man, yeah. So, yeah, and I didn't even know that that was coming. And when it came, I was like, oh, I didn't even know that was her. And uh, that just I have personal opinions on that. I won't get into it um, on here because it's not really a review situation, but. Needless to say, it's pretty appalling, some of the things that take place. Oh, yeah. And uh, the way that one in particular was handled is pretty bad. But there's a lot of them that are pretty bad. So it's, it's a scary thing, man. You know, I, I have a little girl now, so it's it's a scary thing to think about. Very scary. Yeah. It's very good. It's uh, directed by Kirby Dick, who has a fun name to say. He sure does. <laughs> and uh, he, uh, he makes pretty standard documentaries, but he does a pretty good job and. uh this one is probably one of my favorites he's done. But yeah, this is, a, this. this is a, this is a big time problem. And, uh, on college campuses, it's not reported nearly as much as you would think again, because like what you talked about, some people won't oh, talk about it or report it yeah. because of shame or embarrassment or afraid of getting kicked out of college or any number of reasons. Plus, you know, they're at the beginning of their real kind of exploration of their sexuality and stuff. And that kind of a thing can happen and shut down them emotionally and change their lives for the rest of well, for the rest of their life. That's right. Exactly. Because you're not, you know, kind of naively exploring that like you normally would. Unfortunately, something comes in and gets in the way and destroys that exploration and turns it into a traumatic event. So, you know, that's part of, as we all know, that's part of the growing process, right? I mean, that's part of a growing life, a young life, you know, is explore those those feelings. So you can tell these girls, you know, and there, there are guys, they, they, they do both sides of the coin. They show uh, men as well. Uh, and, uh, the assault, but I should say that, that not just the men, they do it from the homosexual side, which is actually quite, it happens quite a bit too. And I didn't know that. So it's pretty, it's pretty crazy. The amount of assault that happens. Yeah, I just feel like I would be so angry and sad. And I will watch it. That's not why I'm not oh, you, watching it. You, you'll, you'll be angry. Yeah. Trust me. Like I said, I don't talk about my feelings a lot on this show. Mm-hmm. Because I try to keep the show as about talking about Film, me as much yeah. as possible. I don't want to use it as a soapbox. That's right. Because that would be easy to do. 
Oh yeah, uh, fuck this all much shit in the world. Trust we, me. Yeah. Trust me. Uh, this 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 one made me angry. Very angry. Oh man. So, but it's good. It's good. I think everybody should see it. Nice. My uh, number twenty-five is the last documentary on my list. Yeah. Um, I love this. My also my last. Is it my last? Wait. No, it's not my last American film on the list. Um, this wasn't some sort of profound look at humanity or uh, <laughs> anything deep and and self-realizing. Um, all this was to me, and sometimes we need this, uh, is fun. It made me smile. It was edited brilliantly. And this guy's created a great name for himself making documentaries about genre film. It's Electric Boogaloo, The Wild Untold Story of Canon Films. Oh, yeah, yeah. I like that one a lot. I mean, you did make my top 30, but I did like that one a lot. I love this. Um, I knew yeah, I would it's, like it. It's, it's like, yeah, yeah, you knew you'd like it, but you didn't think you'd like it. I know. I, I, the more I'm thinking about it, the more I like it. Oh, gosh. It just moves. It's edited so great. They use great clips. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hartley's really knows. He's got this rhythm. It's just he got the formula down. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he, he really does. Um yeah, so, I mean, what more can I say? Fun, it's on instant. You're a GGTMC community member. I, I don't know how you couldn't enjoy this documentary. <laughs> yeah, kind of like how, you know, you, you couldn't at least enjoy, like, 10 Canon films. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, we all know what the kind of films they're putting out, but, I mean, you know, you, yeah. you either like them or you don't, so. That's right. Yeah, I wish there was even more. That's one of those ones where I wish there was even more. <clears throat> I could have watched hours of it. Yeah, I wish they, you know, as much as I don't really care for him anymore, I wish there would have been more interviews with, or an interview with, like, Chuck Norris, and of course he won't talk about that stuff anymore, but uh, <laughs> I wish Charles Bronson would have came out of, you know, <laughs> back from the grave to talk yes. about it. He wouldn't have much to say, probably. But they gave me five million, I showed up. That's right, man. So, you know, whatever, but it, it's, it's, it is great. It's great to hear those stories. Still, like, like I said, still my favorite is that Alex Winter saying, watching Charles Bronson act as a kid to watching someone play golf. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, he comes out of his trailer, he walks over, he shoots a seat, he goes back to his trailer. <laughs> <laughs> like, he had no time for anybody. Oh, man. That's what happens, I guess. Anyway, uh, my number 25, one that uh, I like more than you, but I, I didn't like as much as I was hoping I would like it, considering last year his film was number one for me. But that was uh, Denny Villeneuve's Sicario. Yeah, this uh, didn't make the list for me. Yeah, I liked it quite a bit. Didn't love it. I don't know. But, I mean, it is it is a, a good film and um, overstays its welcome just a little bit. But I, I, do, I did quite enjoy it. And the more I get away from it, the more I like it, especially Josh Brolin's sandal Hawaiian combo. He's fantastic in it. Oh, yeah, he is. Yeah. And Del Toro is fantastic with the material he's given. Mm-hmm. I think the first half of that film, if it had have maintained that quality, would have been in my top three or four of the year. The yeah. scene at the border in Tijuana it was among the best scenes I've seen all year in film. Oh, yeah, that was good. It, it just kept twisting and turning and stacking things on for me that I just kind of got tired of. And I think that's kind of become a little bit of a thing for him because even with um, – not enemy. What's the uh, what was the one he did with prisoners? Prisoners. It twists and turns one too many times for its own good. Mm-hmm. And this does the same thing, not so much with um, twists, but it just turns a few too many times for yeah. my liking. Which one? Which one's better for you, Sicario or Prisoners? Prisoners. 
Nice. I go, I go, I'll go Sicario. Yeah, prisoners. I like the lighting. Uh, little, you like uh, Hall a lot in that one. I, I, like, I love Jill Hall in that. Oh, yeah, the lighting is good in that one. Yeah, okay. that's good. I like Dano in that. I like Del Toro and uh, Brolin and even Blunt. I like her quite a bit. I thought know. the scene with Blunt and, and Barenthal was terrible. Oh yeah, that, that, that was the one that really heard it. Yeah, I don't even I don't even know why that's there. What a misstep that was. It's like really? Yeah, yeah that is a misstep. Gosh. I'll agree with you on that one. But either even even with that, I still enjoyed it. I, I did like the ending. I like the ending. I like the decision that's made. It was almost like a you know, was it a good decision or a bad decision? I don't know. You you be the judge. I, and I didn't like how it ended up like where Derek Del Toro's character ended up. It felt too lone wolf in like thriller action film, like it just felt too come well, on. It's weird. It's weird how it refocuses on Del Toro so much. Yeah, like it's it's blunt story it for is. almost three fourths, and then all of a sudden it turns into Del Toro's movie. That's right. It's weird. It's just push the side. I agree. That was like, come on, man, really? Like, mm-hmm. you know, a bit of a yeah. shocker toward the end there, but I, I did enjoy it. Yeah, but there's some good stuff in it. It's, it's not. Not a bad film at all. At yeah, Del Toro just proves that he can. He's great, man. He's one yeah, of he can. He's the camera loves him, and he, you know, he's. I mean, he's nothing like. I mean, if you see him in interviews and stuff, he's nothing like some of these characters he plays. Oh. But yet he, he's so good at that. He he studied under Stella Adler, like, you yeah. know, he's like a serious kind of actor guy. Not serious, yeah. doesn't take himself too serious, but he loves what he does, and you know, yeah, he's good for sure. He's come a long way from being the dog face boy in Pee Wee's Big Top. Big time. What a cast on an underrated cast. Yeah. Um, <laughs> underrated Pee Wee movie. Let's be it honest. is an underrated Pee Wee movie. I got to say, having seen it a few months ago again after years, yeah. it's unfairly maligned. It's not. It's not. Well, the big, first one's a masterpiece. Again, yeah, we talked about that before. It's kind of hard. Yeah, but it's still very good. Um, I wonder if my number twenty six is going to be in your list. Um, well, I know my twenty six made your list. It made your top ten. So. Mm, okay. <laughs> oh. Um. Oh, okay, okay, no worries. Um, <laughs> this is a film that I think we covered. It was like right around that time where Girl Walks Home Alone at Midnight and Babadook, and there was kind of this little thing with Spring, and then this film where these horror films were kind of getting a lot of buzz. This was my favorite horror film from last year. Um, it's, I think, this guy's second film. It's uh, shot in Detroit. Looks great. Detroit's been used wonderfully in film this year. Uh, it's David Robert Mitchell's It Follows. You know what? This didn't make my list, and I'm kind of ashamed that it didn't, in a way. I did like this a lot. I love this. I was wondering, see, it's yeah, I, I like it a lot. more, and I, and I but, seem to like this more. Yeah, but there was a few things I liked a little bit more. But like I said, if I had honorable mentions, it'd be right there. Okay, I mean, that's it'd cool. Be, it'd be 31. I think I talked about this at length in the show. I don't want to talk about it too much. I think it's beautifully shot. It's uh, the real deal. I, I said that. Really I, said, I said it's the real deal. Mitchell makes believable, well-written teenage characters. Mm-hmm. No problem with the pool scene. He sets this um, this sort of central conceit of the film up brilliantly. Where you start Some really nice, bizarre visuals. I like the naked yeah. man on the roof. That's and, insane. And the scene... I think in the kitchen. Bedroom. Oh my god! I know that's a good one. That's a good one to get us like two old kind of salty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he, he's good. I mean, I kind of regret not having it on there now that I think about it. But there's just a few things I liked a little bit. Better. That's the way it goes. You can't have them all. It's only thirty spots, right? Yep. 
I did like it quite a bit, though. I mean, I, I own it. I liked it. Great score, too, right? And I'll rewatch it, yeah. Yeah, it's one of the better of the kind of uh, resurfacing synth scores. Chill word or whatever. Mm-hmm. Good stuff, man. My number 26 is, was your number 10, I believe, and that's Macbeth. Yes. Yes, I like Macbeth. The only thing I didn't like about Macbeth that kind of draws it back for me is I really, maybe I wasn't in the mood. I mean, again, I'm not going to sit here and say, you know, shame on them for using the, the king's, the queen's English. Mm. But it kind of drew me out a little bit. I can see that. That's fair. Because I, you know, Macbeth's a great story, so you can retell it in any type, way, shape, or form. Yeah, that's uh, right. Essentially, um, Sons of Anarchy, the TV show, is essentially Macbeth. Mm-hmm. Or Hamlet, maybe it's Hamlet. I don't know. Either way, <laughs> either way, it is what it is. Uh, no, it's Hamlet, maybe more. Yeah, it's maybe, I don't know. Who, who cares? Either way, uh, you can take Shakespeare's basic plots and yeah. you know, kind of twist and turn them and stuff. But the visually, and the violence and all that stuff, and the performances are fantastic. And oh gosh, yeah. So it's really, really good. And uh, I'm glad it's uh, it, it's been remade again. And yeah, Fassbender's never been. I mean, I mean, he was really powerful in this. I mean, I tried to see Steve Jobs this year, but I just didn't get around. Yeah, to stuff. and I just felt like it was a numbers game. I just oh, yeah, stuff. and it just it kind of fell by the wayside because it just felt like. I mean, I know a lot of people liked it. Some people didn't like it, but I was like, well, if I got to choose between two Fassbenders, which one? It just seemed like Macbeth was more up my alley. Oh, totally. And you know who I think would love this is Tyler. Yes. And Davey Mack, I think, would love this. Mm-hmm. I think mean, a lot of our group would. I think uh, Zom would like it. I think Zom, I think Zom, Zom would love it. Yeah. It's really good. Yeah. No doubt. So, totally. And it's uh, surprisingly nasty. Oh, man. It's Not re- when you think about that filmmaker and what he did before. but <laughs> No. So. <laughs> I think we got a lot of it. has one of my favorite like, bad guy performances of all time. It's no doubt. Jeez, does it ever. It's a good one. Uh, that film like, left a knot in my stomach. Left me queasy for a few days. Yeah, I've wanted to watch it again, but I was like, I don't, do I really want to watch it again right now? I said, still not ready. It's blue. No, man, totally. Um, my number 27 has already been mentioned by you. Uh, it's one of the westerns on your list. Um, it was nice. your daughter's first film. <laughs> yes. So, uh, yeah, Bone Tomahawk, Craig Zoller, give it up. Uh, love this film. I think it felt like a very traditional John Ford in some ways. It, it didn't feel like it was trying to be postmodern or anything. It felt very much like a traditional Western. And it didn't feel like it was trying to be a cult film either. And when not. I first heard read about it, I thought, oh, man, this could be dangerous because these two genres don't work together. <laughs> no, exactly. And I'd said to you, Kurt Russell's great, Patrick Wilson's great, Matthew Fox is great, but the real MVT of the acting department for me was Richard Jenkins in this. Yeah, yeah. It's perfect. Um you know, it feels a little bit like, you know, you get that kind of cool, kind of specific, quarry, left field western, like, uh, or not western so much, but wilderness, like, um, it feels like it's riffing on, um, what was the cannibal film with David Arquette? Um, the Burrowers? No. Oh, that was another good one, though. Um, which this is better than. Uh, the Cannibal film with Robert Carlyle and... Dave. Oh, oh, uh, Ravenous. Ravenous, yes, Ravenous. Ravenous. So another good one, right? <laughs> um, kind of a bit different, but yeah, I love this film. And I openly kind of asked, would I like this more or Hateful Eight? And I like this yeah. more. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just I can see that. And especially when it got to the caveman, it really got intense for me. And I know some of our friends have kind of 
thought maybe it was a bit of an irresponsible thing, but I don't look at it so much as that as it was an A to B and that was a genre film and there wasn't yep. any subtext to that and I was fine with the way it was played. Yeah, so. I, I was too because I think it sets itself up well, first of all, by having David Arquette and Sid Haig in the beginning. and Yeah, well, exactly, yeah. Kind of what they're doing and stuff. So I think, you know, when you get to the back end, yeah, is it a, is it a rude awakening? But sure, but I think it sets itself up for that. Like it's... It is two different genres mixed together, and I think if you're going to mix that genre, those two genres together, you got to kind of have a rude awakening. And let's give it up, James Tolkien returning to the big screen. That yeah. old head of his. <laughs> yeah. So, Fred nice. Miller, lots of kind of cool character faces in that one. Kig is one to watch, man. Got a lot of comers on our lists. Yep, that is true. Uh, this one I just saw recently, but they kind of snuck in here. This is an instant. I implore everybody to watch it because it's insane. I knew nothing about it. Totally fascinating. Uh, this is called the Barkley Marathons. Oh, I saw that you watched this. The, the title kind of intrigued me. Yeah, yeah. It's it's really crazy. It's kind of like this this marathon that, that is ran every year, kind of like this crazy, I don't know, like wilderness marathon. I don't know anything about running, so I don't have a runner's body. I got more of an eater's body, so <laughs> I'd be the one watching the runners while eating a hamburger. But uh, this one, uh, it's just it's just like this private – like you can't you can't apply to this marathon any other way, but I think there's no internet way to do it. I, I can't remember how you do it, and anything you just got to see it. It's just it's insane. I just saw it recently, so I don't really have a whole lot to say about it. But I will say that it popped right on the list uh, because I, I definitely wanted to mention it. Everybody check it out because it just popped up on instant. Not at first I saw it on there and I thought, oh, this doesn't sound that interesting. But then I think uh, maybe Bryn or maybe somebody else saw it. And uh, said something about it, and I was like, "Well, I'm fascinated now. Now I got to see what this is all about." And it's pretty crazy. It's not—I mean, it's not earth-shattering, but it's just fascinating that people put themselves through this stuff. Mm-hmm. And for what? I don't know. For me, for them, it works. But they asked 27. What do you got for 28? Well, 28th film—we've already talked about at length. Uh, Gaspar Noé's Love. Um, nice. I will just say one more thing about this: Elmi Mayock, who plays. His old, like the lover at the beginning, mm-hmm. really gives a raw performance. And as much as I think Carl Glusman, maybe not a great actor, but he's channeling a lot of douchey things that Noe was putting on screen. Yeah. Mayock um, is really great for me in this film, really tragic. Uh, her and Clara Kristen, both the two leads, putting really honest good performance i wanted to speak to them because i don't think much has been made of the performances of them and i, I think they're both really good especially uh Miyok, so there you go nice well, number 28 was way up on your list last year world of Kanako. oh man what a kick in the dick yeah yeah this movie revels in evilry <laughs> yeah uh which was kind of fun i kind of needed it at the time i needed a movie that just kind of wanted to be nasty and this one's nasty and it's just kind of non-apologetic for it and i kind of enjoyed that Oof. i loved how non-apologetic the kanako character is <laughs> and it's really it's hardcore um turned up to 11 like yeah. it's the it's blackness just of it's just, you know it's just it's just a mean mean movie in a lot of ways and I, I at the time i just needed it i'd seen some other stuff and i was like all oh, these prestige movies i need something that i remember will saying this was a bit rough i was like i need something like that but i didn't think it would kind of revel and enjoy its kind of fiendish 
nature so much. I mean, it does. Obviously, it has some other points to it, but lots of points. There's a lot her, being said. Yeah, her character in particular, though, is just fun, and it's in her evilness. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Nakashima, I think a lot. You know, um, Mike and um, yeah, this is the director of the Kamikaze Girls. It's kind of hard yeah. to believe. I don't see a lot of Kamikaze Girls in here. And Confessions, right? So Yeah, yeah, Confessions I loved. Which is amazing. I feel like this is a bit more of a shaggy dog than Confessions, but I still think it's a bit wallops. And they also did Suicide Club. Like, this is, you know, I, I was going to say, I feel like um, Sion Sono and Miki get a lot of the love, but Nakashima can run with those guys. Like, they can. Brilliant I mean, film. I've seen three of his films, and I've liked all three quite a bit. Kamikaze Girls, uh, Confessions, like I said, it was in my top ten one year. Oh, yeah. Oh, it was like top and, five for me. Yeah, and then uh, this one. It was very good as well. Of course, this probably would have been higher last year because I think last year this would have placed higher. I think this year, um, so there's obviously just more stuff I like more, but I needed this at the time. I was glad I watched it. Koji Yakusho shows he's one of the best actors in the world, too, because yes. he played such a noble role in Miki's 13 Assassins. Yes, yes. Played, as soon as I see his face, that's what I think of. Fucking scumbag. I mean, every time you think someone's going to be redeemed... They're just awful. There's so much being said about society and I think Japanese society and youth and culture and parents and disconnect. There's so much. It's a good film. And I'm glad you dug it. Uh, my number 29 is a film that uh, is on Netflix. I think Netflix might have had something to do with producing it maybe or they, maybe they bought it. I, I don't know. Shot in L.A. No, Magnolia did it. Uh, shot in L.A. Um, made 75 grand opening weekend. Uh, work. It's a Christmas film, right? It's a working girl tears through Tinseltown on Christmas Eve, searching for the pimp who broke her heart. Yeah, I love this one too. Was shot on an iPhone. Um, <laughs> Amazing. Tangerine Dare by. Yeah, this almost made my list. Uh, this would be like I said, an honorable mention for me. So, I liked it quite a bit. It's really good. I love this film. Clue Gulliger shows up. Um, yeah, you and I spoke <laughs> about this, man. It's. Uh, uh, Kitana Kiki Rodriguez is really good, and her co-star Maya Taylor is it? Let's see, Amaja. Both are great in the film. It starts out a bit shrieky for me. I thought, man, I'm going to get into this. Uh, yeah, you, it's, a little, it's really loud in the beginning. Yeah, loud and kind of in your face. You get into the rhythm of it. You really feel for them. And this does that thing, like I said, about Almodovar and Bleak Street and John Waters and all these great filmmakers who can look at people in the margins of society and really have you get behind them and look at a world that is foreign to a lot of us. I want to say one more thing. The Armenian wife in this I thought was really hot. And uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and that sounds crass, but I just had to get it off my chest. It's late and I'm a bit punch drunk. Um, <laughs> yeah. I know, I always feel like that too when I say hot, but hey, I'm a, I'm a dude and yeah, that's and, where it goes. And let's face it, the donut scene, the donut shop scene at the end when the mother-in-law shows up, you're thinking, man things are going to get very pear-shaped very quickly. And that's testament to the film because yeah. these are yeah. huge stakes um, but uh, with a few people's lives, but they're small stakes in the grand scheme of things for the whole world. So I love this one, man. It's on instant. It's good, it's good. good stuff. Yeah, I like the kind of emotional attachment that the two leads have to each other. Yes. Oh, kind of the way that pays off. And sweet, kind of heartbreaking. Yeah, sweet and heartbreaking and then sweet again. It's very nice. It's, the exchanging of wigs. I was about to say that nice wig touch. exchange, man. Yeah, that's a nice, it's a nice touch. <clears throat> um, my twenty nine is being evil. This is the evil can evil documentary. Oh yeah, evil was a big part of my childhood. Uh, this one's really good. Uh, Johnny Knoxville's basically the producer behind this and stuff. He talks about it. And obviously, you can see the influence of Johnny Knoxville 
even Knievel had on Johnny Knoxville from what he ended up doing in his career. Uh, although his stunts were mostly done for comedy and and those type of purposes, uh, but you know he looked up to Evil Knievel like a lot of us did growing up in the era when we grew up. So. Rock star, right? Yeah, the rock star stunt man. You know, this uh, never been one like him since. Really, I mean, there's been other people who've done it, including his son, that have done bigger jumps and crazier things, but it's never really you know caught on the way Evil did. He just came along at the right moment and mm-hmm. pop culture phenomenon, right? So, oh yeah. And this kind of gets into, you know, a little bit of his dirty laundry, which I didn't know about. Wasn't exactly the nicest dude. <laughs> so, anyway, uh, good stuff. I don't know how anybody would want to live their life with that many broken bones and be that sore all the time. But uh, Oh, boy. Whatever, T-Stone. I, I think the, fun, the thing I find most interesting about the documentary is that, like, every time he did a jump, he would always think, he would always tell his buddies or people that work with him, he's like, you know, I don't think I'm going to make this one. So, you know, he was, like, scared to death. <laughs> But he did it anyway. So, that's testament because that's. I find that fascinating because if I was scared to death, I'd be like, you know what, fuck this. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I don't. Yeah, that's yeah, it's got well, grips a little bit. He, uh, but he would go ahead and go through with it, even if he knew that he was going to get hurt. Crazy. And yet, yeah, but uh, maybe that's part of the allure, right? It's... Well, yeah, I mean, there's a fine line between brilliance and stupidity. There, I mean. But that, that's just the way it is. So I wouldn't call what he did brilliance, but I would call, um, you know, daring would be the right word. Or even, and, uh, you know, certainly a lot of young kids looked up to him. I did. I thought he was a hero. Oh, yeah. He was Elvis. I mean, he was a lot of things rolled into one. Yep. My number 30 is... The last film for you. Show him the list, and then I'll just run through a few quick honorable mentions after you do your 30. Because uh, we've been going for a while, man. Um, <laughs> I'm going to get up in four hours. Yeesh. Um, is a British film, and it felt like a... It... I kind of watched this not knowing if it was going to make my list or not, but just kind of felt like something more genre-based. Uh, this is, again, I think a second film from this filmmaker... Uh, feels very refin. I think you saw this. If not, I know you definitely would like it. Uh, it's a grim, modern Eurocrime film. It's Gerard Johnson's Hyena. No, I didn't see it. I meant to check it out. I didn't get around to it. It feels like Pusher 3 a little bit. Peter Fernando is fantastic as Michael. This is about some pretty, pretty awful cops doing awful things, but they're not the most awful people in it, so you root for them by default. Mm-hmm. Um, it deals with some brutal, brutal shit. It's fucking intense and awful, awful in spots. But it's 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 vision. It's just like a, almost like Michael Mann kind of looks great, slick. Um, the Turks and the Albanians don't fuck around. It's about a bad twenty four hours for uh, for the main cop because. Nice. You know, they're not total, total scums, but they're pretty close. And Yeah, I definitely want to see it. It sounds like it's up my alley. Oh, it, it, yeah, it's, 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 like, it's like fast food for you, right? Comfort food. Yeah. It's, it's really good, and the end is great. Really loved it. Nice. And my last film for the top 30, and I can't believe we finally got through the top 30 show after all this time. This has been a bear of a show, and not only just the recording of the show, but just getting to this point. It's yeah. been like something I've been living with for like the last month. Yes. Uh, is the seven five? Oh man, this was good. Speaking of corrupt, scummy cops. <laughs> yeah, this is the real deal, though. <laughs> so yeah, oh. this is uh, for those who don't know, it's about the seven five seventy five seventy fifth precinct, New York, in the was it early eighties? Yeah, eighties somewhere in there. 
the mid eighties, somewhere in there. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, the Krupp cop, Michael Dowd. And, uh, it's pretty insane. I, I really, me talking about it doesn't know justice. You got to hear him talk about it. Yeah. It's just insane what these guys were doing. But I got to say, seeing him talk about it, he seems to really celebrate it and like talks about like a swagger that makes me feel like you're such a gross piece of shit. Yeah, no, I don't think he. I don't think he regrets what he did. I don't think he has any regrets for what he did. I mean, I think that you know he would have been just as happy being a mobster. Oh, totally. As he would have been being a cop. I just yeah. think he happened to be a cop. Yeah. But like you know, people who live a life of crime, I don't think he has any real regrets of what he did. I think he saw it as survival, and if he thought if he could do it, if he if anybody else could do it, they probably would do it. I think he justified it that way. And again, does it make him a good person? Sure. I don't think it does at all. But he is a fascinating character to watch, no doubt about that. But yeah, definitely, uh, definitely not a uh, not not a guy I'd invite over for uh, future investments in my 401k. That's for sure, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, but yeah, he does. He can tell he does. Uh, he's a narcissist, you know. He loves the attention. Oh, totally. Yeah. He did the time, did the crime, did the time. But you know, you can still tell that he. He loves, uh, I don't know if he loved what he did, but he certainly enjoyed it. I mean, he loved what it brought him. Yeah, I think so. Nice. Uh, but I don't know how anybody can distance themselves from some of that stuff, but no, you know, people man. can. People can. Not at all. Let me just quickly run down a few honorable mentions, because this was a good year for film, as always. Uh, Room, I thought would have been on my list. Great lead performance from Brie Larson, deserves for Best Actress. Best Child Performance I saw a year was from The Kid in This. Just... A great film. It's not just Oscar bait. Great film. Uh, Look of Silence. The film that maybe, I don't want to say disappointed me, but I would have thought it would have been a lock for my top five was Mommy, the uh, Xavier Dolan film. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm surprised that went on there. Yeah, it was a really good film, good performances, but just uh, didn't quite to get over the hump. Uh, one that I thought would have been on your list, uh, um, documentary, Best of Enemies. Oh, no, yeah, I liked it. Uh, maybe honorable mention, but I... Honorable mention? Yeah. I like it. 45 years, um, good film, grown-up kind of drama. I think you really like this one. Yeah, yeah, I wanted to see that one. Really good stuff, man, really good stuff. Uh, Mad Max, Ex Machina, two films that I loved but just didn't quite make the cut. I loved what Ex Machina had to say, and I loved the energy of Mad Max. And then The Revenant, again, uh, some good stuff but didn't quick it over the hump. Um, Creed, again, loved it, moved me, just didn't quite get over the top. You know, I loved it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, a Fool, mainland Chinese film about a quote-unquote fool that won't leave this farmer who's in over his head alone, and he ends up inheriting the problems of this fool in trying to get him out of his life. Uh, really like this one. Again, a little bit absurd. Uh, quite liked it. Uh, Catch Me Daddy, speaking of feel-awful films of the year. Um you know, young uh, Pakistani girl with a white boyfriend. Some, oh, yeah, yeah, I heard about this one. Jeez, this one was a real kick in the dick. Good film, hard watch, northern England, Yorkshire, man, <laughs> fuck. Um, I don't know if you saw this one. I really liked it, and I'd be curious how you felt if you didn't see it. Victoria? No, I didn't see it, but it is out there now. Yeah, heist film, one shot, saw it at TIFF with Joe. We held hands and enjoyed it. It was good. It was intense. I think he would dig it. Uh, Evolution, another film. This was from Gaspar Noe's wife. Um, very spare. We reviewed it at TIFF. You can hear our review. Um, Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. And Ant-Man. Uh, I really liked Ant-Man. I was pleasantly surprised. My dad and I took the boys in the summer. 
I really love these B-side Marvel films like Guardians and this. They're really working well for me. So Nice. But yeah. Nice. So I haven't seen that, man. Maybe I will one day. It's fun. It's really fun. Which I think is what you want from a comic book film, right? Don't you? Yeah. Well, I mean, certainly what you want from an Ant-Man film. But yeah. I don't know if I want my Ant-Man to be dark and brooding. No, I want a Plastic Man film, man. I really want a pl- I love Plastic Man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't really have it. My honorable mentions we mentioned as we kind of went along, but so... I don't really have anything else. So that is the big top 30 show. It's behind us until next year. Until uh, 11 months from now, what, what, eight months from now? Yeah, well, we're just cooked. <laughs> and got to do it again. Let's see if Son of Saul makes our top 10 next year. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, because we'll see it by then. So. I had hunches. I have to be honest. I'll say it now just to see how prophetic I am. I had a hunch that if I had have seen it, hunch would have been my number one of the year. I had a hunch it'd be in my top 10. Yeah. Just from what I know about it. So, <clears throat> yeah. Sounds like it's, uh, again, up my alley. So, uh, exactly. Blacking our souls a little bit. Uh, bruise them. Uh, all right. So, that's the big show. Um, Sammy, thanks as always. I'm actually losing <laughs> my voice. I feel like all this talking we've been doing. Well, man, we, it's, you're, you're as tired as I am. You got to be, like, cooked because I am so tired. I'm moving furniture and doing backsplashes and. Like in my kitchen, I don't mean in the swimming pool either. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's yeah, but this is you know labor of love is what you want to say. It's fun to do this show. It's fun to see where films check in, check out. Um, and as always, we say it every year: great year for film. It was. You got to see a lot of documentaries and things uh, domestically that I didn't get to see, and me for some more global stuff. And I think between our two lists, you get a really wonderful snapshot of how many great films there were. Yeah, you do. We could have done a top 50 show each if we wanted to. I know. And not Easy, easily. Dropped off. I like that our lists are so different, though, because it gives people, you know, 60 films. There's choose. only like a couple of matches. There's only a couple of matches throughout the whole thing. So you essentially got like 55. Yeah. 58 films in there. That's right. Totally different. No, it's true, man. It's true. So I'm going to jump off. I'm going to send you these. And uh, everyone, get out there, dig around, look for films. There's a lot of film out there and a lot of ways to see film. It's a glorious yeah. age. We don't know what we're doing next week for sure, but we will have something we'll next week. sponsor shows. Yep. Yes. So we're going to try to get something done. Yeah, but we'll, just, we'll, we'll just wait. We'll just, instead of announcing it now, we'll just go ahead and wait until we put it out. So. Yeah, like Kip, we'll be doing the winger. Yeah. <laughs> we're winging it, yeah. We're winging it. So... Uh, yeah, that's the big show. Uh, I guess we will say one last thing. <laughs> that's adios. Adios. Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com and you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com.
gents, this is Carl Hobday from Cornwall in the UK, originally from Manchester, hence the dodgy accent. Um, loving the podcast and the Facebook group. Yeah, good work. Um, so I'm going to crack straight on because I've got quite a bit to talk about. Um, so this is my top 30. Um, number 30 is Timbuktu. Um, set in the place of the same name and it's about the effect the jihadists had on the locals um, quite a powerful film I think very poignant as well for sort of things that are going on in the world at the moment uh, 29 was By the Sea the Jolie Pits um, I don't know I just really like the, the set design, the clothes um, the the coolness of it, the era, it just just stuck with me for some reason. I don't know if it was that well received either, but there you go. I think it was good performances from both of them as well. So, uh, 28, Kamiko the Treasure Hunter. Um, it was an odd, strange little film, I think, but all the all the better for it. Um, I loved the tone to it. Um, felt sort of almost mythical. Uh, 27 Anomalisa, the claymation. Uh, my my missus walked in when I was watching this. At the um, the scene where he was in the hotel room with this woman and was going down on her. So I think at first glance she thought it was like a kids you know kids program, but she was like, "What the fuck are you watching?" Um, <clears throat> I really like what they did with it as well. It was something different, you know, what they did with the voices, and you know, I appreciated that. Um, at number 26 was It Follows. Uh, another, I think, for a, a horror film, it was, it was just beautifully shot. Maker uh, Monroe, I think her name, she was fantastic. Um, got to mention the score as well, which was amazing. I think a lot of people have likened it to Halloween, but for me it was more sort of Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, I think actually as well, it, it, it was a bit like Nightmare on Elm Street in the way that it was, you know, it was about the kids and the, the parents were always ever present, but just, you know, never there, never around. But yeah, I, li- I liked how the, um, the sort of, what was it, the STD, the sexually transmitted demon, was on screen and you you was you'd be looking around the screen trying to figure out which one it was and it was clever how they did that. Uh, Twenty five, Mommy Xavier Dolan. I think this is his like fifth film now and he's still about twelve years old. <laughs> Bastard. Uh, it's one fucked up family, isn't it? Um, I think I needed to sit down in a quiet room afterwards. Um, the acting from the main three leads were spot on um, and they did some pretty clever things with the aspect ratios as well yeah I thought it was fantastic um, at 24 45 years for me it was the story of this one that, that, that got me it was um, a couple about to celebrate the 45th wedding anniversary and um, the bloke got a, a letter saying that an ex of his that he he was with before his now wife, her body had been found and they'd been hiking in Switzerland and she'd fa- 
fallen down a crevasse and she's now become visible due to like, like the melting of a glacier so I think she's you know sort of frozen in time as she was and this sort of just does his nutting and he, he can't get it out of his head and he's you know he's acting erratic sneaking around and she sort of catches on to what's going on finds out certain things that I won't give away but she then sort of pieces together that everything that they've done things that they've got even down to the breed of dog they own has all been to try and replicate what he had with this ex of his um, yeah super I think they both won um, uh, the, uh, best actor and actress as well at the Berlin Film Festival that because they were it was really understated performances but superb um, 23 Catch Me Daddy it's a British another British film really dark and gritty um, about a Pakistani girl that goes on the run uh, with her white boyfriend which has disgraced her family because they were wanting to go down the whole arranged marriage route she obviously didn't agree with it so her own father has arranged for two hitmen to kill her basically and her brother and his mate and his mates are after her to, to do the same thing um, I think I, I read about it. Someone likened it to a west, like it, like being a western set in Northern England. Uh, I like that that description, and I could see that. Um, and the girl that Layla, I think her name in the film, um, she was mesmerised and had these big green eyes, which is you know quite unusual on a on a Pakistani girl. Um, but yeah, it was really uh, gripping, tense, great film. 22, Ex Machina, um, simple film, amazing visuals, superb set design, the sound design, Alicia Vikander was fantastic. I think you can rent that place out as well as uh, for a holiday let, which would be pretty cool. Uh, 21, Faults, uh, the lead guy is what made this film for me. Uh, Leyland Orser, I think his name is. Um, and it's about him trying to deprogram a, a, a troubled girl that had been sort of seduced by a cult. Great acting, some freaky goings on. Twenties, Queen of Earth. About two girls that had grown up together. I think one of them had recently lost their dad and come out of a relationship. Um, and it's told with flashbacks from the a uh, year before where they visited the same holiday apartment that they're staying at now and one of them just it just gets loopier and loopier she's losing the plot um, and it's just a good back and forth between these two girls pretty interesting I think I enjoyed it more on the on a rewatch as well uh, 19 what we do in the shadows uh, Taika Watiti directed it and stars in it uh, about the vampires sharing a house in New Zealand I don't think many comedies actually make me laugh out loud but this one did, it was really funny and genuinely scary in parts too uh, I just love the humour in it really quotable you know, like werewolves, not swearwolves and I love how it stuck to all the vampire lore 
from all the different vampire films over the years. Uh, clever as well. Uh, 18 Mustang. Uh, it's set in a Turkish village. About about five sisters that live with the auntie and uncle. But they were like mega strict, really old school. And they just wanted to be normal kids and weren't allowed to be. And it was about how they dealt with that. And again, it was the whole arranged marriage thing. And one by one, they were being paired off with uh, young men. And it was about how they dealt with that too. And it was just so, so sad. It was heartbreaking. And all the girls were superb, all amazing actors, all five of them just made it so real. At 17, Victoria. Uh, it's about a Spanish woman living in Berlin, meets these guys, and it's all done. It's, I think mean, it's over two hours, the film, and it's all one long take, um, which is pretty amazing, because it's not as if it's set in one, one place, you know. They, they're out clubbing, they're chatting, out smoking on a rooftop on a bike ride through the town, a bank heist, a shootout, getting away from the police, so it, it was all over the place. So that was an achievement in itself, I think. Um, but I think for this as well, it just felt like I was watching my own mates, although my mates don't speak German. But, yeah, they were just so believable. It was fantastic. Uh, 16, Tale of Tales. It's a great cast. Salma Hayek, Vincent Cassell and um, Toby Jones. Uh, it was like a dark fairy tale like kings and queens and witches and giant fleas and sea monsters and a, a travelling circus I think there was um, some pretty freaky albino twins it's fucking brilliant uh, 15 slow west I like a good western um, Michael Fassbender Ben Mendelsohn you don't need to say any more really I think it was shot in New Zealand, so the scenery was amazing. Um, I think it had one of the best sort of visual comedy gags of the year as well, to do with two horses, a washing line, and some Indian, some Indians. Uh, Fourteen Sicario, Denny Villeneuve. I think I've seen four of his films now, and it is four out of four for me. Um, it's a brilliant cast. I think Benicio Del Toro was the standout for me. I think this was the tensest film I'd seen of the year. Really hard hitting. Uh, it was great. 13, Aferim. Uh, set in the I think, 19th century in Romania. About um, a policeman and his son. They were hired by some rich guy to go and find a gypsy slave that had run away. After he'd had an affair with uh, with his wife, it was all shot in black and white, um, and it was about the journey they went on. It was very much about the the rich, the difference between the rich and the poor, and what it means to be either either. And it was great. I think about that one a lot still now. Uh, number twelve, heaven knows what, directed by the Safdie brothers. This is a pretty pretty grungy film uh, about a group of homeless heroin addicts uh, just showing their sort of day-to-day -day hustling how they s sort of sp spread out you know when to have their heroin and where and you know so they don't run out and 
the sort of intricacies of it as well. It mainly follows a young girl and a sort of on-off boyfriend. Um, he was a good actor, um, Caleb, Caleb Landry Jones, and I think a lot of the rest of the cast were actual, either real or ex-heroin addicts. Um, so it was really authentic, really sad, shocking. Uh, I felt like I needed a, a hot shower after watching that. I've seen a few of the films this year about addicts and homelessness, but this one made them all look, I don't know, quite clean-cut, really. Um, number 11, The Tribe, about a, a deaf teenager that goes to live at a new boarding school. So in this film there's no dialogue, no subtitles. It reminded me of um, the beginning of the latest... Um, is it Return of the Planet? No, the Planet of the Apes film. Um, and I don't mean that disrespectfully, just in the way it was just the grunts and the, you know, over overacting each arm movement and just very animalistic. Um, but after a few minutes, you pick up exactly what's been said. And this boarding school was run by a gang of kids that are into just drug dealing, prostitution, robbery, violence and this has got one hard hitting ending. This made me I was like fucking hell. It's got one one ending that stays with you, put it that way. Uh, number ten, Mad Max Rory Road. I think this was the best pure action movie I'd seen in a long time. Uh Amazing visuals, all the, all the vehicles and the costumes, and appreciated the, you know, the practical effects. And I don't think there was much CGI used, and all the stunt work was great. Uh, number nine is Lil Quinn Quinn, French film. I think this is probably the funniest film of the year I've seen. I think people would sort of describe it as quirky. Um, a lot of quirky characters all with their own little traits and quirks and, you know, like a mumbling detective or his sidekick who's, you know, obsessed with driving the police car like it's a stunt car around all these little country lanes and it, you've just got to watch it. It's uh, it's really funny. A lot of brut brutal murders going on, bodies being chopped up. Um, I think at one point the bodies chopped up and put up the arse of a cow, if I'm, if I'm remembering it right. But, yeah, it's fantastic, really funny. Uh, number eight, Macbeth. Two of the best working actors today in this for me. Fassbender and Marianne Cotillard. Um, just a dark, dark take on Macbeth. Really bloody and graphic. Um, again, beautifully shot. The palette, the colours... Really good supporting cast. Uh, Paddy Considine, uh, Sean Harris, David Fulis. Um, yeah, it's quite haunting, I think. Number seven, Good Night Mommy. It's a German horror film about some twins and their mum. She just returned from having facial surgery, um, leaving her head all bandaged up so that all you could see were her eyes and her mouth um, which was pretty scary in itself the way they'd done it and it sort of showed the the kids weren't sure what was going if it was their mum 
And I think what was good about it was it they were so good at showing the I don't know, the, the the vulnerability and uncertainty of losing or potentially losing their protector that it made it all the more scary in their confusion and it, it kept you going back and forth whether you know whether you believed she was the mum, she wasn't the mum. It kept me going back and forth anyway. Um great sound design in this as well. Um number six, the Revenant not much to say about this, it hasn't already been said. I just love the, the floaty camera work, the way it would just weave in and out, be following one character, then someone else would pass and it would go off with them, and then a Native American Indian would go past on a horse, and then it would go off with them. It's fantastic. Uh, number five is Youth, uh, Paolo Sorrentino. Uh, loved all his movies as well. Uh, this is one of those movies where it's uh, it's like a real director's film. You can tell if you watched his films before that it's done by him. His sort of symmetrical camera work and framing, and he uses a lot of strange and odd little side characters, and his use of live music, which I love. I really like Paul Dano in this too, and who he became in the film. I think he's the best I've seen Michael Caine actually as well. Uh, number four, Buzzard. A guy called Joshua Burge in this, he had a little part in The Revenant as well. It's like a, a black comedy, I suppose. It's got paranoia and it's like a paranoia nightmare. He, he plays this guy called Marty who's just a real fucker. Um, he, he's a fucker to everyone he works with, everyone he comes across because he's, he's just trying to scam everyone, showing no remorse for anything. He, he makes this line, he calls it a power glove. And he, it's like a homemade glove with a Nintendo controller on it and it's got Freddy Krueger knives that he sharpened up and one of his scams sort of spirals out of control. Something really bad happens and sort of goes from there. And I think this is one of them ones when you watch it, re-watch it, you'll, you'll find more in it, especially to do with the paranoia side of it. Uh, and great soundtrack too. Uh, number three, The Assassin. It was like an, I think I've seen this described as art house wushu. Um, I can understand why people wouldn't like this, but this one really worked for me. Um, I appreciated how they tried something different. So sometimes, you know, there'd be a fight, but there'd be a tree in the way, um, or there'd be a fight, and then suddenly it would just end. Um, you know, as you, you obviously thought it was going to carry on and then it would just cut to something else. It's probably the most gorgeous film that I'd seen all year as well. Um, I put something on the Facebook group about this when I was watching this because I was watching it with my... Uh, my daughter was in the room at the same time. Um, my daughter has special needs, so she's six. But developmentally, she's like a one-year-old, so she can't talk and things like that. And she has a lot of sensory issues that means she can't keep still. She doesn't sit down, anything like that. Um, and I remember watching this on the iPad. And she just came over and had a little look. So I put it on the TV. And she just came and sat next to me, cuddled into me, and on my lap. And just sat there for the entire film which it's 
that's just never happened ever for longer than maybe five seconds. Um, so that's just something that I will always remember now. It's never happened since either, but I just always remember that now. I remember when we were watching it each time, um, certain things would be on the screen, she'd just look up at me and go, ooh. So, yeah, I will always remember that as an experience as well, rather than just a film. Uh, number two, Bone Tomahawk. As much as I love my daughter, she can't beat a gruesome western, I'm afraid. Um, and this was a gruesome western. The the acting of the main the main crew was superb. Loved all the banter between them, the sort of period language they used. Um, thought Matthew Fox was great, which surprised me. The scenery was beautiful. The troglodytes that were in it were just evil shits. Really scary. Um, when they got into the sort of troglodytes caves, there was some gruesome, gory shit going on there. It was pretty sick, which uh, I appreciated because well, I suppose I am too. And at number one is Hard to Be a God. I think the director of this film, he'd been making it for a few years and then he, he died, so his wife and son finished it off. It's just, uh, you read a synopsis about this film and it's, I don't know, it's just a strange, strange, strange sounding film. Just batshit crazy, so giving a synopsis just wouldn't do it any justice, so I, I wrote down a few words to say about it which is grotesque, swirling, snarling, farting, dirty, nasty, gorgeous, baffling, intriguing, fourth wall breaking, floating, foul, medieval, hypnotic, contemplative, graphic, shitty, fucking masterpiece. Absolutely loved it. Yeah, that's my number one of the year. So I just wanted to say as well that um, I was really touched by all the feedback I got when I posted about what had happened when I watched The Assassin onto the Facebook group. I was uh, shown a lot of love and it was it was really nice to see. So, yeah, cheers gents. That's uh, my top 30. I'm looking forward to reading yours and listening to yours. Nice one. Cheers.